Hello, and before you get started on this episode of Zap to the Past, we would just like to say thank you to the following people. Andy Marsh, Cole Hutchinson, David Hearn, Sven Osa, 2000DC, Gary Heather, Roger McNally, Joshua Dove, Mark Fletcher, Etienne Wettingfield, Niall Bullitt, Alexander Gosling, Tim TJ Walker, Matthias Aberg, Phil Sowerby, Joshua Kay, Dominic Kendrick, Rune P, Steve Parant, Nick James and Daniel Spreadbury. These awesome people have chosen to back our Patreon at the C64 tier and we are hugely appreciative of the support they offer. If you want to join them and get a mention in next month's shout out, access to our Discord server and any special releases we put out and other cool stuff, then sign up by the 18th of the month at patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past for little more than the price of a pint of beer. Actually, it's probably less than a pint of beer right now. It's about around there. So there you go. It helps us keep playing the games so you don't have to. And just like that, the shopkeeper said, enjoy this episode of Zapped to the Past. And welcome to episode 70 of Zap to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Mr. Graham Raddings. If you have not listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. Last week, we looked at our first batch of games from issue 32 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with, and were bounced by Boogie Boy, shook up by Street Hassle, and we coughed up a furball at Thundercats. This week, we conclude our look at the games in December 1987, along with what was lighting up our TV and cinema screens that month. Graham, tell us what we have going on in this episode. In this fancy airport executive lounge with an elaborate range of Danish pastries, self-service bacon and sausages, unlimited drinks, a dual-heated platter of baked beans and scrambled egg, every type of bread roll known to humankind, and the world's crappiest Wi-Fi of an episode. We head up some tricky towers on an aquatic demolition mission in the incredible Nebulous, yawn and click our way through five days of boring politics in the dreary Yes Prime Minister, and scoot around, under, through and beyond a complex network of scaffolding in the pretty but vacuous implosion. We also go on a quest for circuit board parts via the medium of minigame in the awkward Discovery, develop tension headaches as we stare at the dots and lines in yet another crappy vector-based shooter with X-15 Alpha mission, and dive into the bouncy 3D isometric world of puzzles and prisms in the tough but interesting zigzag. If that 19th coffee and 12th pastry hasn't hit your entry price to value for money quota, and you're thinking that 10 more sausage buns and 8 beers would be just the ticket for a short flight, we grab some mates and sneak around a creepy old house on the world's first point-and-click rescue mission in the mighty Maniac Mansion set about building some fancy spaceships for cash in the ultra-slow loading, and I really do mean slow loading, mind-numbing Earth orbit station, and deftly guide our bouncing, holidaying smiley faces to blocky safety in the clever Hyperblob. We also take three boring parts of the equally boring 21 levels in the boring Pirates in Hyperspace, zoom around yet another 360 scrolling collect-em-up grabbing energy pods for a head-first dive into the heart of a star, 
in Sunburst, before finally flexing our muscles, stepping into our Thai boxing shorts and exploring the ornate gardens of Thailand for a massive punch-up in the graphically impressive Bangkok Nights. While there are indeed some impressive games in this episode for sure, there are also some stinkers, like finding your luxury Christmas cracker gift was a comb when you're completely bald. What a rip-off. That's it. That's it. That's your that's your last lot of games that you're going to have to make fancy some fancy lady. <laughs> that's it, fan. Yeah, <laughs> fancy that. That you're going to have to make up some stuff for for 1987. This is it, isn't it? This is our last that's batch. It. That's it. This is it. After this, there's no more 1987. No, it's been erased from our erased from history. Exactly. And I, for one, welcome our new Ant overlords. <laughs> <laughs> so do I. Uh, um, but there's some interesting stuff for this week. Hopefully, we'll end on a high, creamy middle. Who knows? We'll. I don't know. Yeah. So. I, God, so next week, uh, awards. Awards. We started, how many episodes do it? It's 28, I think, 29. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a whopping load is what there is. <laughs> a, and some of it's been a massive load. Some yes, of- absolutely. Yeah, Some of it's been tedious beyond the realms of anything that could be called tedious. Yeah, indeed. But I'm sure we'll have more to say on that next week when we do our year yearly oh, roundup. There's going to be an exploration of some nightmarish <laughs> crap there. <laughs> there really also, good stuff. Good stuff. And so there has been some good stuff, yeah. Here and there. <laughs> Here and there. Well, speaking of good stuff, maybe. Should we get into our first game? Do it. Do it. Let's do it. All right, let's get into our first game. Because our first game is, this is the third, yeah, the third of the three gold medals this month. This is, of course, Nebulous. Nebulous. Not spelled as in the normal way, just N-E-B-U-L-U-S. There you go, Nebulous. And I'm just going to come out and say it. What a brilliant game this is. What a brilliant, brilliant game. I'm just, I'm just laying my cards on the table. There you go. Well, why, why do anything other, yeah? I mean, it's well known for being a good one. It's brilliant, this is. It's so simple. It's so simple, yet so frustrating, but so infuriatingly addictive. It's another great one from Houston, and it comes from the mind of one John M. Phillips, who's a coder so good, we'll see another of his games later on this episode. Um, and he Can't only did stopped. two. He only did two, <laughs> and they're both here in, in this episode. Kind of strange, but there you go. There's not much plot to Nebulous, as in, you know, great games don't generally need a great plot, but what there is is this. On the planet Nebulous, someone has been up to no good. They've been building towers on the ocean bed without permission. No planning permission. I just, there's a lot of things I can let go in my life, but building towers without planning permission on the ocean floor. Yeah, it's not, can't it's not be on. Sorry. It's not on, you know. Where's, you know. Informing the, the council. Absolutely. Have you had a, you know, is it structural, structural layouts uh, approved? Has someone come along and checked it on? No. Someone's just been building them. safe? Uh, abso- <laughs> absolutely. What's going on? You know, it's terrible. So, because of this, the council have sent in you, the destruction engineer, and you've been given the job of travelling from tower to tower and just demolishing all eight of them. There's eight, isn't there? Probably eight. Yeah, there's eight of them. Yes, eight. So, yeah, blowing up. you just got to destroy all eight of them. Like, you've built, yeah, thanks for building them, but we're just going to blow them up. And that's that. So that's your plot. So in order to do this, you simply just have to make your way up each tower you start at the bottom you climb the staircase that spirals around it because these are round towers you know these are they're not square towers they're round so they're like uh, giant chimneys that fred what's his name dibner Fred Dibner, the Fred guy, Dibner, yeah. the guy used to look like them. It's like them. Basically, this is Fred Dibner, the simulation. It's just occurred to me. God, <laughs> nebulous. Fred Dibner. Thank God simulator. they didn't release it as that. <laughs> That'd be dead funny, wouldn't it? Hey, I'm up this tower. It's got to blow it up. Fred Dibner's uh, nebulous. <laughs> There you go. Oh, who knew? So yeah, so the, the the staircase spirals around it until you reach the top, and that's it, really. You've just got to reach the top, and at the top there's a doorway, um, and you go in the doorway, and the tower is reduced, and that's it. There's nothing clever. Just climb the tower, demolish it. So why is this game so brilliant? It's just because the way is not simple, um, and there are a combination of obstacles to trick you and trip you up, um, and the, this combination is 
devilish in its frustrating i will make you make that noise so many times so many times as you slip off an edge you fall to your doom ah so let's start with these what what is this because the 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 pathway is made up of of white blocks uh and you can climb up at least if they're one so the white blocks and they'll go around and then you'll have steps you can climb up one step one height and you can move up them and up you go you play um this little character what what what, how do you describe it's like a little ball with legs and a big nose bounces up and down Uh, i don't know how else to describe it really he's a nebulous sort of amphibious isn't he yeah it's kind of froggy like or something but it's kind of it's kind of strange you don't have any arms so don't know how he eats kind of like a bird i guess just uh maybe maybe, he doesn't maybe he doesn't okay so as you go up these blocks some of them will crumble and that's annoying so on the very first level don't go right <laughs> when you very first start don't go don't You'll go right hard way <laughs> yeah don't go right in most games and that's the thing with this game is that in most games the mario platform games go right isn't it go right don't do that go left um you'll thank us so if they fall out from underneath you the, 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 the crumb box and you drop down the tower there are enemies to avoid the three types of enemies and they, they guard the tower and so the first type these are unkillable enemies and they move in like predictable patterns um and they must be avoided so they'll be moving up and down left to right around the tower and things like that you can't kill them um because uh, you can shoot um and it's a weird shot you kind of kick it at them out from out your feet it's like you kick a ball at them it's like a weird like a weird thing i don't know what exactly you're shooting at them but you can kick this ball at them but if you kick it these it won't kill them it'll just be destroyed there are other enemies though but you can kill um and they kind of home in on you when you get close and you need to kill them so you need to kick that kick, kick the ball at them and that will kill them and that's good so you can kill them then there are the enemies that come on from the sides of the screen and their their entry is heralded by a, a sort of alarm noise of um, and they come at you on on the level where you are. And these are random, um, so it's not always good. And they'll just start floating towards you, and you just got to get out of the way. You can't kill them. You just need to be above or below them when they go past you. Um, and uh, that's that's what you got to do. So they are quite a, quite a problem because normally what they'll what they will force you to do is force you to rush. <laughs> You'll speed up, and rushing in this game is bad. Don't rush. Fatal. Fatal. You usually end up dead or being knocked down the tower, and that's the problem with this. Um, any collision with anything doesn't actually kill you. Um, it just knocks you down the tower. So falling crumbling blocks, hitting at the enemies, it doesn't immediately kill you. It just knocks you down the tower. So why is that bad? I think that's right, isn't it? Everything just knocks you down the tower. It doesn't kill you. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't yeah. kill you outright. Yeah. So it didn't kill you outright. So that's a problem because if you drop down, there's no platform between you and the ocean bed. That's how you lose a life. And always collisions seem to happen in places where there's nothing down below (laughs) it it has this knack this game has a perfect knack of putting something you you try and rush past something it'll hit you and you'll be ah you'll knock down you think and and even worse than that is landing on the lip of a ledge because then you'll slip off it and you'll make that noise again (laughs) and you fall to your doom and you don't want that because um, you'll lose a life and you've only got three of them to complete the whole game. You can get extra lives though, but we'll come to that. Um, and so that's it. So you've got to climb these towers, avoid the enemies. There are lifts as well that will take you up and down. When you walk on them, if they if you're at the bottom, they'll take you automatically up. Um, some, then they'll they'll wait a bit, then they'll go back down. So you, you need to, you know, don't drop on them. That's bad. Um, usually you don't want to go there. Uh, there are also piles of bricks sometimes, piles of these sort of platforms which you need to sort of knock out the way. They'll collapse underneath you to avoid the way sometimes piles and they'll boil down there are also doors um, in the tower as well now walking through a door will take you through to the other side of the tower so the tower will rotate um, and you'll be at the other side and this is really useful because with the tower rotating it will speed up or slow down enemies that are floating towards you um, and allow you to avoid them so yeah 
you will die a lot. You will get frustrated a lot, but you'll keep coming back. You'll keep coming back to this for more because it's got that it's got that something this game, that indefinable addictive something that makes you just, you know, you lose a life but it's your fault. You genuinely die because it's your fault. Sometimes there's the odd thing where you go, oh, I could have avoided that, but most times you rushed, you tried to get up quicker, you did something and you, you know, you didn't take your time and you didn't use a bit of patience and that's why like the best games, you die because it's your fault generally. The screen, now, technically, this is a masterclass for the C64. It really is. From a visual, from a visual point of thing, you know, Mr. Phillips has just come along and just God knows where this has come from. Because the main the main screen, so the main game takes up most of the screen. There's the UI at the top, and the rest of the screen is filled with this underwater seascape, and it's beautiful. It's, it's lovely, and it's got this rotating tower. So you will always stay central in in the screen. So you're always dead center. But the tower it rotates in this 3D effect, but it's in 2D. I, I don't know how he's done it. It's so clever. It's it. I mean, you may know some more of the technical aspects behind it, but I haven't got a bloody clue how he's done this. It's just so clever as you work towards it and, and how all the enemies move and speed up depending on which way you're going round and all that. It gives this really clever sense um, of you know of 3D and 2D. I don't know, it's just really clever. It reminded me way down the line of a game called Fez. Did you ever play Fez? Do you remember Fez? Did you play Fez? Yeah, I played Fez. Fez is really good. It has a, there is a, a there is a hint of that, isn't there? Yeah, the way that Fez is 2D, but it's in that 3D. You can move the world around into you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. through sides and how it sort of works. So it reminds me, this, this kind of has a similar kind of effect. You don't rotate the world as much you do with Fez, but the, the the tower, the way it rotates, and it's very very clever. It's really really clever. The sprite work is also excellent. Your little character is amazing. It's lovely. It's just a gr- really cute little creature. Um, the animation on him is top notch. Little legs go in the way his eyes bounce up and down, and his nose bounces up and down as you walk. It's really it's full of character, and it's it's just it's just an ace little thing to control. The use of color in this is also excellent. It doesn't look like a C sixty four game at all. I don't think, or it looks like one where the, somebody's actually taken thought about well. There's more colours than brown and grey. It's really vibrant and it's a world away from the Yorkshire pudding simulators we see so often. So it has a really good sense of colour to this game. It's really bright. It's really It just feels it pops off the screen. As I said, the top of the screen is left for the UI. Um, and this gives, there's not much on there. There's your score, there's your number of lives. The main prominence in the UI is the timer. It's the time left to complete the level because that's the thing with this game. Every level has a timer. And should this run down to zero, you'll lose another life. And, and and that's the thing about this game. You've only got a certain amount of time to get to the top of the tower. That's the thing that causes you to rush. That's that's always the thing that causes you to die. But take your time, plan your moves. There's plenty of time to get to the top of the tower. You know, look for the traps, look for the trips. You will get there, but you won't because you'll die, because you'll rush, because you'll be running out of time and things like that. It's just, you know, it's one of those games. If you do manage to get to the top of the tower, then there's a really nice sort of the tower sort of shrinks downwards to the top. When you arrive at the tower, you arrive in your little submarine. You sort of swim up, there's sort of come up and thing, and you pop out. A little submarine comes up and the, the top of the submarine opens and you pop out when you destroy the tower you go back down to it t- top of the submarine pops back open again and you pop in and you there's a little mini game in between towers because you don't just go to the next tower you don't just appear at the next tower you actually drive your submarine um, underwater with a really ace parallax effect it, just a, a great everything about this game is, visually is, is amazing I love it and you you basically uh, drive your submarine from one tower 
to the next and you've got to shoot this fish comes spiraling at you and you have to shoot them with your bubble your bubble gun and so if you hit them they sort of stop and they're in a bubble of air and then if you go into them you, f- you drive into them you get extra points and this is really useful because that's how you want to pick up your extra lives that's you know this score bonus attack thing is where you get your extra lives and you really need them between ta- you know between to attack the next tower because you know what when you start getting to unknown towers and the tricks can trap the towers get taller the timer gets longer there's more stuff going on the enemies get more more frequent it gets harder you need those extra lives i think everything about this is just about perfect like I, I, the one thing i would say about this though is is the one thing i would have taken from qdex as we played it i'd like to have seen it allowed you to practice towers you know rather than having to go through it one to eight in order every time because it's really hard <laughs> I find it's really hard and frustrating. And if you're but perfectly good with it, it's a it's a balance. But being able to sort of attack the towers and sort of try and understand them before having that go at I'm going to do them all now in one big go. Because remembering them all, remembering all eight is you know, takes some doing. Because yeah, it's a game that will frustrate you at every turn almost. But you'll learn from each mis- misstep, each rush for a safe ledge, each towel that falls out from underneath you, and you'll make it further next time. Every time you'll try, but then having memory of all eight towers in you in your head. That's I'm doing I, I never completed this but i still love it even though it is hard and it is frustrating but there's something about this game that is just a, it's great it's amazing for me it's this is a worthy gold medal i can't can't fault them 97 percent it got and absolutely deserves every every single one of those it's it's further proof i mean it's it, it's technically amazing but it's that simple idea climb a tower done well and it shows you all you need for a great game and the stunning visuals and the presentation they don't hurt either but it's that core simple idea done perfectly is why this is uh, one, another one of the C64's crown gems as far as I'm concerned. What about you? Uh, it's easily one of the best isn't it and possibly most infuriating games ever made this i always like nebulous i i think it's an amazing game it's great that it's also on the c64 max and mini as well so yes so sort of play it there it's something special nebulous from the opening and the music and everything else and the interstitials because everything has got something about it and the magic about it in this game right through to the amazing game the towers that infuriating gameplay and dynamics it's all it's infuriating but like you like you said it's 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 hard but it also makes you think right i'm gonna have a go and this time i'm gonna go left instead of right and things like that <laughs> yes it's very easy to get into and work through i mean it doesn't take a lot of skill to pick up how to do it which is one of the key things about this game and it contains just the right mechanics to keep you interested so there's not too much you're not getting bombarded with loads of bees you know, wasps type things flapping and flapping around which would made would have made this game impossible or more impossible yeah uh, so you're not getting bothered by continuous enemies and not in that way that some of the other games are obviously there's the there's the noise when you hear the noise you know that when you play this game you'll know the noise that did noise as soon as you hear that you're like uh-huh. oh no and like you said it's really just designed to sort of panic you into making a decision about whether you're going to go through that door now when you're going to go through the door and wait till it gets near you when you're going to go up when you're going to go down or whatever i mean really this is i suppose kind of a real clever version of snakes and ladders in some ways but there's clever little touches throughout the whole thing instead of always getting killed by the enemies like you said you get knocked off your perch which just costs you time and often a place and you think oh i've got to go all the way back up then you've got to remember your route that you yes. took as well which is yep. you know so it's a voyage of discovery sometimes and you've got timing obviously and you've got jumping and because you can jump as well and you've got things to solve oh yeah yeah you can jump yeah because some, sometimes you go on a you'll go up and you think i can't get to that bit yet so you have but you have to sort of walk around shoot the things then go back around the tower the other way and to go through a door and and it's all you know certain parts of it involved in sort of thinking about that but you've got to figure all this stuff out and remember it because if you get knocked down you've got to go back through the whole thing again so the pace is about right you're not skidding out of control are you? you know the, the pace of the character is really clever because it's exactly exactly correct 
Yes, yeah. So you're not, you're neither running too fast and got some crappy inertia effect, which means you're flying off the tower, nor um, is it so fast that you can't sort of get to grips with it. It's just the right. And you said the same about Solomon's Key. You know, everything's just about one one block away in the way yes. you jump, the way you walk. It's yeah. got that kind of pace. And that works. That really works. So my feeling was, and it was the same now as it was back then, someone sat down, or someone, the game designer, sat down and really thought about how to make this game. They didn't just sort of go, you know, I'm going to make a tower game today and it's probably going to have this. They really sat and plan this out because each one of those towers is perfectly designed and they get they do get more difficult as they go as well mm-hmm. the tower rotation effect is absolutely incredibly clever I mean it really is clever and it works so well and it's such a clever use of combination of sprites multiplexing and character animations in there it's just mind boggling and there's actually a really good video by a really good YouTuber that I like called Shaylin who does an entire C64 series on how to make games and 6502 assembler and amazing three hour long deep dives into all sorts of C64 code tips and tricks and all those kind of things. He's actually done a, a series called Let's Dissect a Commodore 64 game. And one of those C64 games he dissects, and bear in mind, he literally takes this a game apart, code line by code line, explores how they did it. One of those games is Nebulous. And I'd recommend everybody, I'll put the link in the show notes, go and watch that video. It's about three hours long, which shows you how complex this is, but he really does take you right through the code. It's incredible to watch and, and, and amazing to see how they did it. And you won't believe how they did it in the true Halloween three cents. Um, <laughs> it's not powered with gravy. So this blows my mind, even to this day. It blows my mind at how slick and how smoothly this game really runs. I was straight back in the zone. I mean, I assume you were as well. I mean, I yeah. just went straight back to it. As soon as I heard that sound, I was like, oh, that, that chirping sound. As soon as you hear it, you know that the enemy that's going to come at you floating exactly at your level. And they have a knack of appearing at the exact wrong moments as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if it's if you hesitate, they appear, or if they just appear at random. I don't know. But either way, it's bloody annoying. And I think they actually give, perhaps the, that particular enemy gives the liquor ships a run for their money in the annoying enemy awards. Because... <laughs> Because, you know, Maybe. they don't, they don't, they don't stick to you and drive you mad, but they just have a knack of knocking you off your perch just at the exact wrong moment. I got to the top of Tower 3, and all you've got to do when you get to the top is literally go through the door, rotate and run to the right and go through the other door. Yeah. And just as I got there, it was, and I was just as I was trying to make it to the door, it came and knocked me off my perch. I'm like, damn you. You rushed. You rushed. That's just, it created that panic. So it's got a really great, as you said, graphics here are genuinely amazing. Very next gen looking, considering this is an 8-bit platform. And it's did come out on other platforms. And the graphics ante wasn't up that much. It's the Commodore 64 really showing its power here to do what the games can do really well. Really well-drawn sprites. The the sprites in the mini game are really good. The big submarine and the, like you say, the parallax effects is really clever. You've got to shoot the little fish, haven't you? And collect the bubbles and stuff and get for bonus points and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The really good sound effects in this. I love the sort of Eastern feel to the terms, you know, so, you know, it's really good in the way they've done the sounds and everything else. Really good mixed up puzzles, gameplay, mechanics and difficulty. And the best thing of all is that even though that this game will annoy the living crap out of you, you're going to keep coming back. You'll be back. You'll be back. <laughs> I think this is one of the top 10 games on the platform on the C64 by a mile. This is easily in the top 10. It could be even higher than that. But if you had to assemble a top 10 of games to say to somebody, here's 10 games, go and play these. Nebulous has got to be in there. It's got to be. And it's a worthy, worthy for the finally, a game worthy of its gold medal. Yeah, absolutely totally I mean it's going to be absolutely brilliant this is certainly going to be in the discussion for best game I feel next week yeah absolutely it's an amazing game Nebulous and it even now stands the test of time how good it actually is simple idea done well yeah and we're going to come we're going to see a bit of that in this episode I think but what a game to start on boom yeah yeah Nebulous awesome awesome stuff I love Nebulous. It's so good. And it, like you said, yeah. straight in, straight in, start playing. And it's, you just know, climb the yeah, tower. You know, it's that you simple know. thing. Climb go the tower. Up. Um, <laughs> yeah, go up. Don't go right. 
Don't go don't right. Don't fall down, yeah. And when you when you do fall through a thing, you're like, oh, such a low, it feels like such a low ball when you go across a thing and you think one of them's going to be disappear and I'm going to fall into the water and it does and you're like, oh, I'll just have to remember next time to not do that. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Bloody annoying. But, yeah, great stuff. Brilliant with it. There we go. Nebulous. We loved it. We still love it. Brilliant. Brilliant. Awesome. Let's move along. Hopefully we'll love our next one just as much. And Graham, you've got that next one. Enter... <laughs> you enter the world of yes prime minister 15 quid for this <laughs> 15 quid let's just lay it on the table in today's money that's three thousand pound in it <laughs> you've got 38 percent in zap perhaps the well well let's just look at the game so this is from mosaic publishing as far as i could ascertain i think there's there might have been a different publisher but that's the one i found that was that's listed for this and it was yeah. programmed by john wood richard yap and richard horrocks i felt like getting kicked in the horrocks but richard horrocks <laughs> then did it according to the inlay for this a week is a long time in politics try surviving just five days as prime minister you are jim hacker the nation's number one so you're the nation's number one the prime minister and this is but obviously based on the yes prime minister sorry yes minister and yes prime minister tv series which came about before this so this is a the game of the tv show and when that that tv show for the people don't have a clue what i'm talking about was a political satire show in the mid to late 80s early 90s i think around that time something like that Mm -hmm. so in this game you decide the strategy you make the decisions crises crises will occur and it will be up to you to resolve them using all the flair, charm and intellect which the British public has come to associate with you. As ever, you will receive the support, sympathy and respect of two loyal civil servants, Bernard Woolley, your private secretary, and Sir Humphrey Appleby, the cabinet secretary. Bernard will often try and provide a diplomatic edge to your more precipitate decisions. Humour him as he is really trying to help. As for loyal Humphrey, you will have to judge where his loyalties lie. Take note of his advice, but remember that civil servants are occasionally economical with the truth. Your performance as an international statesman and national leader will be closely monitored. Only you can and ensure that week does not end in parliamentary chaos and scandal. Don't forget that diplomacy is about surviving until the next century. Politics is about surviving until the end of the week. So in this game, then you play as obviously play as the British Prime Minister Jim Hacker, as we said. You start out with a fifty percent approval rating, and you've got to work over a five day period to improve that and improve your status in the polls. The player obviously is aided by, as we said, with the uh, sec- civil servants that work with you, and the game is basically essentially played through conversations between you and the other characters, such as Humphrey and Bernard, and also selecting different responses from dialogue options, as well as looking at different outcomes and getting messages, and very similar to the way that the Fourth Protocol worked in that kind of idea. So you sort of play this from a desk view and then you've got a kind of an icon finger thing and finger pointer thing and you can sort of check different things the finger uh, come to that (laughs) give this game the finger um so obviously most of your gameplay takes place in your office so that has such tasty items as an intercom you can tell when this was made Um, an intercom (laughs) a telex machine some telephones obviously two telephones Mm. so when it rings obviously you've got to answer that you've got to keep track of the time because you'll get you'll look for it you'll get information which is about appointments where you have to be in a certain place it's again it's very similar the way it plays the fourth protocol in that way in a couple of other games it reminded me of that god awful detective game as well that we saw where you couldn't actually solve the crime oh there's no way to solve it yeah yeah, it reminded me a little bit of that and the kind of the look of it because it's got a kind of a monotone it reminded me of the the good detective game we played yeah in some ways I suppose just it just reminded me that's the viewpoint i suppose not so much the uh, the gameplay yeah. but the view yeah 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 so you've got other duties of course you've got to read memos that come into the office you've got to, you get poll numbers and you've got a safe you can access which is hidden behind the union jack so <sighs> um yeah you've basically got to get through those those five days you, you actually play each of the five days out with a kind of icon text adventure style approach each day things happen so appointments decisions on policy specific items to decide you choose and do so 
certain tasks and those outcomes will either adversely or positively affect your ratings and so the game goes on. And your assistants will actually try and guide you with either Eithbelt or Bernard Woolley specifically had a distinct sardonic tone all the way through to help you make the right or wrong choices. And you'll get often get asked dilemma questions. I can't think of a really good example of Tom because there's quite a lot in here, but you'll get things like, um, there's a new feminist movement. Do you want to A, send them a box of chocolates or B, you know, that, that kind of thing. And you sort of choose from the outcome of those things and they, they kind of play out over the sort of days of the game. And then obviously that affects or doesn't affect your outcome. So essentially that's how you sort of the game plays out. You're looking at the game from a kind of a, like I said, from a desk-based view, and you're kind of sort of navigating the space. It's not very well drawn, I have to say. It's quite, <laughs> even from the opening title screen was this crappy line drawing. It's not very good. And it shouts, I'm not sure what this was built on and whether this has come from, because uh, it's also I noticed out on the BBC Micro, so I don't know whether this was a BBC game turned C64 game or how, whichever route it took. But it didn't look very good, which is telling me that it probably started out started out life on something with less memory and less graphic capabilities than a C64. So you'll work your way through all of these different events. Some of the events kind of supposedly happen randomly, I suppose, and certain in the day. So you, you might get, you know, you've got might have to do an interview with the BBC or you might have to make a speech or you might have to choose certain options on a speech. And you get sort of, um, occasionally a graph appears, a hackergram, um, and you've got to sort of position your cursor over the most suitable point in order to indicate your answer and that kind of thing. So you get, it's just making decisions really a lot of this game, making decisions about an outcomes and whether that's going to you know, affect you or not. So I don't like the Yes Prime Minister or Yes Minister. I've never watched it. And it's not my cup of tea. A political satire didn't really reach me until the thick of it, which is another TV show. So I don't really get on with this particular game at all. I don't I didn't have an affinity or knowledge of any of the characters. None. I mean, I'd, I'd heard of the TV show and I'd seen clips of it on TV, and I just it was just one great big joke that I never got to me, never appealed to me. But um, I wasn't particularly political as a teenager, so this had literally no interest in me. This is almost the equivalent of that boring election game, and like, I have no interest in politics really. Anyway, certainly not at that age. Nor would I want to play five days as the prime minister. And even in this idea of satire. I think satire only works visually when you've got characters that are looking satirical and, and adopt a tone of voice and have a certain way of looking and a certain... And that, that comedy is... Uh, Prime Minister, yes, Prime Minister is often based on kind of a look or timing and all of those comedic elements which simply do not work in a game and certainly not in this game. So because I never watched the TV show, none of the characters had any kind of currency with me anyway. But okay, let's let's look at it as a fresh experience. The actual game itself did play like a kind of a dull version of the fourth protocol for me in that you're just going around clicking on things and trying to sort of wait for things to happen. I mean, I suppose it plays okay if you like that kind of thing. There's lots of notes and memos and there's lots of moving your pointers slowly around and things like that, which is quite frustrating because it's so boringly slow. It's not exciting. And nor maybe this could this game should there's, there's two things for me that this game should have been. It should have been funny and it's not. And it should have been um, more interesting to play and it's not. What you are is just clicking on things and reading stuff. And, and if you don't find any of that funny and you won't do because if, if it says... Um, something like uh, Bernard is looking at you in a stern way. It's not going to have your side split him in laughter, is it? Um, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work because you need to visually see the people in the show. The whole point of this is lots of it, a lot of it's based around their inter- interactions and reactions to each other and the sort of stark contrast between the sort of sly smartness of one character and the dumbness of the other characters. And because you don't get any of that, this isn't going to work. So without that frame of reference and without that comedic interjection and without all of those things, this is just a pointless click on things and stuff might or might not happen game based around a political satire of a time which nobody cares about anymore on a show that isn't even on anymore and one that I never watched anyway. So I think <laughs> for me, this is a great big switch off, but this is probably if there are 
if you were a fan of Yes, Prime Minister and happened to want to live that life and you, if you could visually see the characters and they, and in that way, when you read the dialogue of this, you could sort of capture that in your mind and see how it could play out. If you're that kind of person, you really like this show, maybe this is something for fans like that. Maybe who, people who know it really well and go, oh, yeah, this is hilarious. Watching when, when Bernard dropped that souffle on the carpet and, you know, it was, it was the Prime Minister's favourite rug. I don't get those kind of jokes. It's lost on me, but maybe, you know, that maybe people's sides were splitting in the early 80s, late 80s with that. Interestingly, one of the writers for this was actually one of the show writers, Anthony Jay. He provided input into the game. So it was actually partly written by a person that wrote the TV show. So must be something in that, I suppose. But this is a no Prime Minister for me. What about you? <laughs> it's, it's worth it. That's what I've <laughs> My last sentence of this, I'm afraid, this is definitely a no Prime Minister for me. <laughs> Absolutely. I am one of those people. I loved uh, Yes Prime Minister and Yes Minister before it. That was three seasons on BBC Two and then it turned into Yes Prime Minister, which ran for a further two seasons. I, I would watch this every week back in back in the 1980s i loved it i thought it was really funny i still find it really funny because the, the if you, you the, the, the situations and the way that they go around stuff is so pertinent to modern politics it's almost like it could be written for today just substitute the clothes and you'd have it would it would still work in, in that you know a bit more it's not like you said it's not like the thick of it where every other word is an expletive this is more of a erudite My cup of tea, satirical that. um yeah Probably. Uh, however, it's all lost in this. I mean, the first thing that the problem with this is that the main the main play screen, it's so brown. And I do mean so brown, so brown and yellow, but mainly so brown. I know that decor was a lot of wood decor in the 80s. Wood panelled. But they don't have to go this this brown. And you're moving that that bloody hand around the screen it's so slow we, we saw this in i mean it's the same interface or it should have been the same interface as killed until dead um because killed until dead is essentially based around behind a desk you do the game is played out from behind that desk and you see stuff and you do stuff and you ring people up you talk to them and you watch stuff and whatever it's the same thing this is the, until the same thing but they've decided to give you a free roaming hand now it's not the worst free roaming cursor we'll see in this episode but it's perhaps it's it's a close second um and it just it's slow and boring and dull in it why does it need to scroll just fit it all on one screen um and flick from bit to bit it's all you need um i, I it, it's it's written okay i mean down way down the line these kind of visual novel type things will become you know very popular at this point not so much so we saw this i would liken this to more like the adrian mole game um that we played through as well because it's, it's that kind of like you get some text from a funny thing that was funny in another media and you have to select an option so that that's where I would go this. But this is just really dull, like you said. It, and uh, you need... I mean, when I was playing it, I could kind of hear the voices in my head. But it's in the delivery. It's in the timing. It's comedy. It's what we said about, you know, um, how to be a complete bastard, whatever it was last week. That comedy's in the timing. And when it's just written, it's hard to hard to get that through properly. And so, no, this was a big turnoff. I just, you know, I'd like this. The title screen, by the way, is based on the way that the uh, credits for the show, they were drawn out with pencil each week. So it, it I has, remember them now, yeah. Still crap on this, though. Yeah, it's not great, but that's what that's what they sort of, this is alluding to. That's what it was. So they've, they've gone for a look of the uh, thing, and I'm not a big fan of these digitized images that they sort of are using in some C64 games of the people from the show. They kind of look, but you have to really squint. It's like, that Bernard? Is that Bernard? But, you know, as you rightly know, it's 50 quid as well it's a lot of money isn't it oh. for the tape version it's not the disc version it's the tape version and it's, it's really expensive. slow as well to go from day to day um, it does plod it's really boring and slow so no nah, this was another and it's a license it's just a pointless license drawn out in brown and yellow 
So <laughs> just the no. two worst colours to draw anything in. I know, and it's all it's all this thing uses brown and bloody yellow and some grey every now and again. No, nah, I didn't like this. And like I said, I, I do like Yes Prime Minister, but so it, for you know full reference for those uh, people you might have think this this was for for people who like Yes Prime Minister and may want to give this a go. No, no, we don't like it. We don't. I'm speaking for my kind. We don't. This is rubbish. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you you said it right. No, 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 Prime Minister. <laughs> no, no, just go away. There we go. That's that one. What a fall from grace after Nebulous. Oh well, here we go. You can't win them all. You certainly didn't win that one. No. Let's move on. Let's move on to to our next one. And our next one is uh, it's a full price, another full price game. It's scored fifty seven percent. This is Im implosion implosion not explosion implosion this music sounds suspiciously like mission ad to you uh, similar it was similar is it fred gray it is <laughs> yeah this uh, sounds similar yeah so when it came on i was like this sounds like mission ad anyway implosion right so this is a, a it's a fast and technically pretty impressive 360 degree blaster that unfortunately is really confusing to play it is a bit it's really confusing it was coded by joe booth and he will go on to do the conversion of star wars so we've got that coming soon um and it has graphics by john cassells and as i noted music by fred gray an artificial planet is on collision course with earth it's an artificial planet who makes them who makes artificial planet it's either a planet or it's not it's the macrothians they do it they do i know but if something's big enough to be a planet it's big enough to be a planet oh, you're raising difficult to answer questions again <laughs> have i gone all philosophical on us when is a planet not a planet exactly <laughs> when it's fake well this art- yeah when it's a fake planet with a white dwarf at the heart of it i'm just going to switch off right now <laughs> don't ask me why would what Eh? Uh, anyway, obviously this is bad news for Earth because <laughs> an artificial planet with a white dwarf is heading towards it. So you've been sent to destroy this with a fleet of three spaceships, um, and so to blow this up and stop it happening and save Earth once again. It's that. It's it's a it's a plot. It's a sci-fi nonsense plot to wrap around whatever this game design is. So as I said, it's a three de- three hundred and sixty degree shooter. Um, although it's, I think you can only move in the eight directions, so it's kind of an eight way shooter. So it has you playing on two levels. So it's top three hundred sixty degrees. Think zed and stuff like that parallax all those kind of things so you've got bigger sprite and you can flip between these two levels there's these two grids that sort of exist and you can flip between them by pressing the space bar and you can go above or below them so pressing it once i think you start on top pressing it once will take you below them and you fly underneath it pressing it again brings you back up to the top uh, you've got to be in some space to do that because there's a the little flippy animation sort of flips upwards and the sprite shrinks or grows depending on whether you're coming closer or going further away and the point of all this is this these grids there are energy spheres um on these grids and you have to destroy them all if you destroy all these energy spheres uh, and you progress through these seven levels you go and you head on to the final i never got this far so i'm just going from reviews you get onto the trench system to destroy the white dwarf and this made me think trench trench system maybe is that why you got the star wars gig i never saw it but maybe maybe yeah it could easily be couldn't it yeah, because there's the trench flying along that. So anyway, on each level, so you start at level one, uh, you've got to destroy this, these energy spheres, as I said. They're, they're all linked on these grids. And if you destroy them all, this causes the grid to collapse, uh, opens a portal for, uh, through which you can fly to the next level. So what this means is there's a lot of flying in all directions, and you've got to shoot these things. They're on these grids. And, and, and to be fair, <laughs> that's really about as far as I got. I ended up yelling. My partner came in, um, asked me what I was yelling at while I was playing this because I was I didn't understand what was happening. I couldn't, and, and I'll I don't I still don't fully understand. And I've looked around, and a lot of people are saying the same thing because this is about as far as I got. I just kept dying, and that's it. So th- 
let's 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 look at the positives. I mean, that that's there's not much more to this. You fly around, you try and survive. You don't. That's it. I like the main sprite and the scaling that happens. You flip between layers. The scrolling's nice and fast and smooth. And the main graphics, the grids, are, they, everything looks nice. It looks the part. But I had a look at the instructions, which were of no help. They just said avoid the grid. But there are two grids. <laughs> like, uh, what? <laughs> which don't, one? Don't. don't. <laughs> and I, I just and flying around, I just kept losing health. My health bars were just seemingly going down for no reason. And then I was dead. I blew up. And then it was game over. And I was never quite sure what the hell I was supposed to be accomplishing and playing it. I was shooting stuff. Stuff was blowing up. But I was just losing energy. And it was... And you... Because the, there's no gaps in the grids. or well, there are, but they're not enough of them. So you, you can't avoid the grid. And you're on two levels. So which level am I avoiding the grid on? I just kept losing... I just watched my energy bar at the bottom just going down for reasons I couldn't work out. And even when I was not being attacked, because there's random enemies that just sort of come on in these weird, these sort of wibbly-wobbly waves, these sort of spirally waves that come on. You can shoot them. But I was just still losing enemies and then dying. And, and, and I, I don't, no one needs that. Just I need to understand what's going on. For me, this would have been much clearer because when you shoot these uh, energy spheres, they kind of blow up and these, I, I don't know what you call them, like power. You can, you can fly into these little sort of uh, shrapnel bits that fly off them. And if you fly into them on the lower level, they exist on the lower level, you get some of your energy back. Some of them. Some of them I was flying into, but nothing was happening. I don't know. The, the, the instructions explain none of this. And so I really couldn't figure out what the hell I was supposed to be doing. For me, if you uh, yeah, have to shoot, have things to shoot on the lower and upper levels and energy spawning on both and then it would have been easier to understand have the danger come from the enemies that try and swarm you and you've had a, a typical shooter trying to be clever with this weird stuff and having your person's energy going down for a reason that is not immediately understandable or even not immediately but understandable 10-15 minutes after playing it you know, and, and about the 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th go where I'm like I don't tried different things read the instructions looked at this watched a playthrough on, on YouTube and I still don't understand because the UI at the bottom and the UI at the bottom is confusing it shows you score and, and there are two energy banks which I didn't understand I don't know if you did but I'm not sure which was which and it just made it more confusing <sighs> so I, I found this very frustrating to play however however there's a there's a, there's a message from the guy who made this um, on uh, Joe Booth on Lemon 64 in the write-up for this. And he says he was only 16 when he made this. So that's pretty impressive, actually. So fair play to him. If he's only 16 and he's made this, all right, it's his first game and... But technically, this is really, really, it's really impressive. Technically, it's just it don't play very well. It's just illogical ideas that are hard to manage. Because I did, and I did want to like this because it does look nice and it sounds good. But when I keep dying and I can't figure out why, no, it just made me want to turn it off because I just I didn't. Maybe you understood it better than I got my head around it, but I could not figure this out for for the life of me. And I tried and I tried and I tried, but it it made no sense to me. What about you? Did you get Did you get on with this? Um, I thought it looked good. I mean, the graphics look really nice. The title screen was nice. Graphics look good in the game. No, that all that was all good. There was no denying the technical aspects here. The crazy speed, multi-directional scrolling, good enemy sprites, decent backgrounds with, the, like you say, with depth. It all looked apart. Decent sounds and music as well. And it controlled pretty well. You know, all of those things, all good, all thumbs up, five stars, tick, tick, tick. Well done, yay. Unfortunately, it was incomprehensible. <laughs> um, and perhaps, and, I, and I've actually made a point, I thought, it, I found it easy and dull. And I'm not sure, I think that's because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So I didn't really seem to be doing much. It felt like there was, it felt, it was another example where they're giving the player more than challenge. It was just kind of endless harassment. And I think that's because I didn't know what I was really meant to be doing to avoid yeah. that. So it all looked apart, but there wasn't really any game that I could get into to sort of figure out. I kept finding myself flying under the network structure just some, somehow I was, I was on the next level down and then just blew up. I'm like, how did I even get down there? And I'm not sure what I did to do it. 
I don't know if it was part yeah. of it or not. I'm, I'm not sure if I was meant to go down there and do something, but when I, I whenever I popped back up to the top, I had a blow up all on the route, but I was I was pretty sure that the top level was where most of the action was happening. I don't know what was happening down there. I'm not sure what purpose it served, and and it's more un, it was always unintentional. I just kind of suddenly found myself below the sort of top layer thing, and I'm like, why am I in there again? I thought, well, I'm dead anyway, no matter what. Now, so it looked good, sounded all right, really good coding, amazing that this is a 16 year old. I mean, that is really clever stuff going on in there. But the game itself. Well, what was it? I don't know what to make of it. I don't know that there was anything in there that really felt like coherent game design. It just felt like lots of technical things thrown in. And somebody said, have you thought about a game with this? And it's like, oh, well, no, not really. Uh, just collect stuff and shoot stuff. I don't know, shoot things. When I think about it and you go up and down and underneath and above the grid, it's parallax, isn't it? It's the steam parallax because that, that you go up yeah. and down, don't you? But yeah, that, yeah, that, 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 that has that a feel. point and, and there's, that's that's the difference, isn't it, I guess? Well, I think it, like, what it is for me was it clearly is a shoot, it meant to be a shoot em up. I think if it had just stuck to being a shoot em up, it might have worked. There's a lot yeah. of games like this. I have to say, we've, you know, we've played quite a few like it. So, but it was, it was a more serviceable version of that. But at full price for something like this, there's, there's other 360 games. You know, when these have been around a while, I mean, we've been playing these kind of 360 scrolling games since way back when with the Chris Butler one that we played. Yeah, Hyper, hyper Circuit and exactly. Like so that. And so exactly. So there's nothing really new about this, but this did up the ante on some of its technical prowess. But the game was just, I'm not sure. It's a bit bit scrambled for me, a bit of scrambled egg. So, you know, and I like, I like my eggs poached, boiled maybe, but I don't really go for scrambled egg. No, I so, don't like, uh, I don't like find, uh, cutting into my egg and finding a white dwarf at the centre of it. That always turns me off. And just don't play with the laws of physics in that way. You know, a white dwarf is a star. It's not going to sit in the middle of a planet because it would explode and vaporise in seconds. <laughs> yeah. Even so an artificial planet. No, you couldn't. Yeah, you, it's not going to happen, is it? It's just silly. Just silly words thrown in to sound big and interesting. And there was yeah. a white dwarf at the centre of that planet. I'm like, really? You are a gibberish talking buffoon. <laughs> So no, I don't. I don't go for that kind of thing. That just shouts that you know that nobody thought about that. They just that's bolted on afterwards. Oh, we need a story. I don't know. We put a star in a planet or something. I don't know because that sort of is as much of the idea of the game as you get. Yeah. No, I really like that title screen on Implosion. I've, I've, I swear I've seen it in something else. I wonder if I've seen it in a demo as well. But it's really good. That all of the graphics I really liked in this game. It's just a pity that the game itself was. I don't know. I don't know really what to make of that. I didn't quite. I'm not, I think I got somewhere, but I couldn't tell you what it was I was doing, how I got there, or why. I feel sure I should be able to do those things if I'm playing a game. It, I, th- I think it just it belies the age of the guy who made it. Really, it's just maybe. You know, my first maybe. game, and, yeah. but but fair play to the guy. And clearly, yeah, yeah. I no, mean, if he gets, I mean, he gets the Star Wars, I mean, the Star Wars game comes out quite soon, so he's only mm. 16, 17 doing the Star Wars license. That must be like job That's of crazy. a lifetime. I thought crazy Star Wars stuff. was done by someone else, but never mind. Well, according to Eleven Sixty Four, he's he's down for it. Crazy. Just Clever, clever stuff. The Domark. He's one of the coders on it, along with a couple of others, but yeah, it'll come to that though when we get to it. There we go, implosion. It looks great, looks the part, but God knows what's going on. Let's move on, we've got a couple left. We got a couple left. A couple left. We uh three left yep. actually. Three. I don't know what we've got left. Anyway, yeah. So let's move on to our next one. Graham, Discovery. Voyage of Discovery, isn't it? The Voyage of Discovery, yes. Uh, so this is a uh, 9.95 game from CRL. I don't know the names of the people that coded this because they didn't think to put their names in it anyway. It just says CRL, so we'll just have to assume that it's CRL. Colin, Roger, and Lee. Yeah, probably them. And it's uh, 77% in Zap. So in space, somewhere, a spaceship has been drifting for 2,000 years. 2,000 long years. The ship is all in one piece. Good stuff. 
but missing a vital circuit board whose components have been, for reasons, scattered across <laughs> the ship's surface. We played a game that said this kind of story before. Um, I forget what it was called, but we played another one that sounds very similar to that story where the, sh- the surface of the ship needed you to explore it anyway. Yeah. Your mission then is to fly in your mini spacecraft over the ship and find all these all-important missing components. To do this, you need to discover the 12 entry ports, which are handily numbered 1 to 12, and then you can enter them. This will allow you to participate in some mini games that will, should you complete them, gift you parts for the circuit board. The games vary, but seem to be variants of Centipede, Solitaire, Breakout, and a few others, which are more odd. All of them are against the clock anyway, so you have a limited time to finish them, and if you fail, you get nothing, and back to the surface of the ship you go, with your tail between your legs. You can then only enter another port, as the one you have just left is blocked temporarily, so if you fail at 12, then you can't go back and try it again, you've got to go and do 11, then come back to 12. As you fly around looking for ports, you will get attacked by the ship's defences, who buzz around you like angry wasps. and shoot at you to drain your shields. It's one of those games where they're just going to bug the crap out of you by flying around and annoying you. Yeah, should come with a should we come with a fly swatter? If your shields uh, happens to be drained completely, you're a goner. However, each completed mini port game will replenish your shield. Ace. So mm. uh, that's the game. Flying around, go to the ports, avoid the wasps, and try and complete the mini games in order to get the parts for the circuit board. Yay! Graphics here are okay. On the outside of the spaceship, um, it, I thought that was quite decent actually. And the main game sprites on that part seemed well, reasonably well crafted. All looked spaceshipy. You know, this grays yeah. and ton- tonal spaceships, all good. Sound of the music was okay it's not going to blow your mind but it was all right it's okay and the scrolling was good no real bugs that i encountered in that bit the mini games well that's a bit more hit and miss <laughs> i felt like the controls were lagging in some of them and when i say lagging really annoying and lagging which hindered my ability to play them the way i wanted so the joystick controls seem nippy and responsive when you control your ship outside of the mini games inside it suddenly gets ploddy and quite stilted and quite jolty and which may be part and parcel of the sort of dynamics of those mini games some in some instances but i found that that most often than not it just annoyed me um the main window of the game is the sort of two-thirds of the screen the bottom part is your ui which shows your progress your time and shield status and your score the style of the game is that kind of base release style which we've seen a million times but a tad more subtle and with a few colors but it still seems reliant on the grays uh, but i suppose <laughs> it's it's what you describe as generally okay it's all medium res of course but that doesn't doesn't actually hinder the outside play just the mini games all seem less graphically adept and a lot of them more basic and they're not that much fun some of these versions this is a bit like a crappy minter game um so minter did a multi-game which is way better than this i didn't really like that but it was way better than this because it was kind of in your face crazy and the games are mental this is a kind of an idea around that but none of the games are really that good the breakout game was really lame really <laughs> slow and lame it's just really naff it's like a multi-ball breakout but it's just really slow and then it sort of speeds up at the wrong moment and you just think i don't want to finish this crappy thing <laughs> And then there was another one which was a bit like where he had to run around a sort of maze and follow the lines on a maze. It's just crap. I was like, oh, this is dull. This is like going to an an arcade, thinking that you're going to play OutRun and all the fancy new games back in the day. When you get there, you've got (laughs) Pac-Man. And you've got, you know, a couple of uh, broken <laughs> space invaders. You're like, oh, is there anything new? Have you got anything decent? They're like, no, no, mate, no. Go on, go on, slot, you know, penny slots. So you just like, so the minigames are kind of old style. And if you're going to do these old style minigames, do them really well. But they don't here. They're kind of in a mini screen as well. I just didn't enjoy them. So it was promising from the outside, but the minigames didn't hold any interest for me. I've seen better shooters, the compilation shooters of this type, including the Minter one. And so this wasn't my cup of tea. I'd rather go and play. And this is saying a lot for me. I'd rather go and play the Jeff Minter multi-game that we played. This is distinctly meh. I don't think it deserved 77% for me. Maybe for its graphics and sound, it got a half decent sort of three quarter base review, but I just 
found the mini games tedious and quite frustrating and dull. Um, especially the one there was one in particular where I was like a multicolored block thing, and I had to sort of shift the puzzle pieces to follow make the pattern. And it's just you know you you sort of you find yourself moving the joystick, and it's like click click click, press the button, click <laughs> click, move the thing, and like oh this is so. And you get to clock remember, so you, know, you need it to move, you need it to respond quicker to the joystick control when it's times against when it's against the clock. Think about Nebulous. If every time you was playing Nebulous and you move the joystick, and it was like oh, all right, I'll move in a minute, and I'm not going to. You know, it's none of that. <laughs> so I thought no, it just it, it wasn't no discovery I wanted to be on. So no thanks. Um, full price as well. Again, it's a lot of money for a game with lots of old games in it. Okay, Classics had four games, and that was only two quid. So I don't know. What do you think? Um, I'm completely, I'm absolutely completely 180 percent the opposite to you. Weird. Um, I actually didn't like the flying around shooting bit, but I actually liked all the mini games. <laughs> weirdly Weird. enough, um, yeah, because I thought the variety of them was quite good. I, I got into quite a few of them and was digging it about. It was uh, traveling from one to one to the other that just annoyed me. I don't mind the three sixty the shooting bit; it was all right. But I just found that it's when you get about two or three mini games under your belt, the stuff outside becomes so fast you can barely deal with it. And uh, and trying to find look looking for different ports is where I sort of started to fall down. But the mini games, I quite enjoyed them. There's some nice puzzly type ones, like one where you've got to um, get from one side to the other and each colour is worth a different value of points and it gives you a target to hit and you've got to sort of get across the other side by hitting that target, by moving from yeah. point and things I'm like that. I'm bored listening to what you're saying about that game already and I'm just <laughs> you talking about it. Well, I liked it. <laughs> I mean, I didn't mind it. it to me, this I, I like what I said about with Rebel and Action Force. There's a decent central conceit here about even if you could change it. Okay, so if you don't like it, fair enough, I get it. But it's it's neither one thing nor the other. Again, it's what we said about Rebel. It's what yes, we said about Action Force, where there is this idea: you either be a space shooter or be a puzzle game. And for me, and for you, obviously, one bit works better than the other. And we've we've both got downsides on the on the on the other thing. And I think that's that's the problem with this game is it, it if it had gone all out on the puzzling so you have to sort of work out the and then they could have done more with the puzzles and done make them a bit more visually appealing because i yeah i agree it's not particularly visually appealing those puzzles and it takes a little while to sort of understand what you've got to do on each one but for me the outside bit was a bit was a bit bland and we've done it better in other games oh i didn't i didn't say it was good i said it was graphically interesting the yeah. whole game stuck balls <laughs> okay i mean i wouldn't say that i didn't mind it i didn't mind the mini game bits but um it's not brilliant it's all right it, it, I don't know, nine ninety five and seventy seven percent. They, they, they. I think Zach was like me. They were like, oh, the mini games are actually really good. But it's the bit in the middle that's a bit of annoying. But I don't know. It does its job. The scrolling, I thought, was a bit jerky as well. And it reminded me of a bit of Oink as well. Sort of in that the visual style inside the mini games looked a bit like some of the Oink graphics. I thought, like sort of bas relief look weirdness. Uh, there was a, there was a touch of that to it. It's, it's the plot is stupid as well. Why is this? Why is there just one circuit board missing? But I did quite like the way when you did actually do a mini game and bit to the circuit board filled in. I, I quite like that. It was all right. Yeah, that was all right. But if this was a if this was a budget mini game collection where it's like complete all these mini games and they're just coming at you fast pacey and as you said with pacey controls this would have been a quite interesting like yeah. right do this one yeah, yeah, yeah. do this one do this one you'd be like ah okay uh trying to work it out yeah but on with that but as it is got to justify 10 pound aren't there it's crl yeah here we go it's like it's not worth 77 percent though you are right it's a it's it's an it's another one of those we'll come across which is neither one thing nor the other and ends up being trapper at both yeah unfortunately there we go i was hoping for good things you know a discovery of riches but instead we got nothing yeah, did you read the yeah. back of the uh, box by the way that i posted in the agenda yeah i did yeah the, all of its crazy miss not so much miss <laughs> there are misspellings in there but misspelling it was just, it's terrible just it's just written in stupid gibberish i mean it was just clearly cut and paste from something else and sort of thrown into that because there's yeah. no 
nobody's nobody's bloody proofreader, have they? No, nobody. Nobody has proofreaders. You know, we'll post it in the show notes, I suppose, and you can discover the abomination for yourself. But don't expect great things. Yes. So, no, and there are terrible spelling errors in it. Repeats. It's repeats with errors. Yeah. This mission is unprecedented, but pres- no, president, well, as in president, <laughs> presidented. Oh, all adds up to you know this was written by a. 10 year old or something yeah yeah it's not great i might post a picture of that because it ain't great it made me laugh there's one sentence that made me laugh it's just a description where it says receive he croaked huskily <laughs> it's like croaked huskily who wrote yeah. this crap i don't know colonel zweller's adjutant flashed on the screen that's so that sounds terrible <laughs> well, he's croaking huskily i'm gonna croak huskily you ask someone immediately to room 66 confirm confirmed he answered <laughs> this is stupid <laughs> Yeah, it says oh, a million don't. light, and also as well, the Zap got it wrong because it says a million light years away lay the fractured hulk of the doomed discovery, now a shielding post of a distant empire. Within its fragments lay the key to a secret so dark that no one had dared to try and discover it for two hundred years. Yeah, that's we've not, got an extra that, zero in yeah, the Zap review. I don't think it makes any sense anyway. So it doesn't, but it's worth reading yeah. because it's stupid. The spell screaming it is with stupid, screaming with two e's. Anyway, there we go. That's discovery. <laughs> not very good. Overall, bit bit of bit of nothing, neither one thing nor t'other. Right. Let's move along. Into X fifteen Alpha Mission. Zig Zig Sputnik's latest album. <laughs> yeah, or as you said quite rightly last week, <laughs> that sounds like a vector graphics game to me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And you were, I were you right. Were, I were right about that saddle. You were right about that vector saddle. <laughs> we'll go right through it. It won't exist. <laughs> It'll hurt your ass cheeks. That uh, anyway. X fifteen Alpha Mission. This is by John Ryzen. You know him who did uh, Hero. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. Crazy. Yeah, from so uh, the, you know we praised the high hell. You know out of Hero. So now we've got his back. John Ryzen's back in POG form with a vector graphics flight fight sim, I guess. It's more of a fight sim, isn't it? There's not much flight to this or not much simulator. That's long enough to find out. It's somewhere along these lines. Anyway, America is being threatened by nefarious terrorists who have aimed a deadly space station at them from orbit. A number of cities will be wiped off the map if they don't give in to their demands. You are very, very elaborate plan. You don't have to launch a, a spaceship first before you then crash it into the earth. Absolutely. A massive one. Um, okay, but, you mind. know, I mean, maybe it's Elon Musk. This is just not on. It's not. So you are sent up in the X-15 space plane to put an end to this nonsense in a 3D vector graphic shooter of sorts. And there you go. If that doesn't chill you to the bone, I don't know what will. So as I said, it's by John Ryzen. There's not much to this. The first you get you when it when the game boots up, you the you see the basically the game screen, um, but which is most of it, like three quarters of it, is taken up with useless UI. <laughs> So much useless UI. I don't know what it was on about. There's so much in that UI that means nothing, does nothing, yes. tells you tells you nothing, but it's flashing and beeping and lots of that. And in the top sort of, I don't know, the center of the screen at the top, so the top center of the screen is the game screen. And so it just comes up with vector graphics going X-15, Alpha Mission, in there, spinning around in vector graphic. You know you're in for fun at this point. You press fire to start and you get a countdown to take off. And the first thing you've got to do is take off. This took a while for me to work out. <laughs> So Same. this is stupid. This is one of the most stupidest intros to a game. You've got to, essentially what happens is it counts down from 10 to 1 and then you get a bar that's, it just says thrust, I think. And it's going, yeah, there's, it a bar go, there's a bar going up and you've essentially got to, as soon as it starts, you've got to push up and press the fire button and there's another bar underneath it in another sort of line and that will go up with the other bar. You've got to hold it 
all the way to the top, and then it'll start going down. As soon as it starts going down, you pull down, and your bar will start going down. You've got to match this pretty much exactly. So I don't know why you have to do this, because once you figure it out, it's just, it's just boring. There's no challenge. It's just figuring out what the hell to do. Because failure to match this, it's game over. Yeah, you failed. Stall, engines crash. have failed. Yeah, you, you, that's it. Game over, dead, finished. Go back to the... Well, I say back to the title screen, just the game window just changes. Because the game window is still the same. The, the layout of the screen is still exactly the same. It's like a U. Imagine a horseshoe shape. And then the gap is the game. That's pretty much mm. how it, that's how it's yeah, all looks. description, yeah. And that's it. If you do manage to take off, and once you figure it out, it's not hard. It's just pointless. Then it's onto the flight section. So this game is controlled completely by joystick. Uh, there's no keys. So this is jo- all joystick. So all that UI stuff is for nothing because you've only got four directions and a and you know eight directions in a fire button. It's not what you can do. And it basically tells you you've got to fly to your destination. There's a map, or I say a map, there's a grid as part of the UI. You're in the bottom left of it and your destination's in the top right. So you just got to essentially fly that direction. But this is trickier than it seems. The reason why is because you are constantly bombarded. <laughs> this is like 3D wasps, but those wasps are uh, vector helicopters. Um, and they'll be coming at you no matter what, firing missiles at you no matter what, and you've got to avoid their missiles. There are also cruise missiles being fired fired at you i think it's cruise missiles um cruise missiles who are these terrorists very well financed (laughs) They they have the ability to put a space station with some kind of, uh, I guess it's nuclear, nuclear power to wipe out loads of cities that are armed with cruise missiles that they could just fire off willy-nilly at you to stop you getting to the uh, base across the other side. Because I never got there. I just kept getting killed. So essentially, you, if you take too many hits, it's game over. You can take a few. You can get hit about three or four times. That's it. There's basically three sections. I don't know what they are. I couldn't get past the first one. And and I, and I didn't really want to even give a damn about the rest because I didn't like this at all. I can't attest to the next two. Something seems to have gone missing from, from Hero to this because this is because the thing what we praised hero about was how well designed it was how well it introduced all its mechanics how it progressed how it took you step by step by step by step into it making it harder and harder each time this is just none of that it's just all gone it's produced by activision again this but it's that all seems to be missing from this it just goes from zero to full on immediately and it's just there's no there's no in between it's just not very interesting i mean it's technically okay the vector graphics are pretty good i suppose but they're only in a small part of this part of the screen and i suppose simplifying everything down to joystick controls is a you know it's, a, it's an interesting idea although like i said that illogical takeoff procedure is just nonsensical but it's just too simple and frustrating to engage for more than a few minutes you can't shoot anything at distance so you have to wait until the helicopters are right in front of you and they always go right in front of you to the side as well before you can try and blow them up and then they blow up in like a particle effect boom um, so it takes ages for them to close in they're always firing at you you've got avoiding the cruise missiles that fired at you from the ground it's a pain in the ass you can't shoot them they just come at you there's like this blue line thing um, so you have to either dive really low or climb high enough but half the time you can't you can't do it quick enough so you just get hit and the constant helicopter missiles coming at you mean you've got to constantly veer off course because moving left or right even slightly you know your little icon where you're heading towards it you can see the little thing moving towards you on, on the map thing just moves you all over the shop you just go in from left to right and you'll suddenly be fight- facing the you've turned slightly to the left to avoid a cruise missile or, a pu- or, or another missile and you're suddenly facing the other way completely it's just rubbish it, it, it's really bad so I, I didn't really like this at all it felt a bit like an attempt it felt and the way it looked with the sort of the line sort of missiles and stuff coming at you like star wars from the arcade but set on land yeah so it, there felt, is a bit of that. it felt a bit like they were aim- he was aiming to do something like about like that but th- it's nowhere near as good without all the star wars stuff and the use the force luke and all that kind of stuff this is the repetitive nature of this it fails on just about all accounts it's stupid to um take off boring to play and just pointless and and just 
a really dull i mean it's called x15 alpha mission you should be able to come up with a good name good thing based on that it's a good name but this is rubbish i'm not taking off my x15 again i'm afraid i didn't like this at all what about you 10 quid as well no 46 percent. way too high no yeah no i didn't like it of course i didn't i knew it would be bloody crap from the minute i saw the name Um, another futuristic flight simulator yay done with vectors why wouldn't you do it any other way it's the way to do it on a machine that can has demonstrated time and time again that vectors are not its strength even if you put them in a tiny window it's not going to help there's only been very few games that managed to pull anything off like this and this isn't one of them nope all the usual things are here of course the mixture of spritey sprites and vectors all blurrily fast behind in front of your tiny window lots of zooming around lots of crashing I crashed pretty much instantly almost all the time really up until the point when uh, I managed to sort of figure out as you did to take off and then after that i thought why am i even doing this because i don't like these kind of games yep so when i had taken off um, and the noticed that the busy ui was neither use nor ornament could have been just you may as well not have been there could have just been a simply a black screen for all the difference it made it had no bearing on what i was doing with the game and i generally don't like obviously like these kind of games anyway especially when they're like this and they run like this. So it's the same old vectors with the same old bloody vector problems. And for me, this one isn't always necessarily about the speed because they've obviously mitigated the speed of the vectors by shrinking it down to the point when you're looking at it through a stamp. All right, <laughs> that's a trick. That's a way of doing it, I suppose. It's a trick. You just don't render as much of the screen in vector, therefore uh, exercising the problem um, with, uh, with a simple logic. Less graphics, more speed. All right, I get that. Didn't work though, does it? It still no. lines over green. It still <laughs> lines over green. <laughs> Um, and it might be, and this one did have this one did have bonus speedy stripes, didn't it? So it had that kind of rastery stripey effect on the oh, bottom. It did. Well yeah, make, yeah, yeah. To give you the sense of speed, so you had raster speedy stripes and lines over green and some lines over blue. Um, and then, of course, when you're in the sky, you have the tokenistic nine million mile an hour sprite thing that just blasts before your eyes. Think, what was that? Was that hel- was that helicopter? Was the vectors? What was it? Because as with all of these things, the worst thing about this for me was that because everything was condensed to a small screen, you f- you're already focusing your eyes on that. That was starting to give me a headache from the very minute I started playing this game yep then then i was trying to concentrate on a very small area of that small screen and like and then then i just made the realization that what the hell was i doing that for because i hate these kind of games you do so i gave it a bit more legs thinking okay maybe there's something in it didn't really find anything in this that interested me in the slightest and actually thought this was a really poor game so i'm sure there's a mission in there somewhere and all that blah 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 i didn't like this at all so i'm never going to do it so no thanks nope I won't be attempting X16 X17 or any of its crappy sequels no, <laughs> no thank you <laughs> 10 quid 10 quid Zap gave it 46% didn't they shocked yeah. me really I don't know quite what they what they were basing that 46% on maybe the percentage of the screen that's got the game in it I think <laughs> so, anyway <laughs> arse cake light of arse cake not for me this. not for me either I really didn't like this at all but nope. we were never gone were we let's face it no because as we've said a million times this just if you look at Nebulous in the same episode of this in the same issue is that look at Nebulous look at how the 64 games can be made with sprites and all those things that the 64 does really well with its hardware then just go further along the magazine look at X15 and go and if you try vectors with a, with a, game, with a computer that does all that wonderful Nebulous stuff you end up with this piece of crap don't do them anymore stop doing them they're rubbish yeah, true very very true oh there we go X15 alpha mission no 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 not at all got one more left let's get into it Graham, do you zig or do you zag in zig zag? Well, that's a very famous quote, isn't it? Um, when the world zigzag, that's from um, one of the famous marketing guys. I forget the guy's name, advertising agency guy. Anyway, by the by, um, so this is zigzag. It's nine ninety five, ninety two percent, ninety two percent a sizzler. I believe it's a sizzler, yes, sizzler, sizzler. This game is. And it's created, and the music and everything in this game is by Tony Crowther. It's Tony Crowther game, everyone. Tony Crowther. 
Tony Crowder games. Uh, we've not had a lot of success with Tony Crowder games, really. They tend to fall into these sort of distinct, sometimes it's too hard, sometimes it's not, but let's just dive in and see what this is all about. You are a pupil of the 12th Dimension School of Starflight. And as such, to graduate, you must complete the ultimate challenge, which is to fly through dun, 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 the Matrix of Zog. Okay. <laughs> and gather the eight crystals in no more than 144 minutes. Passage through the Matrix of Zog is not easy, as it is not only festooned with enemy aliens, traps, switches, and puzzles. Indeed, there are seven types of aliens, in fact, that will hinder your progress. That's zigzags, homers, <laughs> drifters, attractors, bouncers, corkscrews, and cubes. There's also ramps, traps, and disappearing barriers, and a few other obstacles in the, your path. The shtick here is that you can only turn corners using special directional prisms that will bounce you in the allocated direction. To change the forward direction of the ship, you must run into the prisms on the floor or the walls, um, Allow, but only the prisms will allow you to turn 90 degrees and also turn 108 degrees if you hit the wall. So deciding on, that's all decided by how the prisms are oriented. So hitting a wall will always reverse your direction, um, but hitting a prism will send you in that direction. And if you miss that prism, and you will, then you've got to kind of bounce <laughs> and navigate your way back to find it. And trust me, you're going to be going backwards and forwards a lot in this game. Yes. So uh, you control your spaceship with the joystick and you can move higher and lower, higher and lower, he said, and <laughs> side to side. Seven. Oh. <laughs> and, but to turn, of course, you're at the mercy of the prisms and whatever 90 degree angle and bounce you might be afflicted with at that particular state. So you've got to transverse, uh, traverse, sorry, the matrix of Zog somewhat like a pinball. I think, felt, and seek out the crystals, finding the best path through the prisms. There are also switches on the floors and walls, which, when triggered, will open up new avenues for you to explore and bounce through. If you hit or are shot by any of the aliens, which sort of are all over the place, you will lose one of your five lives. Lose all of them, and it's game over. If you do lose a life, and you will, it's oh, back will. to the yeah. start point of the Matrix for you, unless you happen to have found a save zone, which there are in the game. But I found that if you haven't got the save zone, going back to that beginning bit after you've bounced around for a while, it's very disheartening. Let me tell very, you. Very, yeah. Your heart sinks a little. Shooting the aliens does give you money, which you can spend in shops that are also dotted around the Matrix. Um, and when you do that, you can buy upgrade extras, which are all designed to help you with your mission. They won't, but it's nice to know that they're there. <laughs> In fact, there are there are three special zones in the game. There's the save zone, which obviously allows you to save them, and you'll find these by bouncing around and entering them. Um, and there's the death zone, which leads to instant death, which is possibly the most annoying zone to exist in a game, really, of this type, when you don't really have any control over your ability to stop. And uh, the shop zone, obviously, which I've also mentioned, where you can buy actual maps, shields, and all sorts of other bits and bobs. X-ray vision, which allows you to see through well, bits Well, you need to buy a U-turn, like you that. see, and that saves you from going and, to the and, death and zone. The, well, there's the U-turns as well, yeah. You can get those, but you can only get so many of those. If all that sounds like hard work, Work, there are actually uh, other options to play. So obviously you've got to get through and get the crystals and that's the game. But there are other, other options and ways to play this. So you can play the game without the puzzles. Uh, on the homepage, you can play just as a shooter, which... Well, not actually allowing you to complete the game per se, does give you some options for mapping, really. So you can actually just go around shooting stuff and sort of figure out where the maps are because all of the gates and everything are down and you can just sort of fly around and shoot things if you want to do that. So there are those two modes. modes. There's Brain Teaser and Zapper. So Brain Teaser being the puzzle mode, Zapper being the shoot everything mode. Um, and the first one supposedly corresponds to a normal difficulty level. It depends how you define difficulty, really, doesn't it? <laughs> um, and obviously the Zapper mode is all the prisms in place. It and is all the a difficulty. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's, it's something like that. So this is played from a 
a 3D isometric kind of viewpoint, a bit like a sort of almost a bouncy Zaxxon, really, but sort yes. of multi-directional Zaxxon. Yeah. And it's that kind of control. And I haven't actually got a problem with the graphics, um, really, in this game. The graphics are very well engineered um, mm. as you sort yes. of zip about. Yeah. The, the instructions for the game are written in kind of a quirky way as well. And so then they're quite interesting. So if you do get to look at the instructions, then there's quite, uh, quite a lot to do in the game. There's quite a lot of stuff that goes on. Um, and I've described all of those things. So you obviously you can get different things like U-turns and things that allow you to sort of navigate and the nuances of all of the, the 3D maze of the matrix of Zog that you're in. And the, the game is well engineered. There's no doubt denying it. Tony Crowther is a clever programmer and you know and this the way the graphics work and the speed of the scrolling is really good here. And the sprites are okay. They weren't bad. They look very Zaxxon-like and it's a bit like a mishmash between Zaxxon and Marble Madness actually in a weird way with a flying spaceship that can't be stopped apart from if you get the right thing and bounces around a lot. And the sounds are quite good. But the bouncing, the bouncing is really, <laughs> really difficult to get your head around. Now, I found this less fun than I found it less fun and more infuriating in fact this game and I gave it some time and, I, and I, as I sort of played it more and more I kind of got into the rhythm of the game a little bit so it's easy to write this game off when you first load it up and you got it and you're bouncing around and you're hitting prisms and you're going backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards and up and down and backwards and forwards and you're running over a switch and you didn't mean to and it's a, it does drive you mad and it's worthwhile spending time just persevering with a little bit of that going through the other game so going through the other difficulty game and the going out of brain teaser and going into the Zapper mode, just to sort of familiarize yourself with how you control things, how you can maneuver around, how you can fly up and down, and, and, and sort of how you can start to get to grips with it. Because as you do do that, and as you start to get to grips with the way it controls, you find that you actually the game is quite interesting. It just takes a while to get there, and you really have to really persevere with it because it, it does drive you mad when you get blown up and you go back to the start, or if you yeah. have to go and take a wrong turn and you and you sort of find yourself bouncing and um, you can sort of find yourself almost trapped at certain points and you think, oh my God, I'm so frustrating. Um, your bullets can be shot and bounce off some of the prisms as well and there's little tricks and there's little bits of as you you have to play this game quite a bit I think it's a it's, it's not a steep learning curve it's just a learning curve that requires you to play it and play it and persevere with it until you figure out the best way of controlling it once you get once you finally get that and you start to be able to navigate your way around the 3D maze and the matrix and understand that if you hit that prism and then you do this and you get there but you can don't have to hit the prism you can just avoid it and yeah you'll bounce back and once you get into that rhythm and that logic you actually have a better experience with it and the game actually plays pretty well in that respect and what you end up with is quite an interesting but difficult and highly challenging puzzler that does break the norm a bit this could have just not had that bouncing thing in the prisms and it could have just flown around her but what you'd have ended up with is you've got to carefully navigate your way around the 3d caves and if you hit a wall you die yeah. i like that this doesn't do that i like that this is kind of the opposite of that yeah. yes the bouncing is annoying annoying but it is a central mechanic and i just sort of as i played it i thought do you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna go with the logic of this game i'm gonna stop fighting it and trying to treat it i stopped treating it like one game and deployed my thoughts around let's play this the way that they've designed it i think i went into it thinking it was kind of a shooter round a maze and it's not it's a puzzle game where you have to really think about the your route through once i got through, through to that yes. sort of stage i actually found myself really liking it so my initial thoughts were that, that there's a lot of horror in this but <laughs> I, I actually came to really quite like it and really embraced the idea of how clever this game really is and i really enjoyed my time with it and because of that but it took a while to get there and it really did however i think that perhaps you do have that other mode which does allow you to sort of play through some of the mazes and stuff i think just perhaps i don't know a little bit more affordance here and there might have might have meant for a, a big bit of a better in but i also think to myself well if you did that if you speeded that process up you wouldn't get to the point where you can fully control 
sell it and then you wouldn't get it. Mm-hmm. So I think it has to be done the way it's done. It feels laborious, but in actuality, you're learning with every iteration and you get better at controlling it. And once you finally master that, there's a really great game under the hood here. Now, Zach rated this pretty highly at 90%. And I agree with them. I think this is genuinely unique take on this kind of 3D isometric game, collecting game. And it's one of the easily one of the best Tony Crowther games we've played. And like I said, technically, this has got some real clever stuff going on in it because the, the way you move around that maze is one of the fastest we've seen in, in terms of the way entire chunks of the screen disappear so you can see the view. Yeah. It's really clever, that. Mm-hmm. Um, really nice production values. The opening sequence as well, really nice demo-y vibes to it. it really oh, that title screen demo. Taste. So you've got this marvellous sort of filmic almost title screen. Then when you yeah. start the game, you get this really nice raster wavy thing. And oh, it's marvellous. I love stuff like that. And that's what sold me, sold me the production. And that's why I felt I persevered with it. And I'm glad I did, actually. I'm glad I persevered. I could have written this off after my nine millionth bounce around going, oh my God, this is driving me mad. Once I embraced the idea of that and thought, you know what? This is the, this is the way you have to play it. So let's go with that. Once I did that, I had a really good time with Zig. So I couldn't see it proved to be. Now I've never come across it before either on the CC4 ever. So it's my first time with it genuinely thought it was really really cool so i really really like zigzag i definitely recommend people who like that kind of game go try it i'd certainly say persevere with it don't just fall for the oh my god i'm bouncing around and it's uncontrollable and i'm doing my head in go with it and persevere with it because there's a really clever game in there if you do it's really really rewarding when you finally find your way to some really deeper parts and some of the crystals it's really good what about you yeah i'm pretty much exactly the same i had almost exactly the same learning curve as well there's a lot to this game and I thought it's well-considered and well-designed. As you've written out, technically, it's really impressive with smooth, glitch-free scrolling in four directions. The way the maze reveals itself with walls disappearing and appearing is well done. And sound and music are all very good. The controls are smooth and responsive. And the options open to the player are well thought out, giving you that blaster zapper or brain teaser mode you could you know there's lots of different ways to do this and it's all very good the title screen is amazing that opening credits where you ask you for your initials when you start off and all that kind of stuff is brilliant really good it does offer you codes for progression if you get to a safe safe area as well so you can start from there again and that's quite nice so it's great and and it's i've mentioned that before i wanted to see it in other games as well give me codes to sort of save states and things and whatever and the whole concept it, it just works you're right it takes a bit of time you've got to get it and and because part of the part of the reason is because zaxon is just fly into the top right i found it was when i was going like you know towards the top left or bottom left or bottom right and left and right are still the same in relation to the way i was going you have to sort of change you have to sort of almost wire your brain quickly differently do you know what i mean if you're going up and then you suddenly go you bounce back left is seems to be right and right is left yeah yeah so it's that that's what i found the struggle but once i kind of like right take a step back right okay and and that i thought it worked it's fun to play the presentation is first class but yeah it is on the hard side but what isn't but i don't think it's unfair it's fun to play and make your way through the maze and try and collect the crystals i thought the power-ups were useful easily accessed they remind me of how you access them in star pause uh the way you have that little menu which you cycle through with space and then press fire to use the one you want to use and they're quite useful and i thought finally we have a tony crowther game where the design matches the technical skills that he obviously has we've seen things like kettle trap that god awful centurions whatever it was no go bots uh, you know yeah, things like that so right. you know th- th- we've never doubted Tony Crowther's technical skills it's just the design of the game's always been like now here it all works and that's good to, it's really good to see and I put like with games like this and uh, that red lead um, it's good to see that the C64 is more than capable of doing these isometric games at speed and looking nice with it as you rightly said it's a deserved sizzler yeah and and it, exactly like you not something I ever played back back in the day either 
but it's certainly something I enjoyed my time with now. I'm glad I played this. This was good. I wasn't expecting it to be, but you know, I was like, maybe it's another isometric thing. They looks like a bit like red lead. What's this going to be like? Tony Crowther. Oh, okay. Uh, but no, really good. Really enjoyed this. Came out of nowhere. Didn't know what to expect. And yeah, good fun. But I think your words, your words of warning are spot on. <laughs> Don't expect to go into this and just be ace at it. It takes a bit of time and a bit to sort of acclimatize yourself to how it plays and, and things. And, and flying into a wall and bouncing, not dying, is refreshing. <laughs> so it's nice to see that kind of mm. the, the way that that works. I liked it. No, yeah, great game. I really enjoyed it. Good stuff. Nice one to end on for the half. Did you try, by the way, did you try reversing the controls? Because you can reverse them so that down is up and up is down. I don't know if that would appeal to you, Mark. I did try it, yes. I found that much for muchness... I didn't really mind that. Because left and right remain the same, don't they? Left and right remain the same, but they change on the fly in the direction you're going. So it's it's a weird it's a weird one up and down um i think i actually found it easier playing the normal way yeah, uh, yeah. i didn't, I didn't try it just no, no, you tend to reverse your controls don't you? i do but i think that's in first person mode when, when normally in this kind of thing i'm up is up down is down i don't think that, i don't think that bothers me I, th- I think i did try both of them but um but it's good to see that those kind of options are available to the player good game zigzag there we go um that's it that's it for this half that's six games we looked at nice bread not sure about the meat in the middle um <laughs> is a way to describe that lot i think yeah yeah it's a good touch nice a nice a nice sourdough sandwich filled Ooh, with making me hungry gone off uh gone off rancid meat yeah yeah moldy pork <laughs> naughty pork did you say Mold, moldy pork <laughs> i thought you said naughty pork Ooh, oh. bit of naughty pork <laughs> a sandwich full of naughty pork you cheeky monkey <laughs> What you got? What sandwich you got? Oh, his wife's done me naughty pork again. Got, got, got some slappy beef and some naughty pork. <laughs> some I'll cuddly try, chicken. Try, I'll, I'll try the slappy beef, please. That sounds good. <laughs> it's here all week. Hey! <laughs> slappy beef. Slappy beef, everyone. Slappy beef. Slappy beef. <laughs> uh, right on that note <laughs> we're gonna go for a quick break and we'll be back very shortly where we'll be looking at film and tv for the end of the year december 1987 uh, so please stay with us the novel escape from the commodore 64 by david hearn is out now Growing up in the 80s is a chore for Sarah, who feels misunderstood by her parents and badgered by Reese, her bothersome brother who incessantly prattles on about his treasured computer games. When Reese tells her one of the games tried to pull him inside the computer, she laughs off his fanciful fib. She waggles the joystick to disprove his fairy tale and is pulled into the computer. Now trapped in games she'd never had any interest in playing, how can she possibly beat them? With the help of Feisty Nell, another trapped player, can Sarah find her way back home or is it game over? An evil madman, a hostile planet, bloodthirsty robots, a never-ending throng of karate experts and relentless digital soldiers will do their best to ensure Sarah never escapes. Available from Amazon and all good online retailers, find out if there's a way out of the beige bread bin of betrayal for Sarah in Escape from the Commodore 64. And we're back. We've got film and TV in December 87. Let's get into it. Lots of, well, actually, it's Christmas in it, so there'll probably be some Christmassy stuff here. Maybe, who knows? Maybe. Maybe. Probably. 16th of December, Yorkshire Television announced that 321 is to be cancelled 
as a television series, but will continue to be shown in a series of special shows. An Olympic special and Christmas special are shown in 1988, and after that, it's cancelled altogether. No series. Is two a series? No. There's no going to be a series of shows. How many is going to be in that series? Two. An Olympic special seems really niche. It really I mean, does, yeah. All the things lots... to be special about, that's the nichest. I'm there. thinking like uh, Steve Overt, Daley Thompson was on that, <laughs> Sebastian Coe, and I all hate confused. Sebastian Coe. Horribly confused. <laughs> yeah. What a Christmas present that was to Ted Rogers, wasn't it? All right, Ted. <laughs> Happy Christmas. Uh, thanks ever so much. Great show as usual. Thanks. Yeah, we're not we're cancelling you. We'll bring you back two specials and that'll be done. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. But we like to get his his dusty bin. That's <laughs> <laughs> what you could have won. <laughs> well, we're gonna do a series of special shows, Ted. Oh, right, it's great. Thanks. After two, yeah, you're done. Go away. After two, you're getting cancelled. Oh god, that's the worst thing ever. Yeah. I mean, um, I made a note here that they had to cancel the <laughs> show because nobody knew what the hell it was about. No, it's the weirdest it, show. It, it gradually descended into no sense. Now, I've found a real example do of we a need clue. To descri- do we need to describe what 321 is just for people who may not know? Well, I don't. Is it describable? I mean, well, it's, it's a game it, show, isn't it? It's a game show with, I think there's three couples come on. There's three couples. There's Ted Rogers. There's three couples. And there's a, there's a load of skits. Yeah, Ted Rogers is the host, yeah. Ted Rogers is the host. And there's a series of skits that happen where it's like, People famous from the clubs of Yorkshire come on and do these weird sort of bits. So it might be a song, it might be a little comedy bit or whatever. And then they, when they've done, when they've done, they go over to the couples and, and Ted Rogers stood around a desk or, or whatever in the middle of the studio and they essentially give them this clue. <laughs> so but this clue will be a rhyme and it'll be, a, it'll either be for a prize or thing. And then they have to work it out and they have to guess what it is or whatever. And then at the end of the show, there's one left and they have to try and whittle it down to winning the best prize that's left. And, and, but the, the thing is, one of them is an actual bin. Yeah, dustbin, yeah. <laughs> Dust, it's a dustbin. So you could actually leave this show with a dustbin. <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. is one of the worst things ever really when you think about it so you go through an entire nonsense of evening and you walk away with a dustbin so i think you're right i think the three two one part is the number of couples you start with three and then it's down to two and then it's down to the final couple and, it, and it's, I also, think it's also down to the clues and the, t- ted's yeah, fingers ted rogers could do this hand <laughs> gesture like a gang sign really yeah it's like his that was his thing that was his gang token um, so anyway, the, the result of this, it led to them that Ted Rogers would would give them a clue and then they would have to figure this out based on a series of events. If you just write, so here is a real clue from the show. This is an honest to God real clue. The Arches might provide a clue, not strolling, but he's going to, accompanied by some sheet music that was. So they gave him a piece of sheet music. That was the clue. The Arches might provide a clue, not strolling, but he's going to. Uh-huh. Right, that's so. The explanation for this, okay, so this is... After they'd gone through the debate and given their answer, this is the, honest to God, the real explanation. Well, the first three letters of Arches might have been clue enough. <laughs> but he also said, not strolling, but he's going to. Well, if you take away Hess, H-E-S, from Arches, all you have left is Ark. If we rearrange that with the sheet music, you're left with music maestro, please. So what do you think that means? Maestro, the British Leyland maestro, you've won the car. <laughs> what? 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 I don't know. Uh, it's just gibberish. Absolutely. It's like if you get Ark and rearrange it with the sheet music, you're left with Music Maestro, please. I'm like, how? I don't know. Anyway, anyway they, they won the car. So they won the car. They didn't win the bin. But that could have that could have ended either way. It could have, yeah. It's quite easy to have made that into a bin. Not strolling, <laughs> yeah, but he's going to. But he's going to. Because he's walking towards the, the back of the garden where the bin is. Where the bin? You won the bin. Oh, dusty bin. He comes out, little radio control bin. Yeah, um, it was. I was hoping that, that someone, some genius, had archived, created an archive 
of all of the t- 321 explanations and the clues. They haven't. I found that one on a rogue site somewhere. But there, if ever there was a blog waiting to be made, it's the 321 clue blog. Um, so if, yeah. just, if, if nobody does that, that means somebody's got to sit and watch every episode of 321. <laughs> that's... that's that that is a testament to your strength if you do that, <laughs> and, and then write down the clue. Fast forward to the explanation. And, oh man, can you imagine? I mean, you'd, you'd be bonkers by know. the end of that. You'd have to put up with uh, Ted Rogers's like striped jackets as well. He had a penchant <laughs> for striped. They looked like uh, he, did. he looked like he was at the seaside. He looked like the mayor from Jaws every week. He, he did look like the mayor from Jaws. He was a bit of an oddbod, wasn't he? Ted Rogers with his little three, two, one gang yeah. signal, but. Absolutely. And I always wondered what the end to his name was as well, because it sounds like the first half of a sentence. <laughs> Ted Rogers, question mark. <laughs> yeah, a, exactly. like, he was on blankety blank for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> Ted Rogers, blank. <laughs> Ted Rogers, blank. <laughs> Ted Rogers, blankety blank. <laughs> Ted Rogers, uh, blank. I'm not even going to say it. I was about to say something very rude then. I'm not. Let's Absolutely. quickly move, because I don't want to offend Ted Rogers or his family or estate. <laughs> more than we have done no but I, no <laughs> you've won the car <laughs> <laughs> yay 18th of december frank boff who launched breakfast television on 17th of january 1983 presents breakfast time for the final time yes he was taken to a corridor and was this neutralized the, was this before the uh the the prostitutes and cocaine scandal um Alleged, yeah, I oh, think okay, so. alleged. I don't, I don't, it was in the I papers. Yeah, I, I think it was. I don't, I don't know. I didn't actually, I couldn't remember that until you've just said it. And I suddenly had all the flashbacks of the horror that, that yeah. fell. I mean, Frank yes, Boff, yes. Was, he was cuddly Frank Boff, wasn't he? And suddenly we found yeah, out that he, he was... Very, uh, very Frank, yeah, very nice. You know, full-on naughty Frank he Boff. A, he had a dark side. Yeah, he'd gone full-on <laughs> Ted Rogers. He had, yes, he had, yes. <laughs> he'd gone full 3 two, one yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you don't yes. see those fingers. No, no you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. But yeah, so Frank Boff, Cully Frank Boff, he was gone. 18th of December. Happy Christmas, Frank. Oh, away you go. Happy Christmas. After, yeah, they, they were on a roll. I know, they're just axing, you know, elderly uh, presenters left, right and centre. 25th of December, Christmas Day highlights on BBC One include Julie Andrews, the Sound of Christmas, a show featuring music and presented by Julie Andrews, Andrews. from Salzburg, Austria, and the British television premieres of both Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and Terms of Endearment. Wow. Let's, uh, let's know, stick with that bit for the first bit. Nothing says Christmas, does it? Like revisiting happy songs from film musicals set in Nazi-occupied Austria with a family <laughs> on the run for their lives, as well as then watching someone eating monkey brains or getting their hearts ripped out or burned to death or even drinking mind-altering drugs from a decomposing skull, let alone then being squashed to death in a rock crusher. And of course, then after that, wash that down with watching someone die of cancer and having to give up their kids in terms of endearment. <laughs> Pass me my party out and crackers. It's going to be the best Christmas ever. <laughs> Chirpy that, isn't it? Who would, would put those things on Christmas Day? Goodness me. Oh, I don't know. BBC. Oh, it's pre EastEnders, isn't it? Oh, no, EastEnders was around at this time, wasn't no, it? No, EastEnders is around. We've talked about EastEnders loads of time. We've got, yeah, don't yeah, forget, so we've, got, uh, we've got Stolen Hearts singing in the charts. Oh, of course we've, yeah. So this is, uh, normally EastEnders puts on extra layer of doom in that mix. So God knows it, what happened there. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, ITV enjoyed a record breaking audience when more than 26 million viewers tuned in for the Christmas Day episode of Corrie or Coronation Street, in which Hilda Ogden, played by Jean Alexander, makes her last appearance in the show after 23 years. 23 years of 26 million people. That's half the population of the UK. Yeah, but I've noted here, that's 25.9 million passed out in front of the TV in a brown food-based <laughs> coma, and 0.1 million that were alert and able to function. So they're saying viewing figures, but they were just people who were just facing forward. 
They couldn't. They, they lacked the ability and, and strength <laughs> to be able to maneuver themselves to any other position. They couldn't actually reach the remote control or get up no. and change channel if you were. They didn't so much food. Their eyes had stopped. Their eyes had stopped moving left and right. They're just frozen in until the food had digested. <laughs> Hilda Ogden was seen through a brown haze. Absolutely, and I put a, I put a note there. There's also a, a tune by um, the Skids called uh, TV. I think it's called TV themes. Yeah. Or, uh, with Hilda Ogden and all that lot in it. So Albert I'll put a link Tatlock. to that. Yeah, Albert Tatlock. No, 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 no. Interesting that the guitarist from that band also went on to be in uh, Big Country. There you go. Wow. There you go. 30th of December, Channel 4 is Salute to ATV. <laughs> what? An evening of programme celebrating ATV as Anglia Television and including episodes of Sunday Night at the London Palladium, The Saint and Edward VIII. Why? I don't know. But remember, we've, we talked about this. I think it was the previous year. Yeah. They did it with 30 Years of Granada, didn't they, or something? They did. They did, yeah. Exactly that. We, we, were like, same, exactly, we like, said why? exactly the same. We're like, why are you filling your airwaves with a channel that's nothing to do with you? Yeah. And it, uh, it is cheap TV. And now, like, I think we said it about the other one as well. It's the bread and butter of Channel 5 now is these. Let's look at old TV yeah, shows. True. They're now just They're now just pick a channel. Now every channel has, but this time it was... It's very niche. Yeah. No, yeah, Grampian no... will be on there next season. We're going to celebrate an evening of Grampian. It's certainly going to be an hour and a half long. <laughs> True. But there's no, what was it? There's no Bootsy and Snudge in this lot, so. <laughs> Bootsy, I forgot about Bootsy and Snudge. Bootsy I'm... and Snudge. Bootsy, Bootsy and Snudge. I'm covered in Snudge. <laughs> I always put my Snudge on him. Always. <laughs> we, had, we, had, we had sung about Bootsy and Snudge for a while. How are you, Bootsy? I'm all right, mate. Yeah, not too bad. Still snudging. Yeah, covered I'm snudging. In covered in covered the in stuff. It, yeah. It won't wash off. It never does. No, Absolutely. It's like, it's like dyed, black spider web. Dyed my eyebrows white. <laughs> I tell you what, though, you can clean up two pence coins with it. That's great. <laughs> that's great. That's great, Snudge. Oh, see ya. <laughs> it's better it's than good Coke. that you've got hobbies. It's good that you've got hobbies, but back you go. <laughs> <laughs> good old Bootsy and Snudge. Uh, we roll them out at the end of every year. Um, 31st of December um, is in an unusual move for a pre-recorded television series the chimes of Big Ben are integrated into an episode of EastEnders on BBC One character Den Watts played by Leslie Grantham brought a television into the bar of the Queen Vic watched the chimes in their entirety and the episode resumed weird as I've Why? noted Why? here I, I love the fact they had to bring a TV into a pub like that was a thing like <laughs> Like, that was not a thing back then. You didn't have tellies in pubs. Just no. Pubs no, were they, they drinking yeah. and smoking. They didn't, though, did they? Playing they just darts, music. And darts and snooker. And, yeah, boxes, some music. Yeah. You didn't have TV on. Imagine no. that now. Thought of going to TV in a pub. But, you know, can't yeah. walk into most pubs these days without being assaulted from all angles by various screens, yeah. various um, channels of Sky Sports. Well, let's be fair. Back then, if you if you were brave enough to put a 36-inch TV on the wall, you know, you needed strong walls and brackets because those <laughs> things were massive and heavy, dangerous. And TV, remember the TV brackets, you used to put them on like shelves, like armed shelves that you yes. put up. And, you you know, as soon as you put that TV on, it's like, it's a creaking sound. You're like, is this going to hold? Because this TV is like 50 kilos. <laughs> is that is this going to land on someone? <laughs> is that a supported wall? <laughs> no oh god. <laughs> oh god the whole thing's coming down <laughs> is that just plaster oh god i just remember even even myself i had a for a while i had a tv on a sort of a portable thing on the wall i'm not sure why really but yeah I did. you did yes and uh, there was like that. this sort of white sort of turnable thing i think it's so i could turn it for some reason i'm not sure why it really didn't really help any and that was just a 14 inch portable wasn't it yeah and even then i was nervous about putting that on there because they're all screen heavy these cathode ray things aren't they yeah they lean they lean forward dangerously bloody yeah, nightmare but imagine him just wheeling in a telly. It's <laughs> bizarre. Pub. What are you doing, Den? We're watching the. Uh, we're watching Big Ben. Everyone, watch the telly now. All right, down your drink. Right, it's watching the telly. Okay, since you say so, that's what exactly what we'll do. That's weird. 
Oh dear. Baby, so. you aired a five hour whistle test special to welcome in 1988. Christ. I liked whistle test. I know you do. The special aired from 9.35 p.m. on New Year's Eve to 2.55 a.m. on New Year's Day and took a look back through the archives in what is the program's final outing. It would be three decades later in 2018 before a new edition of the program was broadcast. Yes, the whistle test was a classic with old whispering, what's his name? He was gone by though, though. I, that was point, it? I thought he was back for that. I thought he was, was back he for, back for that one. He, well, he probably was. They probably wheeled him out. Bob Harris, is it? Yeah, whispering, whispering Bob, Bob Harris. Harris, yeah. And of course, it was also used to be called the old grey whistle test, didn't it? And they changed it to whistle test. Now, there's the question of trivia. Do you know why it was called the old grey whistle test? Uh, uh, is this a three, two, one clue? No, 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 no. This is a genuine <laughs> if take, question. If I take the, if I take the yeah, last, dust, last three letters of whistle, <laughs> well, I'm left said, with TLE. That means let. No, no, You've genuine won a house. question. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. Well, I'll tell you. And I'll tell you why, how I know this as well. This, whether it's true or not, I don't know. You can check it. Maybe it is. I've always just taken it as read because the guy that told me this was Ben Daglish, okay. famous C65 music composer. And he said, that the people who used to stand outside um, music studios um, back in the day, like Abbey Road, they used to have, essentially there was like security guards, but they used to dress them in like long grey coats. And they got named the Old Greys. That's what they were called, Old Greys. And over a period of people recording in the studio, they used to come outside, the producers used to come to the Old Greys who stood outside and say, after they'd been recording, and these guys used to stand outside and be basically listening all day, they'd say, can you hum any of the songs you've heard today? Whistle any of the songs you've heard today. And if they could whistle the songs that they'd been listening to, they knew it was going to be a hit. Hence, the old grey whistle test. I don't know if that's true or not. I'll take no, your word for it. No, that was from the, straight from the mouth of Ben Daglish. I had no reason to disbelieve him. I quite, he was quite a quirky character. It could be complete bullshit, but I quite like that idea. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Sounds like it could be. Who knew? Um, finally, ITV front caps are shown before programmes on ITV for the last time after 32 years. Let's see, right, that's why Ted Rogers was gone. The, the front caps were <laughs> never safe. <laughs> Could <laughs> see Ted's gone. At least I know my front caps are safe. <laughs> Bizarre. I did try. I did find one to try and find out what an ITV front cap actually I presume, was. Isn't it that? I think that, so. That noise and that sort of that that's wide them, would yeah. open. They create like shortened graphic versions of things. Yeah, because they, they yeah. were on all different. Because ATV had the Angular TV sort of double circle, double sort yeah, of thingy, yeah. and Thames had the was it Thames had the night or that? No, Thames had no, the London Thames Bridge the, in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of them had the knight on a horse. Yeah. Tank teams and all them ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Then anyway, so I think that this was probably, I guess this was because ITV was becoming ITV, wasn't it? Not regional station. Yeah, it was kind of changing, wasn't it? So it was becoming a sort of a nationwide station rather than regional stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess. Yeah, it was. Here we go. Only a couple of new shows this month. 13th of December was the Beiderbeck tapes. Do you know Not anything? That... Did you ever watch oh, these? No. no, I didn't watch any of the Beiderbeck no. trilogy at all. It's the second serial. like James Bolan. Yeah, second serial, serial in the Beiderbeck trilogy starred James Bolan and Barbara Flynn as school teachers, Trevor Chaplin and Jill Swinburne. When a tape recording of a conversation about nuclear waste inadvertently falls into Trevor's hands, Trevor and Jill find themselves being pursued. By national security agents it sounds really convoluted and unbelievable yeah and and hear lots of jokes about why fronts <laughs> all right why just yes, because why it's about to have cnd or something in there and their logo look like why fronts so oh i get it yes okay yeah 
I hope so. Movie, so I, I think know. it was a bit too serious for that. If it was, it would be met, it'd be, it'd be met with wry laughter rather than canned laughter. Yeah, because it was. <laughs> it's easy to think of it as a, like a comedy, but it wasn't a comedy, was it? It was just played. It was more about the banter between James Bollum and Barbara Flynn. I think there was kind of a more dialogue-y. Was it? I thought it was but, a thriller. Was it a thriller? Uh, th- th- it wasn't a comedy. I'm saying it was just. It was more about the dialogue between them two than uh, right. than the than the you know the, than being chased around you know with nuclear waste in his pants or whatever. <laughs> Sound as, wife pleasant. Runs, as wife runs would hold anything <laughs> very, strong. <laughs> very, very strong very very strong 70s wife runs would keep anything in yeah, thank god they had to we always put them on ted rogers yeah well they'd always end up with a two pence sort of piss stain on them <laughs> wouldn't they from where, where someone's got a dew drop and hadn't quite you know got rid of it oh well, you, you're struggling to you're struggling to find the opening yeah yeah exactly so they'd always be you know, size you, is it? especially you know if you, if, you, if you as a youngster when you you know you, you always end up with that you know you look down and you think oh bloody dew dropped i've got i've got a, I've got a dog nose i've been dog nosed it's always wet that's how you know it's healthy <laughs> Um, <laughs> okay, okay. So it's a secret, secret you're showing to your, uh, to your teenage life there, which is horrific. That's what my mum told me. <laughs> God's sake, quickly, quickly move, move on. Um, 26th of December <laughs> is a bit of Fry and Laurie. Do you know, the sad thing is with that, I remember it being funny, but I don't remember why. Um, uh, yeah, I kind of, it was, yeah. It wasn't one I really met, got massively into. There's I some remember bits that um, like. Stephen Fry hitting Hugh Laurie quite a lot, hitting him over the head and doing quite a lot of physical humour with him. And I remember it getting quite physical with them. I don't know if that was part of it. I just remember a bit of that. I remember sort well, of clipping re- him over the back of the head and got him, you know, in, in that sort of faulty tower style, that kind of thing. Yeah, there was. Yeah, I think there was stuff like that in it. I mean, they would go on to do uh, the what was the uh, the TV show? Jeeves and Worcester. Jeeves and Worcester won it. Yeah, they would go on to do yeah. that, and then obviously yeah. Hugh Laurie would go on to become massive in America with House. Yeah, and Stephen Fry ends up playing the same guy, but in every film. But so he's always good in it. Yeah, and they were always great in uh, Blackadder as well when they turned up. Yeah, and of course they gave us the advert. Do you remember the advert where he's, he bought the apartment? Compact and Bijou, Peter. Compact and Bijou. Oh yes, they did. Yeah, yeah. So they did a little bit of advertising around that time, and that, yeah. that again gives you an indication of they, they had a kind of a sense of dry, dry British style sort of upper class sort of humour in them. It was quite good were, in that way. Yeah, they were weren't they ox ox. Oxbridge footlights from Emma Thompson and all that lot weren't there and Tony yeah and the young ones yeah yeah they all came from that yes. I that have a Porsche <laughs> that one <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> there we go that's TV uh, what we got going on for film though um, 11th of December Spaceballs yeah <laughs> I, I was thinking about this today because I was thought I was going to and I, I, I actually do not think I've watched Spaceballs since the 80s yeah now I actually watched it not recently, I have to say, but in, within the space of the last sort of eighteen months, I watched Spaceballs, um, and because I quite like Mel Brooks comedies, I quite like Blazing Saddles, I quite like, I quite yeah. like all of them, even like even that sort of was it the Weird History of the World Part One or whatever which he did. Was oh, right, kind yeah, of weird. yeah. So, but, but this one is the sort of point when it's it, it's not always funny, I think, and it's something that comes back to haunt him a bit with that Robin Hood one that he did. Oh, that's um, terrible, though. Yeah, that's what I mean. But you know, it, it's just this. It's sort of heading towards that style. It's less 
blazing saddles, although that is kind of like that. But there is parts of that like this, but it's just parts of it aren't very yeah. funny. And it's this is the parody period, isn't it, where you had things like hot shots. So it's coming on the back yeah. of back back of yes. the, air, the airplane stuff had come along and rewritten what you know Mel Brooks's you know got yeah, sort of cinema humor I was. I don't know if that came came after this a bit. I think, but no, airplane um, was uh, early eighties. No, not airplane. I mean the the parodies of all that kind of stuff. But yeah, air, 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 this is air, nowhere near the same same league as airplane or airplane two or anything like that. It's more. It's more like Blazing Saddles, but sort of space. Obviously, a Star Wars Mickey take. Yeah. So, and there's some jokes in here that made me laugh. I mean, you know, you've got Pizza the Hut instead of Jabba the Hut. <laughs> mm. um, and I quite like it when he goes to ludicrous speed. He's called Darth Helmet in here, the main baddie in it. Yeah, my favourite bit in it is where they uh, watch the uh, video. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, and that, but the way that fourth wall stuff, it's very Blazing Saddles. Isn't that you go to the cinema and watch the end of the film in the cinema? Yeah. Um, and and I quite like. I think I think the trouble with this one, if I was honest, it's missing some of the better characters who were in Mel Brooks films. So you know, you've got no some of the cast that's in Blazing Saddles and then Young Frankenstein. Gene yeah. Wilder and people like that. It's not and and uh, Madeline Kahn. I don't think she's in this either. I don't think so. No, Bill Pullman in it and John Candy. Yeah, yeah, and those. You know, he plays that dog character, doesn't he? It's just not got the. I don't think it's it's got the characters enough, and there's not enough jokes in it to really pull it off. So it's a bit. It falls a bit flat in its face. And you got Yoga instead of Yoda, and that's plays Mel Brooks and who plays that. And yeah. I just Rick, thought it was Rick just Moranis in it as Dark Helmet. Yeah, <laughs> it's parts of it do make me chuckle, and it is that. And I'll go with it because it has that. It does have that legacy, but uh, it doesn't. It hasn't aged well. This one hasn't aged yeah. well. It's not great. It's it's not certainly not Mel Mel Brooks's best. I mean, you've got to get past Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles for me to even get near that list. Let alone oh, some of the others. Yeah, yeah, stars. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there is. They're by far. I mean, and did Mel Brooks do the producers as well? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, and the producers and some of those, we know you've got to get past all that before you get, but these are kind of throwaway comedies and it's certainly better than that Robin Hood thing that he did. Robin Hood Men in Tights was awful. That was god awful. awful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, 11th of December again, same day. It's a proper comedy day. Bigfoot and the Hendersons is also out. Again, not not watched this. I've not watched this since the 80s either. (laughs) I think I've seen bits of it when it's been on telly. I saw it was a TV series that came off the back of it, which I've seen a few of. Um, yeah. And I didn't remember anything about the film other than it had um, John Lithgow in it. Yes, yeah, yeah. And that's and that's the only thing I could remember. And I didn't really even remember, other than seeing the image of the box, obviously, and the and the sort of when I've dug into it on in, in that movie database, what the Bigfoot actually looked like. Because I think really it became Harry. Is it Harry yeah. and Henderson's? It became later, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. What's the plot of it? What's it about? Um, I think they, I think they find Bigfoot, and I don't know. That's <laughs> much as I can tell you. I'm not sure if they find him and he has to go back to the, the trying to get him back to where they want to be, or there's some. I don't know. It's, I can't really remember. It's so vague. I was just surprised that it won an Oscar for best makeup. <laughs> was that really that yeah. flabbergasted me? Um, yeah. Rick Baker won it for the 60th Academy Awards. He won it for best makeup, and I also laughed out loud when I found out that the Bigfoot was played by the same guy that played the Predator. <laughs> yeah. Well. It was either him or uh, what's his face who played Star Wars, uh, sort of Darth Vader at the time. We need someone. We see someone massive in a suit. Yeah, it'll either be yeah, David Prowse or David the guy that played Chewbacca or, or you know or Kevin yeah, Peter Hall. That's it. So the the plot of this, according to IMDb, is the Henderson family adopts a friendly Sasquatch, but have a hard time trying to keep the legend of Bigfoot a secret. That's it. Yeah, my sides aren't really affected that. No, there's no splitting of, the, of anything. It's just one of those, probably along the same lines as. Oh, let's think. Short circuit, like we've yeah. got, we've got someone different in the family. We need to keep it a secret type yeah. thing. Et, et, yeah, ET. it's all in the back of et, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah. except this time it's uh, everyone's, you know, America's favorite mountain man, Sasquatch. Yeah. <laughs> It'd have been better <sighs> if it was Predator in the Hendersons. <laughs> can, 
comedy and shoes. <laughs> put comedy that laser, and shoes. Put that laser away. <laughs> Stop saying any time. I've told you, lunchtime, <laughs> dinner time, tea time. Not any time, you stupid predator idiot. <laughs> Uh, stop <laughs> laughing like Billy. <laughs> and who the hell is Billy? <laughs> when did you Have meet you been him? Have you murdering again? Have you been murdering <laughs> in that jungle again? I told you about that. Stop murdering people. Them skulls <laughs> are, are ghoulish. Stop bringing them to the house. <laughs> yeah, you're not a cat. Stop dropping them at my feet. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't want a 14th century flintlock pistol, you stupid predator. <laughs> go and eat your gruel. <laughs> get it back or into the Or I'm dropping a log on you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Get back into the attic. There'll <laughs> be nothing but fish heads all week. And they've dismantled that bloody wrist bomb you had, so sod off with that. You're not putting that on again. Absolutely. It took me ages working out that uh, t- t- working out that font. Yeah, look, luckily for me, I played V, so I knew exactly how to decode that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I was a past, past master at getting out that door. Easy. <laughs> I think I'd prefer that version, to be honest. Oh, yeah, Predator and the Hendersons. Uh, with Arnie, as uh, the is that in John Lithgow's character? <laughs> Stick around for lunch. <laughs> knock, knock. What are you doing in there? Get out. You've been in the toilet for hours. Stop leaving your hair in the sink. If you bleed, get a plaster. <laughs> They're under the sink, which you blocked with your hair. Uh, oh, dear. We should be almost dis- right itself. <laughs> it does. I mean, we, we, this stuff just exists. I think we just channel it. <laughs> 11th of December also... Same day, you could have gone and seen The Dead. Chirpy. Chirpy Christmas yeah. film. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, directed by John Houston, written by son Tony, and starring his daughter, Angelica. Yeah. I've no idea. Houston What's family? this about? Do you know? No, I don't. It was some family-based drama. Uh, what surprised me, according to Pauline Kale, the film critic, Houston directed the movie at 80, so really the title of the film should have been Nearly Dead, um, from a, <laughs> should from a dead. wheelchair, jumping up to look through the camera with oxygen tubes trailing from his nose to a portable generator most of the time. He had to watch the actors on a video monitor outside the set and use a microphone to speak to the crew. It'd be like being directed by Davros. Um, <laughs> yet he went into dramatic areas that he'd never gone into before. Funny, warm family scenes that might be thought completely out of his range. Houston never before blended his actors so intuitively, so musically. I think he died not long after that as well. Yeah, but uh, what's it about? Just about his family stuff. I don't know. I don't care. I never watched it. I'm never going to see that. I thought it was so funny to, that he basically avrossed his way through it. Gabrielle Conroy and wife Greta attend an early January dinner with friends at the home of his, sin- uh, home of his spinster aunts. An evening which results in an epiphany for both of them. I'm going to Davros directed it. Now, <laughs> <laughs> will you please sit over there? Hook him. <laughs> Hug him. Action. Show, <laughs> show more emotion. More emotion. I created the script. I created the set. You must obey me. We're not obeying you, bloody I Davros am the director. Houston. You will do as I say. Just switch him off. Just switch him off. He's, he won't, you know. Just don't pluck one of those oxygen tubes. <laughs> Yes, we obey no one, is what we they would say. Indeed. Uh, finally, 26th of December, full on Christmas brown, you could have gone seen Masters of the Universe. Masters of the Universe. Here and we I, are. I did go see Masters of the Universe. Did you go see this at the cinema? 
Unfortunately, yes, I yeah, did. Yeah, I did as well. <laughs> yes, I did. Of course I did. I was a big Masters of the Unit first fan. I still am in a way. I know you Not are. Not this film, though. Not this film. It's crap. This film's, it is awful. And it's, it's because another, of, of so Canon many factors. It's isn't it? Well, yeah, and it was made at the time when Canon were imploding, weren't they? So they were, you know, their, their debts. Do you know how many films Canon had made in that period? I think they made 26 films in 1986 or 87. In 32 films in 1988. The <laughs> most crazy prolific, but the films they were making were utter shite. Yeah. And costing them money. And they had this sort of notion of quick turnaround, quick profit, but eventually the debts caught up with them and they all went to pot. And this was one of the films along with Superman 4 that really hammered the final nails into that coffin, let me tell you. Um, it's not a good so, film. So, no, it's terrible. Interesting because of its weird quirks. You know, it starts off in a year and then quickly goes to Earth because you know of some portal that the um, that the woman, the princess, not the princess, sorry, the the priestess woman, sorcerer, sorceress woman creates. Sorceress. So we obviously cause the end up on Earth, and it's just obvious given the budgets for this. Why that was obviously a decision because it didn't start out that way, and I think that they, they were budget, they were sort of showcasing this as the their big Star Wars. You know, this was going to be this is as big as Star Wars. This is going to be massive. This is going to be huge. Millions of pounds of special effects, yada, yada, yada. And then when it came to it, it was just Dolph Lundgren running around, you know, not very good stuff really, and was doing, it? And doing the line badly. Which is? Um, I have the power. Yeah. And he, he doesn't know, does he? He doesn't have the power. No. He's, he's missing all the vital components of a He-Man <laughs> movie, except everything. really. He's just really goes, I have the power. It's awful. Awful. Oh, I remember laughing. Bad. I remember it's laughing bad. out loud at the cinema at that bit. I mean, I like Frank like Frank Langella's portrayal of Skeletor, such as his kind of rubber remasked Skeletor, and it's cheap Skeletor. It's no visual effects; they're just made a mask. But it, he he really does get into his parts. But he does that, Frank Langella. Yeah, I mean, he's he's in that ninth gate, and as much as that film is a really long piece of shite, he's actually gets really into that role. He was in that <laughs> he's really in he's in that really weird Dracula as well. Yeah, like, and he like, gets into like that seventies Dracula. Yeah, fair play to the man. He gets into his roles and he and he, you know, he's digging it. It's also got Courtney Cox in this as well. I know, yeah. You know, it's one of those, an earlier film for her. Directed by Gary Goddard. It's the only film he ever made. <laughs> I think that's a pseudonym. Yes, maybe. It maybe, maybe it was directed maybe by it's an Alan Orko. Smith. Maybe it's an Alan Smithy. Well, he's certainly not got any other credits to any other films that I can see in there in Internet Movie Database. Um so it's set on Earth. It doesn't quite work, does it? I just and my, it really made me think about why that why modern remakes at reboots of these hadn't happened. I mean, the commercial failures of Master of the Universe amongst with Superman Four and Life Force, which really surprised me that Life Force was a massive bomb at the box office, but really? it was. Yeah, huge, massive bomb, yeah. I know it was no but why did that surprise you? I quite like Life Force. I mean it, the effects are crap, but uh, but it's got lots of really good boobs in that. I mean, come on, <laughs> be fair. Space vampires, all good. Yeah. Um, get the opening sequence and the music of Life Force is really good. Uh, Life Force is really good. Um, anyway, um, so obviously Canon went tits up and it was all going wrong. And this is just another victim of, you know, all of that. Did you know that they were going to plan, they planned a sequel to this? It's even mentioned at the end of the film in the end credits. Yeah, I know, because Skeletor picks something up, doesn't he, and laughs. It's the yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's still, he survives the fall in the film, which he's obviously loved off a, a thing, isn't he? Yeah, um, and it says uh, the sequel is going to be called Master of the Universe Two Cyborg. That's um, weird, odd. But apparently, it was going to feature Ske- Skeletor, of course, but also Trap Jaw and Shira. Thank God it never happened. No, no, thank God. Bloody awful. But it got me thinking, and it's it just as a quick final part, I suppose. Really, if there were to be modern '80s cartoon remakes with modern special effects and modern, you know, not just CG actors but real actors, who would you have now play? He-Man and Skeletor and some of those roles. Who would who would your choices be? He-Man, uh, John Cena, Channing Tatum. Yeah, Channing Tatum's not a bad crack, actually. Yeah, yeah, go for that. Maybe because yeah. uh, yeah. I think he's 
He's big. <laughs> yeah, you need you need a bodybuilder type, don't you? So yeah, a bodybuilding dude. Not someone obvious. Not not anyone from Fast and the Furious. So not the Rock. Not anyone yeah, like I mean, that. Yeah, the Rock could do it, I suppose. But it, you know, he'd look silly in a wig. I think. I, I think in a blonde wig, he's going to look odd. <laughs> this is, please, someone make that happen. But yeah, <laughs> but that that kind of build you'd need, wouldn't you? That kind of because he's a massive, massive bodybuilding dude. So John Cena, I think, would be all right. But I thought if if we're looking at his cartoons generally, I'd definitely pitch the Rock. Dwayne Johnson as Panthro, be a good contender for Panthro. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Or, or there's uh, the guy that's uh, there's another actor that I can't think of who he is. Um, I was going to say Carl Weathers, but he's a bit old now. Idris Elba. Idris Elba, that's the one I was thinking of. Yeah, Idris Elba would be a good Panthro. Yeah, yeah, he would be. I think um, it would be I mean, it's a bit I mean, like it's a bit like Thor, but you could probably get uh, Chris Hemsworth as Lionel. Yes, yes, that's actually a really good call. But who would be Mumra and who would be Skeletor? Uh, or would they just be CG, maybe? CG Mum, people? I don't know. You'd want them not to be. You'd want them up against sort of humans. I don't know. Mumra, I don't know. I think uh, they'd have to be CG for that, I think. Maybe. Skeletor's got a skeleton head. And you know, I know there's some thin actors in Hollywood, but goodness me, that would be... You know, any Gary well, Shea's you've already, you've, I mean, We've already had someone who played with a skeleton head. You get Nick Cage. Oh god, that film's so shit, isn't it? <laughs> Ghost Rider. <laughs> Ghost Rider's bad. Yeah, it's bad. I want to see. I'm quite interested to see the new one though. The unbearable lightness of massive talent, whatever it is, unbearable weight. Yeah, of massive and I've, talent, see, I, I've seen that available in obviously in, on and the internet. That's what I mean. His recent so. stuff. You could, I think he could quite play quite a yeah. good unhinged Mumra. Yes, he might do a good Mumra. Somebody like that, get into the evil side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could do. Yeah, I just wondered, I just wondered, who, wondered what you thought of that. Who would you who would you have play uh, She-Ra, though? Ooh, that's a tricky one. Um, I don't know, actually. I never really liked She-Ra <laughs> as a character. No? Um, I don't know. I mean, Chitara, that's even more difficult, really. I'd have to think about that. You need someone, you know. Well, you've had, you had Chitara in that, in that most recent Wonder Woman film. Yes, actually, Wonder Woman yeah. 84, whatever it was, which was awful. Awful, awful film. Yeah, I saw you. Could, yeah, she might make a good. Um, so you had what's her faces? Evil Lynn or someone or one of them. Uh, I can't remember the character's name, but it was a cheetah. What did she turn into a cat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't mm. remember the name of the actress, but yes. No, she was in the she was in the Ghostbusters film, wasn't she? It's Kristen. Yes. It Kristen. Kristen Wiig. Yes, yes, something like that. Yeah, she, yeah, she's also in. Yeah, yes, she might be quite good. Yeah, she could know, be. I'd have to think, sit and think about that a bit. <laughs> but if you've got any thoughts on that, listener, yeah, let us yes. know. You know. <laughs> If you, you want to tune out by now, yeah. Think if you haven't tuned out by now, yeah, and you want to, you got some thoughts <laughs> on who you would like to see in eighties cartoon revivals, and who you think would play them. Let us know. Yeah, there we let go. Let us know and tweet it to us. Indeed, tweet us, email us, whatever. Moan at us, Facebook, wherever. Uh, that's it. That's the film and TV. What did we look at? We had uh, <laughs> three, two, one was cancelled. Brought back for two more shows and cancelled again. Frank Boff, <laughs> just was, to make sure. <laughs> Fra- Frank Boff was allegedly was off doing things. Julie Andrews was. We had Nazis. Uh, chilled monkey brains and cancer on Christmas Day on BBC One and Hilda Ogden left Coronation Street um, Channel 4 <laughs> did whatever Whistle Test was came back for a bit front caps were gone EastEnders had a telly um, <laughs> we had Spaceballs Bigfoot and the Hendersons the dead and finally the year was rounded off with Masters of the Universe at the cinema that's what you could have mm. gone seen over that Christmas break that's it that's your last TV and film for 1987. We've got six more games to do, and then we're done. We are done for this year. Thank the Lord we're done. So give us a bit of time. We'll have a quick break. We'll be back after that, and we'll get into those games. So see you in a moment. The novel Escape from the Commodore 64 by David Hearn is out now. 
Crash landing on a green planet full of vector graphics, can Sarah find a way to escape for real? Or is she stranded on a planet full of sun, sea and chippy tea forever? Imagine finding yourself in a cinematic karate game, having to rescue a princess or remain stuck under the run-stop key forever. What about finding yourself on a space freighter full of robots? Could you clear the decks? If you were transported back to a Wild West town, having to round up outlaws, could you survive until sunset? What if you were a wizard with a cat who must color worlds? Could you beat the game, or would a virtual guitar solo announce your demise? Sarah might just be another visitor, but she doesn't want to stay a while, never mind forever. Available from Amazon and all good online retailers, discover if there's a way out in Escape from the Commodore 64. Visit davidhernwriter.com to find out more. And as promised, we are back. Six more games. Whew. Let's do this. Once more into the breach, <laughs> friends, once more. And Graham, let's start that breach with Maniac Mansion. Tell us about it. So Maniac Mansion from Lucasfilm Games, of course, coded by the legend of Ron Gilbert. Well, not by the legend of Ron Gilbert, by actual Ron Gilbert. His legend lives on after that. <laughs> the legend of Ron Gilbert made this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Ron Gilbert <laughs> coded it. David Fox also and Carl May, graphics and art and animation. Gary Wanick, or Winick, um, Wanick. Created and designed, of course, by Ron Gilbert and Gary Winnick. Uh, the music here is by Chris Grigg and David Lawrence. There's a lot of other credits as well, things like playtesters and things like that. Mm-hmm. We're all, we'll make them available to you if you want to go and dig them out. But that's the mainstay of it all. So this is a real whopper, isn't it? This, this, is, this is a bit of a C64 whopper, and it's a very, very, very important game in a number of different ways. So let's just dive into a little bit of the story, as such as it is. So um, a meteor is smashed into the grounds of the Maniac Mansion and seems to be having a peculiar effect on the inhabitants. Dr. Fred, a retired doctor-turned-mad scientist, decided to take over the world one teenager at a time. He plans to engage in horrible experiments and so enacts his diabolical plan by first kidnapping Sandy, the teenage girlfriend of Dave, with the express intent of sucking out her brains and thus one by one taking over the world. Dave isn't about to let anyone suck his girlfriend's brains out and so, with the able assistance of two friends, decides to sneak into the main mansion at night, navigate the rooms, objects, puzzles, inhabitants and challenges, sabotage any crazy evil scientist machinery, escape and rescue Sandy before she's left brainless and then obviously everybody gets out and gets to safety. That's the plan. To enable you to choose two friends, you can choose from a selection. So you've got a couple of friends you can go with. Um, Each one of those has their own strengths, skills, and weaknesses. And cleverly, this also changes not only how you play and complete the game, it also changes the ending of the game because there are multiple endings to this. Mm-hmm. So you can choose from Bernard or Bernard, uh, who is perfectly schooled electronics and repairing things, kind of a nerd, look nerdy looking kid with sort of round glasses, nerdy look. Wendy is a young author who would give everything to be, make it big. Jeff is actually a beach boy. He only thinks of surfing. Michael is a passionate photographer. Razor is a singer in her own punk band. Razor in the Scummit. Scummities. I think it's a Scummities. I think it is. Uh, and Sid is a talented musician who wants to get to the top of the music branch. Those are the six people you can choose from. You can choose two. You can't change who you are. So you are always Dave. So you've, once you've picked your two, the game begins with a sort of nice little intro sort of to the game. You see the meteor crash land and all the lights go on in the house and then, and then so on and so forth. So let's talk about how you play this and how you engage in the adventure. Um, right at the top of the screen is what they call the message line this is where spoken words by the characters will appear as well as other messages in the game below that is the biggest area which is the animation window where using the joystick you control the crosshairs to target the attention and direction of the character you control um, and you point that to the places objects 
which are the nouns in this in this and it's important that we remember that so places and objects are the nouns and items so you can means you can move the player around the environment search for things and do all of that so the camera view here is sort of the camera's eye and it will scroll in certain locations depending on the location and the sort of how you're moving across it so just below the uh, animation window is the sentence line where you construct sentences that tell the characters what to do in the context of the game there are verbs which all exist below in the section we'll talk about them in a minute and nouns which all appear as objects and things to click on in the animation window so you can pile sentences from those such as unlock door with key by connecting the words and moving your pointer around to sort of click on the object click on the thing you want to do so the bottom of this screen is where you have a collection of verbs through which you can compile all the interactions of the game hence the point and click part mm-hmm. the verbs do not change throughout the game so they are always the same list of verbs so walk to and uh, what is pick up turn on those kind of things um so this list is always view and it's always consistent just below that is your inventory area where each character's items have been collected and shown there are no limits to what each character can pick up and each character's name is added to the object they pick up so you know who has what at any specific time very important to remember that detail mm-hmm. Um, you can switch between the three characters that you've selected by pressing F1, F3, and F5 on the keyboard, or you can actually choose the new kid option on the verbs. And you can save your progress in the game with a shift click of F1. So you can actually save where you're up to, and bear in mind, you will need to do that. You do need a blank disc in there to do that, however, obviously. During the game, you also get cut scenes um, that will show you more of the story, developments elsewhere, puzzle hints, and other items. These actually interrupt your play during the game, but you will always return to where you were and who you were after that. And you can skip them, not recommended that you do because more often than not they'll give you some key information or a view of something you might need to know so you can press f7 to bypass that if you want to the game then sees you and your two friends working your way through the mansion encountering objects and puzzles that you must solve in order to gradually find sandy and rescue her some of the puzzles require timing here and there some require certain objects and skills some routes can lead to dead ends indeed sometimes you will even do things that will thwart your own progress and you probably won't know that you've done it until a bit later You need to play through as logically as you can, all the while noticing as much as possible. In any given room, you can search using the what is verb command and see what is what, which normally allows you to fully explore everything and with some trial and error, work your way through the game. It's designed to be fun and lighthearted. The puzzles are sometimes obtuse and they are tough. There's no doubt about that sometimes. But other times they are quite rewarding and when you get it, it's quite quite a nice feeling. But there is lots of flexibility in how you play this game which I think is really clever and very rewarding, but a nightmare for the people that designed it, as as pointed out by Ron Gilbert. The whole game is designed with a certain C64 high-res look, so it's 320 by 200 pixels here, and it has a really nice, interesting aesthetic, but there are a lot of graphics in it. Ron Gilbert actually cleverly created his own way of reducing background graphics into characters and compiling these to allow a good level of cartoon-like background detail and object interaction. So... There is a lot of graphic information in this game um, and it belies the kind of look of it because it look, does look a bit blocky and a bit basic, but there's a lot in there. So the scrolling is a bit on the juddery side here because it feels more like the camera is kind of following you and you just kind of shuffle along a bit. Again, you sort of have to just go with the way that that plays out. The idea of that scrolling in these kind of anim- these kind of adventure games, bear in mind that this is kind of a legacy extension of text adventures, then go to graphic adventures, then go to sort of basic, sort of more graphics with text input adventures. And the whole point of them advancing to this kind of verbs and nouns click and point and click idea is that they wanted to do away with the text input parsers and create a more interactive experience for the player so you didn't have to sit there typing pick up object object pick up you know and and do things repeatedly when the computer just go i don't know what you mean i don't know what you mean or you know there is nothing there there is nothing there and those frustrating points that ron gilbert noticed when he played 
another couple of games. I think King's Quest was one of them where he repeatedly saw that happen all the time. He wanted to find a way of avoiding that. So even though those scrolling is not necessarily great, it's not going to distract you from the adventure game here. And the graphics are cartoon style and it does sort of get away with it. The main sprites in the game are tall and I think quite well created. Um, they've got a good character and readability factor to them. So they've got little bits of expression and little bits of interest about them. They don't just look like blocks. They are sort of defined, defined sort of character looking people. They reminded me a little bit of Epic's style people but they've got that kind of look to them and they do look like proper characters and they do have proper character traits so some things that some of the characters can do in the game other characters cannot do so the musicians um this this specific routes and specific things you can do with the musician characters and and things that will happen in the game that will not happen if you don't choose those characters it's quite clever like that so i i found that quite interesting um the movement can be a bit slow at times and the pace is a little bit odd and sometimes you'll enter rooms and there's a couple of little quirky sort of no one say there were bugs but there's quirks Sometimes you'll enter a room and if you see one of the characters in the game, you might meet the mad nurse or, or you might meet one of the other characters. If they catch you in the game, so you might the first time you'll encounter one is most likely be in the kitchen. When you go in the kitchen and you see there's a nurse sort of raiding the fridge and if she'll see you and run after you, if she catches you, she places you in the dungeon. And that's that character technically almost out of the game for quite a while before you finally either get the key or figure out how to get out of there. But if you actually just leg it as soon as you see her and get to the door and get out, if you go straight back into the room you just came out of, they disappear. The character's gone. It's kind of a bit of a quirk, but it's a way of getting around that. Mm. Anyway. Um, so they do look like characters. They are interesting. There's not loads of characters in the game, but it does. it is quite interesting the when you encounter them. There's even two tentacles, which of course later come back in Day of the Tentacle, which is, I think, the sequel to this. So the controlling of the action does take a little bit of getting used to because moving the... There's a reason why it works better on the Amiga point and click when you've got a mouse. I mean, that's that's a fact. There's no way around that. You know, the limitation here is you've got a joystick and you're kind of controlling a crosshairs with it. And we said before, it's not the greatest way to do anything. It does just about get away with it here. So it, it does just about work. So sometimes there's a bit of a panic about trying to click on the right verb and click on it. And there are, there are some things it helps you with. So you, you, when you click walk to and then you click on the follow-up verbs and the follow-up nines, it does compile those in have the last one accessible. So you can just press your button on certain objects and double press it with the verb intact and it will sort of follow an action to pick up key, use key, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it does have that and it does help you out a little bit. But there's no denying that the control takes a little bit of getting used to in the sense you've got a crosshair and you kind of got to, you can't just move the joystick to the left and expect to do anything to happen. You actually have to click the button to walk to and then it will move. And it's just once you get around that and get past that, you're going to be fine. So once you've got grips to navigating with the crosshairs, moving around the joystick and creating the required actions from the verbs and nouns, you very quickly get to grips with how the game functions, and then you can focus on the game itself and the puzzles. The game features a series of large, complex puzzles made up from a bunch of smaller puzzles, which some of them, some of which do need to be completed in a specific order. So some of them do, some of them don't. There's several ways to complete some puzzles. In fact, quite a few separate different ways, and some of the objects are complete not a MacGuffins, and they're just there for just to throw you off the scent. So there's quite a lot of that in this. So you might be carrying an object around for ages, and it has no purpose whatsoever, um, which is quite funny in its own way. So depending on the characters who you choose, and depending on how you play and what you do in certain situations, will very much depend on how you progress through the game, and the, also the sort of general movement. So it's all it all really just depend on your choices and how you play this game and who you choose which I think is amazing for a game of this type at this time. So I really, obviously, really, I mean, I'm effusive about Minute Mansion because I think it's such a brilliantly designed and important game. It's the first official Scum Engine game. Scum Engine stands for the Script Creation Utility for Maniac Mansion. So this is the first of the Scum games. That engine became the engine that drove almost low, almost all the other games that came after, including things like Monkey Island and all the others. This was the first game that utilized that programming system to be able to define the engine that runs the game and all the interactions. And that's very important because that made this ultimately super portable. So this was then able to be able to be ported. There's even a VMware version of this and a virtual version now. So this, this can exist on anything. But it's the first game that utilizes the Scum engine. 
Obviously, that's the defining defining engine that runs all the interactions and all the cutscenes and goes on to power many, many more games. In fact, the phrase cutscene apparently originated from this game because of those cutscenes that are in the game. So this game was the, apparently, according to Ron Gilbert in an interview, was the first game to use the phrase cutscenes for a game. So those are cutscenes. So they originated apparently originated with this. And the context of how it displays other scenes and, ever, and, the, and the game flow and the idea that those scenes sort of occurring elsewhere in the game at the same time and all of that is quite unique to this. It's really the true beginning of point and click because the Murder on the Mississippi has the look of this, but it doesn't have the point and click because that is more of a choose your sort of response type idea. And Labyrinth sort of has that kind of rolling sort of choice thing, but it's not the verb choice, choose choice and noun choice that you have here. This is the there is lineage from those, I think, to this somehow, but certainly this is the first proper point and click game as by, by that definition, I think. Which, of course, leads to many other amazing games, including Day of the Tentacle, obviously the Monkey Island series, Zach McCracken, which no doubt we'll cover later, later when that comes out, which is another mind-blowingly brilliant game. Indiana Jones, there's, there's loads there's loads and loads and loads of them. Obviously, the guy behind the code here, who actually programmed this game himself as well, um, it was Ron Gilbert. Now, he has had, obviously, a long and illustrious career in video games, still to this day making games and all sorts of, including point-and-click games, and I think there's even a follow-up now to Monkey Island on the cards. And this game has been ported to pretty much everything over time. But this, as he describes it, this is his personal favourite of all of his games. It's the one he was most passionate and the one he put most hours. He spent a year of his life getting all of the design and all of the code and everything working on this and really pushed the, and pushed the way to be able to get this, to get it working in the way they did so that it existed on two sides of one disc. And it is really kind of the beginning of the, I think the first two versions were the C64 and logically the Apple II, which is kind of almost the, the both 6502. So you can see why it might have gone that way. This game started my lifetime love of point and click adventures. I absolutely love them and the, I would recommend strongly, if you like this kind of thing, purchasing the Point and Click Adventure book, um, the, which is the, the sort of a showcase book from Bitmap, I think. It's an amazing book, beautiful images in there. And at one stage or other, I think I've played all of them. I think I don't think there's many Point and Click games I've not played, or at least pretty much all of them across all the different formats. Two of my favorite C64 games of all time are Point and Click games, of which this is one. I think the graphics here are bold and colorful and fairly simple, all said and done, understandable by everybody. The complexity, the story isn't over-complex and over-difficult. The puzzles are challenging. The graphics here are, uh, in the backgrounds are good. Um, and, and at all said and done, there's a lot to be said about keeping things simple, even at this level, even though what they're doing actually is very complicated. The sounds are okay. Maybe on the weaker side, actually, for this, but there's a lot of stuff in the game. So the sounds have sort of more perfunctory sound effects. Um, and there is an opening theme, which is kind of famous at Maniac Mansion music, but there's, there's more interstitial sort of sound effects in the game itself. The characters are all quite interesting with great dynamism between them. And the puzzles are challenging and sometimes not obvious. It's certainly one for disk drive owners. Obviously, I don't think it ever came out on tape. I just I don't believe it did, but it could have. Um, but the whole game was less than 320K in total. So it was 160K per disk side. So they managed to cram this whole game, all the graphics and everything else and all that logic, all the endings, all the multiple endings of forget how many there are, um, into 320k, which is kind of staggering, really. Um, and the packaging for this game was really cool when it came out. It had really good instructions, loads of bump, um, loads of clues in the instructions all over the place, hidden clues and everything. So it's, it's, it's quite a fun game. And staggeringly, this did not get a gold medal in Zap. I think it's, I even now it irks me that this got 93%. And I get, I may sort of get it because there is weak, weaker parts of the sound, but some of their criticisms they say the last ability says when the adventure is sold return to the mansion with a new gang but there's multiple endings in this game and those endings change depending on in some instances what room you go in what object you pick up can change the ending of the game so you might never see the same ending with the same characters twice because you might do it differently and i think that's incredible they describe the sound as a bit as a bit non-plus and i suppose they might be right about that and they criticize the large cartoon graphics 
But they do say that they're cartoon style and nicely drawn backdrops, which, and I suppose they are maybe a little bit too on the basic side with the limitations of what they are. I don't know. Anyway, I took a moment to look across the scores and I don't think they're really fair. I don't think they make much sense. It is a sizzler and that's no bad thing. And 93% is a good score for anything, but I sometimes, wonder, and it is up against something like Nebulous, which is genuinely quite incredible for a game, and a very, but a very different kind of game. So maybe this is, you know, 93%. I would have given it gold medal myself, but okay, I'm a, maybe I'm a bit biased because I love it. But admittedly, um, even Ron Gilbert in his 2012 Maniac Mansion post-mortem video, which I'd recommend everyone watch, by the way, because it's brilliant, which is on YouTube in a, in a sort of a... It was during a presentation he was giving at some German event that he was at. Um, he states that while Maniac Mansion is a deeply personal game for him and one of his personal favourites, it is flawed. There's lots of loose ends and problems that leave you unable to finish the game there's loads of logic traps here and there um, and that can leave you in difficulty it isn't perfect um, and that's by his own admission but for me this is one of the most incredible games on the c64 it's a true logic and playable advance of the text adventure graphic adventure series which generally tune me out so this was a really good in for me to be able to play those kind of games and it's a step into a very different level of game design this is sort of next generation game design and that proof because this engine is still the engine they use to make these games it's still the scum engine behind all of them and um, so i think this is next generation before the platform i think and, and it's testament to that is that the games on the modern platform still kind of feel and kind of play the same way i think it stands now as one of the single greatest games ever made certainly on the c64 easily one of the best and i think the great thing is here is that you know there's better to come not necessarily better than this game because they they're all play really well but this is brilliant absolutely brilliant robbed of a gold medal but i'll live with that Decent price for a big adventure with multiple endings as well. I think it's brilliant. I can't honestly sing. I sing its praises and I will always play it because I, I remember the very first day I played it and it was like when I was playing it for this podcast, it felt exactly the same. I love it. I think it's ace. What about you? I find these games pretty boring. Um, I can appreciate them though. Um, it's the first of proper scum type games, obviously on the C64, melding adventure games with arcade games. And it does it way more successfully than Labyrinth did. I like the fact there's a touch of Lovecraft and uh, color out of space and then the, sci- the 50s sci-fi horror in the story of meteors crashing down in rural america and causing otherwise normal people to go a bit insane around the gills so there's a, there's a nice touch of lovecraft in there it's beautifully presented don't get me wrong and play it plays very well and it's got a simple to navigate interface visuals are a step up from what we had in labyrinth and and the actual world itself because i think it, the world itself is better so it'd be just be in the, the house so it allows it to be more small and, and more detailed in scope than the Labyrinth, which I thought was a, a lot of grey walls. The cast of characters is also an improvement and having to choose who to do the adventure with, you know, it adds more variety and scope of gameplay. And as you've rightly pointed out, is it possible to complete the game no matter who you pick? Uh, no, some some combinations are not capable of completing the game. See, that's, that's not great. No, you've got no, like you said, it's flawed. Yeah, you so it was if flawed. you've got no clue at the beginning, this is what we kind of said about Monty on the run. Like you don't know which objects to take in. So if you... If you just pick two characters and you have no idea, if you've got multiple endings, it's... Oh, yeah. He knew that he knew he hadn't got it quite right. But and his, his, argument, his argument there was that he just bit off a bit more than he could chew. Yeah, um, I, I remember, get it. Remember, you've got two people making this game. No, I know. I don't. I'm not doubting that. I just think that's a that's a big thing for me, which is saying you could, from the moment of to start, you are not going to complete this game. And you might not realize why. Because of the multiple things that can go wrong through a playthrough, you may never realize it was because you made the bad choice at the beginning. That, yeah, absolutely. That, I absolutely. think that's, that is a, quite a striking mark against it. It's an acknowledged fact that there are flaws with this. No, absolutely. Down, down the line, we'll, we'll, they'll fix them. But there's no, I mean, I'm not doubting the technical chops here. 
don't get me wrong, what they're doing is incredible. And the, the craft and the love of the genre, um, and you know, you can tell that what they wanted to produce is what they produced. And I think, yeah, they probably bit off a little bit more than they could chew, and there's some issues around the edges and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Had I played this back then, I mean, I couldn't. I didn't have a disc drive, and it never hit tape, and it never would. So, I bet I would have loved this. Maybe I might have might have liked this genre more than I, more than I would. But as it was, I never got really to play it, and I didn't really play point and clicks until I had an Amiga, and that was well later. And so maybe that's got part of part and parcel of this. I don't know. Having never played it, I can appreciate it for where it stands in gaming history. Right? I get it. I understand its importance. I know why it's revered i know what it led to but i just know these these games are just they're just not for me i've just never been a huge fan of point and click adventures whether that is things like monkey island i'm not a big monkey island fan i know that's kind of wash your mouth out i know i know uh, i'm just not simon the sorcerer grim fandango broken sword any of those you know not like the, the legion of others and i had a look at the lucas arts games the list of lucas arts games so they started off with Ballblazer, Rescue and Fractalis, Eidolon, Cronus Rift, and this kind of really weird experimental doing these kind of technically imp- interesting things. And the, the whole thing from you know Lucas was don't use licenses, don't. And Maniac Mansion is part of that, obviously. But here, it's weird you look at the history from this point on. Lucasfilm, LucasArts, primarily become a point-and-click World War II sort of simulator developer. That's all they, that's built to become. It's kind of strange, really, considering those first few games. And, and I actually, from my point of view... I find that quite like I prefer those those first four. The the you know you know I love the Eidolon as much as you know I know you know I do. Um, and so I always found that those were more interesting in in a sense of what they were doing. I get that this is our you know what, people's type of game, your type of game. And uh, there's not many I like. I mean, th- I was trying to think if there's ones I do actually like. I mean, there's not many. There's the first Walking Dead by Telltale um, that I really like. I thought that was brilliant. I mean, everyone does, so that's what it is. And I think I completed the first Broken Sword game back on the play station but there you go i love the phoenix right games but are the phoenix right games I saw, I saw a list of the phoenix right games were in it i never thought of them as point and click but i guess kind of they are a little bit but they are what they are just there's something that the, the genre just doesn't gel with me and that's just me so i'm not going to knock the game the graphics i think the graphics are really nice in it i think the i think there's no problem with that i think the replayability is there as you've rightly pointed out the multiple endings there's loads of different ways to go through it i think screwing yourself from the very beginning is bad no matter how we, we want to sort of argue around that i think that's a bad thing however there's enough here um, would I give it a gold medal? I wouldn't, but that's just me. I can see there's an argument for it, but I think that's retrospectively looking at it and where it went because you, you, you've just got a game here at this point in time. You don't know what's coming next and what this will lead to. It's like what we said about pirates. It's maybe the zap didn't quite understand what they were kind of looking at and where this was going to go and how influential this was going to be. I don't know. I just, I, I find the, because I wanted to play this without looking at a, a guide because it's like, if I'm just going to follow a guide, then it's like, well, what's the point in me playing it? You're just going through a series of steps and that's just dull. And I just, I got lost quite quickly, wandering around, picking stuff up. I, I, I don't know. And I wanted to play it. I wanted to give it a really good go and I gave it a few goes and I just found the same things happen over and tried different people, did different stuff. I like the technical side of it. I like the cutscenes. There's some quite funny dialogue and bits and bobs and things like that and the characters are good and everything around it is all right. It's just this type of game is just not for me and 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 I'm, I'm happy with that i'm not bothered but i'll absolutely 100 back it to the hilt that it should have you know maybe it should have scored higher i don't know there you go that's me i don't know if it scores should score higher i just think it is i mean yeah it's easy to look back and go well it, you know this led to so therefore it should have got better that's not my point my point is that this was a great game maybe it just leaves in the wrong section in zap i don't know if it does it really live in the adventure section is it that is it i don't know um i, I it's one it's a crossover isn't it it is it's an arcade adventure in and of itself yeah, i, I, I don't mean know, i am um, I actually, I mean, I, I really like Maniac Mansion. I actually prefer 
Zach McCracken and the Alien Mindbenders because that's a much better story. It'll be story. interesting to play that one because, again, it's not something I've played much of because I didn't have a disc drive, so I've never really gone back to these because it's not a genre I particularly like. So looking at Zach McCracken when maybe they've maybe ironed out some of the kinks and the bugs and the hiccups and the things and it's a, maybe a better game, I don't know. I've heard good things about Zach McCracken. I'd heard good things about this, and it's a transitional. It's a transitional thing, isn't it? It's, it's the evolution. It's the start of them, and they're not going to get it perfect from out well, the bat. It's, it's that, and so, I think it's just it's the inclusion of some just some ideas. I think make it very interesting. The idea of having multiple characters to choose from, the idea of cutscenes, is quite interesting in a game like this. Um, mm. And that and that those are happening sort of asynchronously with you. So while you're doing stuff, this is happening elsewhere, and I, I really like that. Um, it's quite refreshing that a game does that. I mean, we've um, seen similar things in. I mean, it's not the same, but I suppose it can. In Karatika, where that has yeah, uh, that's, so that's that kind of sort of quality to it. You know, while you're running, you sort of see the sort of mini scenes of it. Yeah, yeah and you see those. So it's the cell similar, and stuff. similar, um, but there's no dialogue. There's no, there's no. Well, that's that's the person who would sort of approach games from a more filmic, cinematic viewpoint. Yeah. Jordan Mechner with Prince of Persia and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and and they're definitely influenced by the B movies and things they've seen. I mean, there's no doubt about that with this. You know, he's he said yeah. in his interview that he's the meteor striking in the ground is actually based on that. There's a film with Stephen King in it where he plays like a farmer and a meteor lands in his garden and That's creep show, takes isn't him it? over. Yeah, that part of creep show. So it's yeah. part of that. Um, so there's a little bit of that in there, and you can sort of see the little hints and tips of things. The house looks a bit like the house of Psycho on the hill, and you know, but I I quite like that about well, it. Well, I mean, um, the, well, the story of the Lovecraft story, Colour Out of Space, is a, is a meteorite that they can't describe. Lands in a, the backyard of this farm and then just basically destroys... And the story Strange told, stuff happens. Yeah, yeah it, it, it destroys the family, warps everything, causes the animals to go, you know. But And, and that's a meteor. It's a meteor altering the things around it, so... Yeah, I get it. I get it. I'm. I'm. I'm just. I just know that. I. Know, I always know you've loved these games. It's, it's something I know. I know, mm. I know you love them. They just. They don't. They just never done. And I don't know whether it's because I didn't get into them back then. Well, I think that's it. I think you needed to have a disc drive, um, and this is a proper disc game. It can only exist on on disc because it's yeah. 320k. It's not going to be. A, it's not something you can load in tape. And the the way the game plays out because certain things only happen in certain ways because of certain things that you do so if you're the musician and one of the well and also it's what well, one thing that is i did forget to mention is if you're playing two characters and one of the characters like um if for example one of the characters picks up the developer fluid and breaks it and one of your other characters is the photographer you can ne- and then complete their game in that way because you have to try and think of a different way of doing it because you've broken the developer fluid which the photographer is the only one who knows how to use it anyway and it's just a right. little brick but there's a really good logic map for this which is in one of the documents which we'll put in the show notes but there's a whole series of stuff i found around the documents and stuff like that and when you see the logic map I mean, they did it on layers of um, like acetate sheet for each character, so where they interacted and then overlaid them, and it's just mind-boggling. Um, and you can see why, right, when he said he bit off more than he could chew, it's clear. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 like I said, I, I get it. I get all of that, but you, can, you can't like everything too no, much. For, for each person that likes a point-and-click game, there's somebody that likes to shoot at dragons in a first-person way. <laughs> But yes. no, that's, that's just but that's that's the beauty of the games that we play is that there's there's something for somebody there. There is. And my my complaint isn't that the Zap didn't figure out that the future was going to be full of point and click games for Lucasfilm. My complaint with the Zap review is that they f- they focus on the things that are not the things that they so that their hookability and lastability scores seem at odds with each other and a game that has multiple endings and multiple choices, which is something that is clear from the start. And I just find that odd because there's other games that have scored higher for lastability that have had less game to them. I just find that a little bit odd. But you know they they play what they they grade them and score them in the way that they do, and it still got rave reviews. Yeah, it did. Um, and is that the classic Zap tradition? The reviewer reviewer panels are all full of effusive praise, and then the scores come out, and the scores are a little bit wish, bit whitewashy. So. 
I don't think you could put ninety three percent as whitewash yet. It's only seven percent no, not perfect. No, but eighty for graphics. Um, I think um, that's about right. Eighty six percent for lastability. But this, they, I suppose, it belies the way they're created. I suppose, and yeah. But anyway, yeah. never mind. It's still good. I mean, it's just what it is, isn't it? Maniac Mansion. There we go. I think that might be our longest review. There we go. No, we're near. No, we're near. We're a forty five minute review of Bloody Eidolon. <laughs> No, we didn't. We bloody did. <laughs> I'll have to go back and listen. Oh, anyway, there we go. It's Maniac Mansion. Let's move on. <laughs> to a game that feels like it took just as long to play. <laughs> oh, no. God, yeah, this. <laughs> oh, this is the next one up. So this is EOS, um, Earth Orbit Stations, uh, from Ele- Electronic Arts and the Mind of Carl Boiter, Boiter, B-U-I-T-E-R. How do you pronounce that? B-U-I, Boiter, I guess. Boiter comes the space station builder. Or EOS, Earth Orbit Stations, to you and I. The year, Graham, is 1996, and you have been appointed space director. Sounds pretty cool, as job titles go. Yay. Yeah, I'd love that. Your job is to build space stations and use them to make money, search out extraterrestrial life, or carry out rescue operations. Now, that's what this is. So you're building space stations, essentially, to do stuff. So the game opens with a flashing space shuttle. <laughs> really weird. Cycling through the colours that the C64 can offer. So, um, yeah, it's just a space shuttle with loads of colours. And then it takes an age to load. If you're going to play this, settle in. I think you you messaged me, didn't you? You said, get a, get a tent and a sleeping bag. It's not far off the truth. Uh, even on warp mode on the emulator, it took ages, ages. Anyway, once this loads up, you get to choose which mode you wish to play through. You can go through, you've got multiple modes. There are research, dry dock, shuttle, Mars rescue, lunar base, space colony, and search for life. I chose research. It seemed the first option, and hopefully the game would ease me in. Nope. <laughs> nope. nope. I got a message from a CEO telling me to design a station and make some money, and I was off in the slowest way possible. Because this takes an age again to load and do anything. You're asked to select a player. So you get this screen, and you've got select a player on the right-hand side, and whether it will be, and then it says whether you'll be player-controlled or computer and you can have up to four playing, but I don't know what the computer does. I tried put some to the computer, but they didn't seem to be doing much. Once you are playing and the disc loading is done, which again takes an age, uh, you've got some options open to you. So the screen is split. On the right, you've got these options. It's like a, it's like a sort of a, a modern day, I guess, a, a, a piece of sort of like Word or something like that, because you've got like drop downs on the top to across the top, and then on the right, you've got some other options as well. So you can go this, and this is controlled by this cursor, which you can move around the place. So on the right, you've got some options open to you've got stations commerce research and probes so if you pick stations this allows you to build some space stations using certain modules that are available to you so what happens is you get this grid appears and then you get these this list of types of modules you can get i'm not going to list them all here you've got things like command modules life support galleys power logistics there's two two uh, two pages of them, two lots of uh, lists of these. Each costs money to put in. You start off with a hundred something or other. I don't know what it is. Hundred dollars, hundred thousand dollars, hundred million. I don't know. And each one costs money to put in. And you've got this grid, and you can build this sort of space station in this grid on the on the le- and on the sort of takes up the main part of the screen. You move them around, and all these parts join together with these little sort of nodule bits. So you've got to build this space station. I'm not quite sure what for. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what kind of happened. Because you've only got a certain amount of budgets. So you can't be too crazy. You've got to save some money the next menu is commerce and this gives me loads of financial data research uh financial data i could make no no head or tail of i never seem to change no matter how long i played this for i don't know whether i hadn't actually launched something maybe i was doing research it was never gonna do it but the director said 
build this and make some money. So I was expecting things to happen. Then there's also research, which gives some options to carry out research into various things like chemicals or weather or communications, things you can do in the space station, I guess, up in space. Finally, you can launch probes to the moon and beyond. There's these two other places you can launch to. But again, this costs money, um, and I'd run out of money at this point. I built my space station too big, so I couldn't launch anything. I couldn't launch a probe. I was like, oh. And that's it, really. The presentation's really dry. I didn't really get very far into this because it's really dry and really boring. It's got just black text and a white background. Um, when it boots up, it's got a really... I didn't know, was it supposed to be this bad? It's a terrible version of the Blue Danube when it boots up. Was it supposed to sound that bad? Do you know? Uh, it was, wasn't really good, was it? <laughs> I, I, I didn't know whether it was supposed to be like some version that we'd, like a, we'd sent out to space on a something. No, or a, it's just deliberately crap. It's, it's just crap. deliberately crap, all right. The cursor, which controls selecting the options, well, it can wander. I thought at first it was just flicking down between them until I continued moving, and then it just moved off on its own. So you have this cursor, which is just a cursor. It should just wander all over the screen. It's just odd. Don't flick from option to option unless you're moving from option to option. Then it just moves off. You can move to the left and it's just moving around the screen on its own. You're just kind of drawing a cursor, moving about. It's odd. And it, don't, it should flick from option to option. You, go, you, you can also save and load your game should you wish to. And if, you know, you've got these three options across the top, it's all just very weird. It's all really boring. If all it is, if this all sounds incredibly vague, that's because it is. Because the, this game that I found, I tried a couple of others, but it's got no easy way in. Um, you're presented with options and things to choose from with no real idea of what they mean or will do. It seems to be quite in-depth. And I, I'm going to guess you may need the man- manual. I went and searched and hunted high and low for the manual, but I couldn't find one. So I was kind of winging this a bit. So maybe it's me. And maybe you really need the manual for this but it's really dull you, you're gonna you know without it you just get lost in sub menus and options and making choices with no real no- way of knowing what they actually do i don't know it's, it's hard for me to really say if this is any good zap gave it 40 percent, and that it was slow boring and prone to crashing and when it came down to it not as in-depth as it makes you think it is that was their viewpoint and they had the instructions so i'm going to err on the side of caution to say that this is not a particularly very good game what i can say for sure is that this game is just not for me it's dry dull very unrewarding and even i thought building space stations and launching them and doing stuff like that, that sounds quite cool but mundane and they've managed to make that into the most boring thing however if this sounds like your cup of tea then check it out but be prepared to set time aside because you're going to need it to handle the loading on this even at warp speed it's dreadful um i didn't get anything out of this it was too esoteric and too boring and too too just unfriendly to play what about you did you enjoy earth orbit stations so slow so painfully <laughs> slow so slow so even slow. with warp goodness mate it was like 15 minutes i think i was waiting for it i selected research and then i think they went off and researched how to how this game's gonna work <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then it finally came on and, went, and that was with warp i'm like i pressed the warp button i'm like oh, okay this, this won't take long i was like goodness me what is it loading um it's not like enough that's not that much memory to load stuff into and that's why I don't know. It just it was just painful, wasn't it? So I don't know what's going on. So how do you make the building of a spaceship fun? Firstly, don't make loading it insufferable. I think that's the uh, <laughs> key. I think bare bones, and for those that like this kind of thing, there might be something here, maybe. It's very crude and very slow, ridiculously zoned facts, and completely put me off from the get-go because of that. If I were a vampire, this would be a crucifix. <laughs> um, but that said, building space stations and things like that, that is cool. Yeah. And so this could have been cool. If anything, this game is kind of way before its time in almost every aspect, actually. Because princip- especially in terms of hardware, if you roll to the future, there's loads of games like this now, loads. Yeah, you think like loads Kerbal Space, space Program and stuff, oh, I guess. Yeah, there's, there's tons of them. Yeah, there's, there's one. I think there's even like a, 
this space station simulator. There's tons of them. So there's all massive successes. There's loads of uh, uh, stuff like that in these sort of modern games. So they're popular. I think at some stage with this game, the game designers got lost in the depth of their own function. So they've just sat there, like I imagine wires and paper going, we've got to make this work somehow. You know, and it's <laughs> a bit like that scene in the, uh, Apollo 13, um, where they're all, they've got to try and figure out how to make something happen. So they're just in a room doing that. Yep. Um, so, and they wanted to add as much as they could to it, which is fine and ambitious, and it's to be applauded. But the hardwood limitations are so much, and the slowness of this is so bad that it kills it in its nest like a smashed egg. <laughs> yeah. So I think there's a good idea. Building space stations and that is cool, just not like this, unfortunately. No. You, you, you're on the wrong platform. You're about 20 years too early for it to be popular and have the yeah. 3D dexterity to be able to bolt stuff together fast. So, no thanks. No, I've not seen anything this slow since we played the double. No, no and it's pricey as well at 17 quid ago. So, no. Yeah, 16.95 on it. Ooh, so that. That's actually the, that's the year you have to start playing it, and then 300 <laughs> years later it'll start. <laughs> Columbus started this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, was, this was the brainchild of Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. There we go. EOS. It sounds really proggy. Earth orbit stations. Sounds like a yes album, doesn't it? It does. Exactly. I was going to say he's exactly a prog album. <laughs> Earth orbit stations. <laughs> 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 there we go that's that one let's move along because our review of that should have just been really slow just reading out really slow slowly slowly yeah, just lo- loading an infamous slowly yeah. yeah let's move on and graham you can tell us all about hyper blob hyper blob hyper 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 blob it's actually hyper blob is it yeah yeah I thought it was Hyperblob from the title screen and from the naming zap. I typed it wrong. My fault. I looked up Hyperblob and it came up as Hyperblob. Anyway, it doesn't matter. By Sam Manthorpe, who made um, Out on a Limb. Yeah, yeah. That's him. And the music is Steve Barrett. It's quite a simple game logic, this. Hyperblob, Hyperblob, is set on the planet of Cubos, on which the player works as a tourist guide. Unfortunately, you've got to take care of the Blob Pods tourist group, <laughs> which are mindless bouncing ball faces. <laughs> That's not a nice thing to say about anyone, is it? You mindless bouncing ball face. Um, so the game is consisting of 100 side-scrolling levels uh, with differently positioned blocks. Some of those position blocks will become stairs uh, and there's gaps, and the Blob Pods will bounce from the left to right and only bounce back if they hit or bump into a block. If they fall through a gap, they die. So the player is the player you control a cursor which you then use to pick up the blocks or remove them and drop them into another place so you can build a safe path for your blob pods to traverse there are other special blocks including immovable blocks mutant blocks which cause touching blob to eat up all the blocks it touches and blocks which disintegrate after blob contact to complicate things there's also a time limit for each level the game plays out on a fairly straightforward screen so on the as as you get through the sort of fairly nice title screen on this fairly straightforward but nice and start the game off um you have a a fairly clearly indicated uh, icon pointer thing which moves with a bit of inertia on the joystick and you blob faces start (laughs) moving it's really weird but the blob faces start this sort of lemmings start bounce as opposed to lemmings walking but they sort of yeah. faces the blob pod faces will sort of move from left to right bouncing along and as long as their path isn't hindered by a block that's too high or a gap and they will t- continually walk and bounce their way happily across the screen from left to right and you making sure that their blocks are not impeding them blocking them because if you do that sometimes they'll go backwards and then if they're going backwards the wrong way and there's a gap they're going to go down the gap so you've got to quickly plug that and you've got to move around fairly quickly in this space in order to make sure that the blobs are able to get from left to right. And it's not as easy as it sounds um, because they do hit blocks and go backwards. So you've got to learn to sort of make steps for them. 
you got to plug gaps where you think they're going to go and then sort of navigate them out of different spaces. And it's quite clever the way that works, actually. The inertia on the joystick thing is takes a little bit of getting used to um, because I think that's the only thing that made the, Otherwise, if it had just been click, click, click to do stuff, it would have been too easy. So you do kind of fly across the screen a bit as they're scrolling. And you can, you can scroll right the way across to the end of the screen all the way back while they're still happily bouncing their way across. But, you know, know that they're coming, lemming style, and they're not going to stop unless they are stopped or they die. Mm-hmm. So you've got to make sure you get them for cross. So... Like I said, you control it with joystick, simple fire button to sort of do the block logic, whatever that might be. And you can get your little, your blob pod tourists across the screen. And then there's a hundred levels to go out here. So there's quite a lot to go. And each one is sometimes they're deviously and nightmarishly designs as well. Some of these levels, I got quite far in it. So this is another classic example. Remember, this is three quid. This is, a, I think, a good example of another simple idea done quite well and also a little bit ahead of its time. It's obviously the precursor to a Lemmings type, type game. Um, and it's a nice, fresh idea that's well implemented. There's, it, it's not buggy, this. At least I didn't encounter any bugs. Um, but it's not that buggy. And it's, it does what it's set out to do very simply, very ably, and quite nicely as well. The, it, as much as there's quite a lot going on on the screens and you've got to move these blocks in and out and, and sort of drop them in and out, that all works perfectly fine. There's a lot move, lot going on. Um, but this this really it, real weird of impending blob doom as these things just kind of happily bounce across and you've got to think, oh my God, there's a gap. I've got to get rid of the gap. Oh my God, I've got to get rid of that block. Are they going to go backwards and fall down there? Um, so there's some really sort of panic-stricken logic and that suits the kind of inertia-based joystick where you're flying around trying to figure stuff out really on, on the fly, which is quite cool. It's not easy, this game, but it is something that is, is not so difficult that it puts you off. It's pers- you'll, you'll persist with that, I think, for three quid. And it is quite fun. And I thought the presentation here was considering three quid was really good. The graphics, they're a bit odd. But they all work really well, and the game feels well put together, and all and it all it's all coherent. The sounds are pretty good too, and I quite liked quite like this, and I had quite a lot of fun with it. Um, and you've got to just go with it a bit. Yes, it's it's that kind of lemmingsy type game. Um, in our ongoing quest to champion the notion of simple ideas with polish, this fits very neatly into that category. And as such, um, it's a fun, playable game that is entertaining. More to the point, this is clearly a mobile phone game that's not yet been made, or maybe it has been made. I mean, there's lemmings out there and stuff like that, but I think there's. It almost plays like a mobile game, like an iPhone or an Android game, mm. sort of, you know, in landscape waiting to happen, really. Because you can imagine yourself zipping about and doing the stuff like that. I think it's just out there. So I like it. I thought this was really good. I never, again, never came across it ever. No. Um, so three pounds for a, a, a good, you know, this would pass many a Sunday afternoon. I think you'd you'd go with this because it's quite fun. So I quite liked uh, Hyperblob. I thought it was a good laugh. And it certainly was a light relief from the 15,000 year wait for Earth Orbit Station. So. <laughs> Nice to get a game that's loaded and you could play it fairly quickly, to be fair. What yeah. about you? Um, yeah, I, I like the same as you. One step close to Lemmings in this cheapo puzzler as you try and guide a set of bouncing heads along a course by picking up and dropping blocks to keep them safe along the way. A nice idea and perfect budget budget, budget fodder. Uh, the visuals are simple enough, but the bouncing heads have a nice kind of charm and the blocks for each level are perfectly fine. The level selecting the game starting you from the last level is also a nice touch and avoids repetition of having to do the early levels time and time again. So you're kind of in that loop of trying to perfect a single level, and I like that. I've said that quite a numerous time. Uh, I thought the control of the cursor was nice, and I like the fact they got heavier and slower to move the more you picked up. I thought that was a really good touch. Yeah, so if you clever. picked up four blocks, I suddenly realized I was moving slower. I was like, oh, that's really yeah, that's yeah, nice. Yeah. I, I'd like that. So you had to sort of weigh up. Do I just pick up two? Because you can pick up four, couldn't you? Do I just pick up two and move fast, or do I need four but move slow? And you have to, there's that risk reward there. It gets very difficult, I thought, very quickly. And the inertia, as you've said, maybe a little bit too much. But we said Mevison because he he didn't just do uh, out of the limit. He did the detective as well, didn't he? This guy. That's right. Uh, and we do you remember. I think we said about the inertia in the choice the choice window. Mm, that's right. It's, yeah. So we, this guy's got a thing about inertia. He likes his inertia. But for two quid. This proto-lemons game would certainly have kept me entertained for many a rainy Sunday afternoon. 
It's well made and original uh, at this point and shows you do not need to be bothered by swarms of enemies to keep the game interesting. Take note, Action Force. We played this sim- similar sort of thing last week. It was Action Force. Um, in the fact, you know, you had to get that Jeep across and it was moving across and you had to build a level around it and get it going and everything like that. But you're constantly being bothered by enemies and that this one just gets rid of that, takes it down to its simple idea and it's all the better for it. And I, I really liked the bouncing heads. I thought they were they're kind of like lemmings. They kind of had a cute, cute, charming uh, sort of feel to them. <laughs> Interesting, yeah. yeah. It was good. I like this. Hyber Blob. Never heard of it, though. Never, ever, ever, ever. So never saw this back then. Never played it. Wasn't sure what to expect. Certainly wasn't anything like Lemmings, but was glad when I booted this up. And like you said, massive relief from slow orbit station earth whatever it was uh that was boring but yeah this was all right i quite enjoyed this it does get tricky but it's a budget game and it would it would have kept you going for ages i think if you try and beat these levels nice stuff yeah enjoyed it hyper blob who knew who saw that coming i certainly didn't there we go anything more to say on that one nope nope there we go let's move on we've got another cheapy coming up And that is Pirates in Hyperspace. This is two quid. It's got 58%. This is a budget shooter from Alternative Software. And this is the first game by David Saunders and Ashley Routledge. And it has music by Mark Cooksey of Ghosts and Goblins fame, obviously. So like that, uh, what was that Gavin Rayburn when we played a few weeks back with the multiple stages? Which one was it? Enforcer? Terminator? Yeah, one of them, yeah. P- pick pick a name, you know, pick a, pick something from his uh, yeah, uh, yeah. video video shelf. Old Man Fashioning Kayak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that one uh this is this is a shooter with multiple stages each with a different style of play as you attempt to pillage 21 space cargo ships for some form of valuable microscopic plunder who knows what that would be i don't know tiny, tiny the, gems t- tiny 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 plunder whatever the plot this is one pounds 99 worth of blasting and stuff so the first stage and the one you'll see most of sees you blasting away at a constant barrage of space debris as it tumbles towards you they're not aliens they're not waves they're just it's just stuff there's just stuff and it's coming towards you buried in this uh debris are glowing stars if you collect three of them it gains you access to the second stage where you must knock out the defenses of the cargo ship if you do that it's onto the third section which sees you running around the ship in a style reminiscent of the indoor sections of parallax as you try and recover the plunder so that's these three sections the first section, as noted, sees you trying to collect the three stars to progress. But the way it's played is both, well, I say it's interesting and it's infuriating. The debris that bombards you starts off just coming from the top. So it's it's like a you know vertical shot. There's just stuff coming down from the top and you've got to avoid it, shoot it, whatever. You've only got a limited amount of ammo. You've got 255 shots. You've got to be careful. You can avoid most of it, so it's not too bad. Very soon, though, it switches to coming diagonally from one side without warning, just coming diagonally. So you might be on the left of the screen and suddenly there's just stuff coming from the left. Like, ah, and so you're trying to dodge that and then you might be over on the right because you get a bit thingy. But then it'll just switch to the other side without warning. You're like, ah, um, and then you get a combination of both. So coming from either side in diagonals and from the top, and then it speeds up as well. So like I said, you've got limited ammo and this only replenishes when you collect a star. The stars themselves are hard to spot as they're the same because all the sprites are the same. They, they share a, a color palette. Each level you go through, they di- change a different color palette. So you have the shading colors, but the, the, they're everything's the same color. So you'll get the gray ones start off with, then you have blue ones and you have brown ones and so on and so forth. The stars are the same color. So it's quite hard to pick them out in, in under the barrage of stuff coming at you. If you get hit by anything, uh, you lose one of your five lives. 
and that's it. So the second section, though, well, if you do collect the three, you get to the second section. And what this is, you've got a blank screen at the top of the screen in the middle. It's like the it's like a claw. It's like the it's like a it's supposed to be the sort of uh, how you join onto the ship or something. But instead of Lunar Land, you have to basically blast it loads of times. The problem is you're harassed by these two enemies that are like fuzzy fields of dots, um, and they're chasing you around the screen. And you kind of have this weird speed up slow down control system it's kind of odd so you can't hit the top and if they hit you um, if you get hit at this stage you both lose a life and you are also catapulted to the start of the next level so the bombardment section again so you miss out on the third screen here which is kind of weird so you got to go do the first what's well, initially that first stage again just with different colored sprites if you do make it to the third section then if you run into anything there's little you're a little character so it, it, it kind of looks a bit like the parallax playing thing and night right and we saw it was also ripped off in night not quite but similar-ish it's that small character running around top-down sort of thing bit gauntlet-ish that sort of stuff but smaller graphics and smaller uh, if you contact with anything if you run into anything you're instantly killed um, and like the second stage you booted to the start of the shoot up bit again and that's it so that's your game so you do this what 21 times if you want to go through the whole thing trying to get to it i don't know if you actually collect anything i couldn't i kept dying and getting booted back to the main shoot stage so there's not really too much to this the font <laughs> did you find the font on the title screen and high school table really hard to read due to really poor color choice yeah just crappily colored it was yeah great it won't it was really bad and being kicked back to the start of the first section it seems only on, on the next level it seems punitive because that section gets boring really quickly. So there's not so much waves, just bombardments. There's little thought of focus on it. No, they haven't planned waves. They're just randomly spawning stuff to throw at you. If you'd simply lost a life in the second or third stages, that would have felt fairer. At least you're continuing and progressed, you know, and that, that would have been better. For one ninety nine, I guess this is okay. It's got some nice presentation on the title screen where it's got like bits where it shows you the scores for shooting the different uh, enemies and things like that. It's got an okay piece of music by Mark cooksey and i suppose for their first game it, it all works and the fact that some varieties you know there is variety to the stages that's good to see it's just the choices made around death in the second or third section that let it down and obviously the, just the fact that there's no real thought to you know i oh, will just randomly spawn stuff and change the direction well we got any waves no no that's we're not planning anything it's just random spawning it would have put me off playing it quite quickly i'd have come across this back then um because i never played it i never heard of it and it did it just that's what put me off here and now it's that you you lose all your progress and, and that second stage is quite tricky to control the inertia the thing they put on it it's not inertia it's speed up slow down and it's weird we got what did it get it got 58 percent. yeah probably about right i mean it's not terrible it all works i didn't find any bugs but it's just a bit poorly designed for the first game but that's what i thought what about you uh, graphics are all right. Music and sounds passable, I suppose. Matt Cook's in it. Gameplay just felt totally thoughtless. Yeah. Um, I mean, stage one is the cha-cha slide, isn't it? It's the come from the left, and then they come <laughs> from the right. Straight down. Mix it up. Ding, 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 ding. Jump to the left. Ding, ding, ding. And to the right. It's just mindless. Yeah. No, it's just a dodge the rock thing. All right. Stage two, stupid. Crappy controls made more difficult for no reason. And you mm-hmm. sort of shoot the thing and dodge the bullets if they you can call them that now. Nah. And then the flick screen walk around where everything kills you was just again just pointless, thoughtless. It's all thoughtless. Yeah. You got to do that twenty one times. Twenty one times. Are you having a laugh? No thanks. I didn't want to do it once. I suppose it's a whole two pounds, and it is a complete, albeit mindless, all said and done game. It controlled okay, I guess, in the stages that needed it, but it just felt bland and pointless and. 
just I didn't feel like there was any point. Even if you get past stage three and you go to stage two, it's just the same. Yes. And you just think, and I'm just going to be doing this. Tw- I've got to do this 21 times and then what? You just you just know there's going to be no payoff in this thing. Mm-hmm. So, and I did notice that some of the collision here was quite dodgy here and there on this. Yes, the it was. Yeah. Had, had a bit of a mind of its own here and there. And every now and again, sprites that would disappear to suddenly reappear from the bottom of the screen underneath you. Like, where are you coming from? Yeah. And you'd shoot some ones and other ones would blow up. Yeah. It was just, it wasn't, there was issues clearly there. And yeah. it just wasn't, well, it didn't keep my interest very long, put it that way. And, and I think it's because there's the there's the start of something maybe, but it just there wasn't much thought behind it. And that lack of thought, that thoughtlessness that pervades all of the games just means that you're not really in it for any reason. It's not fun, but it's two quid. 58% actually is about right. That really, I'd probably give it less, maybe less, maybe bang on 50 or something, but it's just two quid. There's better two quid games. So I don't know how this one yeah, would fare that, against like I said, some of those others. But. Gavin Rayburn one the other week was better where you had the thing shooting out from the sides and stuff multi-stage yeah, so, thing yeah so this is just it's too mindless for it to be in, in any fun really it's just there's not not within it just you know an entire level of just dodge differently direction directional objects on a bad starfield as well no excuse for that in bad starfields so i've seen too many good ones now <laughs> so, we have no, just no just it was challenged by its own logic and that's not good no it wasn't there we go that's uh pirates in hyperspace another budget one coming up Graham, tell us all about Sunburst. Uh, this is produced by Racket, mm. uh, created by John M. Phillips. Uh, music here by Nigel Grieve, and the title screen's by Bav. Good old Bav. Bav. All right, Bav. Do us the title screen, mate. All right, I'll do that. Right. Um, <laughs> so, in yet in yet another 360 degree scrolling shooter, you have to scroll around various systems or levels, avoiding shooting the and avoiding or shooting the attacking aliens, so you can seek and destroy the carrier aliens that are transporting energy pods. Once these energy pods are released, you have 10 seconds to collect them up. Collect enough of these to fill your energy meter, and then, hot black desiato in disaster area style, you fly off into the sun and vaporize, appearing on the next stage to do more of exactly the same, only with slightly more difficulty. Now, I couldn't find a lot of documentation about this game at all. Um, I tried to find an inlay or a description, and I found some images of the inlay that just had an advert for more of their games in it. It didn't seem to feature any instructions whatsoever, barring some vagaries. So what I've gathered there is basically what I can gather from the depths of the dark internet that we're in. That said, the graphics on it, of course, uh, I think they look quite nice, actually. The scrolling's good, the backgrounds and the sprites kind of work well. There's some nice details in here. There's a nice shadow on your spaceship as you fly across the sort of blobby landscape, the sort of details in the background. The background you fly over is actually quite nice. The controls mm-hmm. are quite responsive. It's back to that up, down for accelerating, decelerating, left, right, rotational, which works in these games. Mm-hmm. So no more of that horrible point to the top left and you're instantly going that way in that horrible juddery. Now, this is back to that nice smooth scrolling uh, with a, just a fire button that just shoots. Nice that, nice and keep it simple like that. I'm not diving mm-hmm. underneath the scenery or trying to navigate through networks. It's just that. You are under constant attack and that is exhausting. And there are background details to avoid too, but there is a playable game in here, I think. It's just a bit on the repetitive side, which is also sort of standing, landing on the usual budget title or budget game things, which is uh, they do one or two things and that's the game design done. So, you know, they don't put a lot more thought into it because in the back of their minds, they're thinking, I mean, it's only going to be two quid. You know, it's not, no, it's not, no, let's not write the full novel. Let's just give them a chapter. And so you don't get lots of game design. You get sort of fairly nice looking, it's a shooter, it's a decent shooter, I suppose, and it's of its own ilk, but it's, it is budget price. And Zap said there were some collision bugs in it. I never encountered any when I played it, but it doesn't mean there weren't any. So it might have some bugs in there, probably similar to the other bugs. You know, multiplex and sprites and things tends to be the undoing of most of these coders, it seems. I think if this had been, if you'd been given more to do in this, 
Oh, this had a more focused overall game arch. With its looks and playability, this could have been something really cool. This could have been actually something quite interesting. If you added upgrades to this, for example, um, this would have just made it a bit better. Um, or if you just added a little bit more, but they didn't add that little bit more. It's just, it's if this was in a 100-meter race, this isn't going to win. This is going to come like fifth. You know, it's, who remembers the fifth? person you know it's still a great <laughs> achievement but it's fifth so as it stands with that limit all the limited option and it, it plays okay sorry and it, and it looks nice for a sunday afternoon for a couple of hours you're gonna you might want to go around shooting and collecting the pod things and flying into the sun i don't know you might want to do that the audio was okay it was a bit dry the music but it was generally from the title screen to the option screen and stuff and the production level belied its price i think it's, it looks nicer than it cost but it's just a pity there wasn't a bit more to do um because i think therein lies the problem with it how long are you going to want to keep collecting energy pods and flying into the sun for? Because you're going to be doing that endlessly on this. And it didn't take long, really, to get past quite a few levels. It's a bit easy as well, albeit that the flying enemies are bloody annoying. So that's what I thought. Two quids worth of 360 shooter. At least it scrolled nicely, but there just wasn't a lot of game in it. And I guess that's the 199 curse. But what about you? Yeah, I mean, it's John Phillips, isn't it? Like you said, so it's it's he's it, it was obviously put all his effort into Nebulous. <laughs> Because the same guy, but he's obviously done this on the cheap as well. Maybe this just is a this is his palate cleanser before or afterhand. Yeah, he might have just done this years ago and just released it as like, oh yeah, have that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he blast enemies that spawn around the sun, trying to take out those who drop energy spores and yada yada. And once you've got enough, once you've filled up your meter, you dive into the sun. I quite like that idea. I quite like the idea of it. It's quite a decent thing. Like as you've rightly said, it's polished. It's really polished. This guy does polish, you know, um, his game. So even though there's a small game here, it's it's well polished. It controls well, and as you've rightly said, speed up and slow down and good rotation on the ship. But exactly like you said, it just gets a bit samey quite fast. And I found that in fact you have to constantly go near the spawning points, which destroy you on touch, makes it a bit trickier than it needs to be. Just that, you know, you're flying in stuff. But it feels like a, this feels like a game early game, but it feels like a yearning for twin sticks. Um, yeah, probably. I, th- I think you know, a twi- if you did this with a twin stick option now, you know, we've got that. I think this would be a, a really, a really nice little game. You could do something quite good with this. Gathering of resources to burst the sun is a nice idea, as I said, and it looks it looks really nice. And as you've rightly said, great animated sprites and really lovely shading on that ship as you're going around and it spins around. Yeah, yeah. So it's really yeah. nicely drawn, well-drawn backgrounds. But as, <laughs> it's just like what you said. Once you've seen one or two levels, you've kind of, you know, you've seen them all. And and again, maybe some power-ups to give the player more choice to how to approach the levels would have been good to see, you know, for a bit of variety and, and some different things to do and, and ways to approach the enemies and stuff rather than just shooting. But, but for a budget title, great presentation. Suitable, I say there's a suitable amount of budget blasting action and it would have kept you going on a Sunday afternoon, I think, for sure. I don't think you'd have been annoyed playing this. I think 67% looking at some of the other ones when they've got 50-odd is a bit harsh on this for, for a two quid, you know. But not not much more, but maybe a bit more. Uh, but there you go. It's it's a nice, nicely presented, some really nice bits and bobs around the edge, but it just... I think you, I think you've hit the nail rightly on the head. It's 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 two quid's worth of it's of, of stuff, and I think that's that. There you go. Anything else? No, no. Sunburst. Here we go. What one more left? One more. Let's move on into it. It's a big one. Maybe it's a big one. I don't know. Uh, Bangkok Nights. Da, da, da. Nine pound ninety nine. Bangkok Nights. Ninety percent Sizzler. It's our final game of nineteen eighty seven. And it's brought to us by System 3. And probably one of the 64s made another you know, technical highlight for the time, this one, the, the, from what they're saying. So Bangkok Knights sees large, well-animated fighters beating the crap out of each other in a kickboxing tournament in Bangkok. There you go. This was programmed by Nick Pelling uh, under the name Orlando M. Pilchard. I don't know why, but, it's, but it is Nick Pelling oh, from what I've read around. He, he did Firetrack. 
Yeah, he did that under the yeah. same name. Yeah, which weird, isn't it? Uh, it has graphics by Mr. Last Ninja, Hugh Riley, and music throughout by Rob Hubbard. Not seen much of him recently. So this is a real dream team of talent here to bring us this beat em up. Um, and according to the manual, and this is straight from the manual, and no small amount of hyperbole, this is the first in a new generation of true-life fighting simulations featuring larger-than-normal animated characters set against panoramic backgrounds, giving us a level of realism previously unattained on home computers. There you go. That's straight okay. from the manual. So, you know, right. that's uh, that's what it says. So to this end, you play an up-and-coming Thai boxer, hoping to come the undisputed Bangkok Knight. And to attain this, you must beat your way through eight different opponents. The first four of these are on the way to Lumpini Stadium, whilst the last four take place in the stadium itself under the bright lights and in front of the big crowds. So when the game boots up, you have a rather busy title screen. And that title screen was like, ah, <laughs> made my eyes yeah, ache a bit. There's a lot of text on that. There's a lot, a load of text, yeah. Um, I think most of the memories on in the game, so they probably didn't have a lot to do in there. And, and it's a decent bit of Hubbard music. It's all right. I'm not a massive fan of the music in this, but it's, it's okay. But you can choose to play without music or with, and with easy control or hard control methods. And I'll, I'll come to them a little bit later. You can also enter four-digit number codes to alter the color of the backgrounds if you wish, which is strange, weird, but okay, whatever. So the game is controlled by joystick, and you have 16 moves at your disposal using the usual eight directions with or without the fire button pressed. However, this game offers two types of control, easy and hard. In both modes, movement is done without the fire button pressed. This is a full 3D fighter, so you can move up, down, left, right, and the diagonals as well. So similar is what we saw to Renegade, really. If you imagine Renegade, that kind of control method, it's like that, except with the fire button, we use the fire button in this. So it's like that. With the fire button pressed, in hard mode, you must do all the moves yourself using eight all eight directions. Uh, there are eight eight offensive moves you can do i'm not going to list them all but they're the usual stuff of flying kicks punches headbutts arm chops kicks low kicks low punch whatever in easy mode you only use the compass points so left right up and down and the game decides what move to do based on the distance between you and your opponent so this has been done it's a, it's a nice touch this and is as the manual states because diagonals are hard to get accurately on some joysticks so they've built this in, which is, I guess, you know, that's quite nice. You know, so the game is doing a bit of it for you, a bit of heavy, heavy lifting, but, you know, you can use it, do it yourself if you want. So anyway, having chosen which method on the title screen, a press the fire button gets us going and you're up against the eight opponents. So your eight opponents are Manchu Man, Dan Fists, Bambo Man, Mucho Mike, Killer Kale, Daddy Kale, Siam Sally, and BB Butler. Once into the fight, it's best of five to win and progress to the next encounter. Each character has an energy bar and stamina called a heart power and punch power. As you punch, your punch power goes down, or punch or kick, whatever, your punch power goes down, and if this runs out, you need to do nothing briefly to gain some energy. So it's your stamina, basically. You know, If you run out of stamina, you can't kick. You're like, you leave yourself open, you still go, Ugh. So the objective is to land as many blows as you can and reduce the opponent's heart power, read health, to zero, thus knocking them out. Do this three times, and you win the bout and can proceed. The number of wins you have in each bout uh, is also shown along with the timer on this on the UI at the bottom. And if this runs out, then the one with the most energy left wins that bout or that round. So what we have here is an early example of what we go and see, uh, see in games like Street Fighter, Tekken, Soul Calibur, et al. Um, and it's kind of building on what we also saw in Fight Night, that multi-personality style fighter. So... The big point about this is the graphics. We'll come to them in a minute. We'll, we'll talk about them. In a minute. But if you think about how Street Fighter, Tekken, Soul Calibur, all about 
characters fighting from stage to stage you can move around in 3d you've got lots of different moves at your disposal you've got a health bar you've got a timer if that health if no one's knocked out by the end whoever's got the most health wins that round you can have best of five best of three best of one it's that okay these kind of games would come you know this is an early really early example of that so i can see you know that hyperbole in the uh in the manual okay there's maybe some some point to that. I mean, obviously, they didn't know this was what would come down the line, but you can see where they're going with this. And this personality style of fighter, then that all the we've I don't know if we, have we seen much in the way of personality style fighters. I mean, stuff like I mean, we had Frank Bruno, which we don't talk about, yeah, not outside outside of the bloody boxing games now. We haven't really sort of no fight night was one, but I can't think of Baron Brooks, but I can't think of uh, much. Most of the fighting games we have are just international karate, and it's the same characters in it, sort of fighting each other. Yeah, exactly. So there's no doubt in the graphics and presentation on this. It all feels top-notch with loads of nice effects, backgrounds and play- players wipe in with a Venetian blind effect and the speed at which everything moves is also a testament to the coding here. The graphics themselves in-game, which they take up most of the screen, the UI's at the bottom, but the graphics take up most of the top sort of two-thirds of the screen. They're big, they're bold, and they're well-defined. I suppose the, I mean... There's a little bit of that. It's not quite the same, but that Thai boxing game has similar kind of viewish. But this is bit, much bigger, much bolder, um, and the animation spot effects are all well done. So essentially, what you get, you get this scrolling panoramic screen. So the the, the actual fight exists in full three dimensions. So like Renegade, I suppose, but you're only fighting one person, and it, you can move up and down, left and right. And if you move to the left, the screen will scroll. The the, the the actual arena you fight in is bigger than the actual view you've got of it. So it scrolls around quite a lot. So that's all good so the graphics that i said the big bold the well-defined the music's okay burbles along in the background i don't think it's one of hubbard's best and and you you, you fight you, you throw your punches you do all this stuff the issue here though it really is is the fighting itself i just don't think it's it's that good if you come fast on the back of ik plus and we have you know we've played ik plus within the last few issue episodes and the impact that that imparts on each hit and blow you know when you smack someone in the lower back with a low punch you really feel that punch in the, in the animation and the sound effect oh, and as they go down onto their face you really feel it and and he, here it just feels tame in comparison and, and the illusion to fight night here is even more marked this feels like fight night in 3d i thought it's just you know same style of fighters over the top animation at times and it's also rather easy in either joystick mode and you can fight your way through to the end in just a few goes so the idea of any kind of single player lasting challenge is completely lost and everything i read around just people go it's too easy it's dead easy this is just you just walk on just keep punching you'll just knock them out it's dead easy the moves as well they felt a little weak um and they, they, they feel like they lack impact you just kind of get that sort of like that move where they go uh, 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 they kind of jerk back a little bit and that, that's kind of it there's no real there's no real oomph to anything in this and they you know and that leads into the multiplayer where there's no real joy to be had in this and what we have here is one of the it's a, it's a button masher really it feels like who can spam it feels like more like night games night games had a similar sort of issue with what we said with night games night games had you walloping on each other but it felt a bit there is a bit weightless and stuff and it is really who can spam the button the fastest and and you'll just be the winner there seems to i found there to be little strategy to the fighting side and get as many hits in as you can as quick as you can and it's really a bit of a shame really as if this felt a little more considered it would have been a lot better ik plus works because you have to choose your attacks and the time to attack the strategy there timing and you've got it you can't just go in all guns blazing here it's just a constant slap fight as you try and out hit your opponent and that's the only enjoyment from this comes from the technical side of things because it does look nice and it's impressive and it looks great in screenshots with the you know when you get the the woman at the start coming on with the billboard and everything and everything you know all the presentation around it and oh it's all really nice once that's lost though you have a rather moribund fighting game on your hand it's not terrible and i see a lot of people saying this is proof that street fighter 2 l should have been better versions on the c64 maybe they're right i don't know the point here is that fight the fighting is 
is not look good. So either either way, what we're left with is a pretty but essentially quite empty fighting game that tires quicker than you want it to. The heart the heart power in this goes down far too fast for me. That's what I thought about Bangkok Nights. I don't really even put, I think I played it back then, but I don't remember playing it very much. And so I'm guessing I felt the same back then. There's not a lot to draw me back to this because it's very easy to just walk your way through it. How about you? What did you think? Yeah, um, I mean, uh, I never played. I had this because it was like one of the big go-to games to get. And um, so I had this on disc at the time. And obviously it's System 3 pulling out more fighting games. It's weird that they would bring out a fighting game so soon after IK+, which is odd. And I also think that there's, for all the re- it's all the same reasons as you, there's, there's, while there's a great presentation here and the production is clearly very slick it isn't without its kind of issues around tedium is it so it's this this big mighty huge sprites lots of self-acclamations of it being you know super realistic and all the rest of it and as we've come to expect from system three the production is there with its slick graphics the crazy good music presentation here everything's top notch really they are huge sprites in that sense in this kind of game and the way it looks and plays in that way the way the camera moves and the animations limited as they are it certainly is impressive to look at. It makes for great screenshots, doesn't it, on the side of a box? Yeah, absolutely. That. Yes. Yeah. And then you've got you've got a few samples in there, haven't you? There's kind of the, so there's a few. The ringside bell sound was weird when you that you know that kind of audience. It's good that they do that, but you're not ringside, so I don't know why quite where the bell comes from. And there's that woman <laughs> stood there. I don't know what, what's going on. Yeah, there, I but. don't know either. And the backdrops do look good. They look like enlarged versions of the last Ninja graphics, but they do look quite good generally. And it all moves pretty fast. I mean, there's no denying that. It's all that part. is, is It's all there. So the problem for me with this, firstly, is, as you rightly say, it's too easy. I mean, I, I picked this up after I don't know how many years of last playing it and went beat the first five fighters within about 20 minutes. And yeah. it, was, it was no challenge. I wasn't really trying hard. I was just really, and this was in easy mode, I have to say. And I did try it in both modes and it was it was actually easier in the more difficult mode hard mode i just kicked their butts every time i mean i got straight through the whole game it was easy mm-hmm. so the game is too easy right off the bat and i worked my way through it all secondly the controls whether it's mindless uh, whether it's easy joy or whether it's hard it's just the fighting here is just mindless it doesn't feel like you're connecting it's t- it's more like tokenistic joystick waggling and button bashing as you say this doesn't feel like i'm selecting the moves like I do in IK+. And I have to say, I can't help but compare this with IK+, because they're the two most recent fighting games I've come across, one-on-one type beta. Mm -hmm. IK+, is still way better than this in every capacity. Yeah, Um, absolutely. I like the idea of that kind of easy joystick thing. I don't think the rationale makes any sense whatsoever. I never came across a joystick that had difficulty with diagonals my whole life of using joysticks. (laughs) I'm not sure what BS that was. Just I think it was just a way of them being able to add a an extra option and it's not clear that you press f7 to do that right off the get-go either you have to go through the instructions for that because that title screen is full of stuff but not full of how to start the game it's just yeah, like, it's long the, and off you go yeah so the main issues i have with this is the precision the precision of ik plus is not here ik plus is a precise game you move how you want it to move you have to choose the moves and you have to be and you have to block and be careful none of that is here it's just a throwaway masher so you just and i just basically beat the players i did by going towards them then just going slightly either above them or below them and just and repeatedly kicking them and punching them until they could do no more that's what and i the, did as well yeah and that's the, and the clue that's just the way all the moves feel a bit throwaway uh, in a similar way to yeah kung fu actually in the sense that i know they're not similar games in that way but the way that the moves just you could just do 50 moves and it wouldn't matter you just, as long as you get a hit it doesn't matter hmm. with the ik plus when you do a certain move you get a certain reaction and that's very very important in a fighting game if you do a crotch punch in ik plus you bloody well know you've done it. If you, kick <laughs> you him out, if you kick him out of the air, you get a nice crick sound and he's flat on his back. Those are important because you've made that choice that you've made that action and it's made that connection and there's an entire 
cause and effect loop, which is very satisfying to the player. If you just go in there and sort of waggle your arms around like a maniac and, you know, by pure luck or judgment, you just kind of keep hitting him in the face a lot and eventually he goes down. There's no skill in that. That's just, just, just dull. And that's really what this is. And I think that it, they, they could have just put a bit more thought into the fighting, which is kind of cr- critical for this game. I mean, there's there's some good things about this. I mean, I don't know if there's a two-player option for this. I suppose there must be. I don't know. Yeah, but, no, there is, yeah. There is and I imagine two-player, you might get some fun out of that because I can imagine that could be quite good, you know. In it, okay, but any game like this could be good in two-player. IK Plus is a great two-player game in that respect, probably better than this. And it's got that single-player campaign and that does have characters and they do have individual things, like special moves and things they do. One of them has swung his arm around wildly other one blew dust in my face. I can't help but feeling these guys have watched bloody Bloodsport before they built this. Yeah, massively so. Yeah, it's it's the genre. Yeah, it's so it's got hints of Bloodsport kick, in it. Kickboxer. Yeah, yeah, totally got some of that vibe in it. Um, and this predates the kickboxer game that came out, didn't it? Because there was a kickboxing game, I think, on the Amiga, maybe. I don't know if it ever came out in 64. But anyway, so their fighting styles did differ somewhat, but they'd still fall back on the same, you know, three or four moves generally, even when they were attacking. There wasn't a great deal of variation to them, and there wasn't a lot of landing moves. I did loads of kicks and stuff that were very hit and miss whether they landed. Most of the opponents I beat, I just punched them out repeatedly until they yeah, were just on the floor. That's all I did, because why would you not? Why would you do anything more when yeah, that worked uh, fine? Exactly. So they did have some weird moves. And, you know, maybe there's a little bit more of that sort of, because, you know, obviously the, there aren't characters in IK Plus or anything like that, but you don't need that really. Here, they've put that in, and that's good. And it, like you said, it is the precursor to games that come along like that have more of that, I guess. But for me, this just lacks all of the things that made IK Plus the really great fighting game it is, which is make it about the fighting. It doesn't have to be about the production. No, IK Plus is an amazingly produced game, but it keeps the focus on the fighting and the, and the successful connection and the kineticism of fighting in that environment. You really feel it. You feel mm-hmm. like you're in control of your player and that you're up against it. And it's maybe it's the same thing over and over again, but there's no problem with that. But this this game lacked that playability and that cohesion. And in all fairness, it's just more show and tell. And it's I'm not saying it's bad because it's not bad, bad. It's just, and it, it is quite good. It's just missing something really important. Fundamentally, of course, the most important thing it's missing is that without that real connection between you and the fighting moves and your ability to pull them off, this is no more of a fighting game than doing a dance in front of somebody and accidentally kicking them in the nuts, um, which has probably happened on many an occasion. Decent yeah. music from Rubberbird, maybe. But other than that, nah, not for me, this one. Not for me. No, no. Strange one to end on. Got 90% Sizzler. They were obviously wowed by the uh, amazing visuals and everything and the presentation, but when it came down to it, vacuous. Vacuous, I think is the best way to describe that. Yeah, so a bit of a shame, that one. I thought we'd have a better one to end on. We've got 90% the Sizzler. Bit of a shame. I thought it was going to be better. I seem to remember, you know, it just, I think it's one of them games you remember for its visuals and then you don't remember for its uh, gameplay because it has yeah. a, a, a serious lack of it. It's funny because it's a, it reminded me, it just reminded me there was other games like this that should have been really good and they're not quite there. You know, that Thai boxing game was a bit like this, but they sort of zoomed in. And then it was that Uchi Mata was another where it just ended up, it looked really good and it's probably amazing to get into, but I was just ended up doing loads of button scrambling and just ended up you know, falling over a lot. <laughs> 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 this one, I just, I just button mashed and beat everything in the game. I'm like, well, if you can do it that easy, then what's the point? It, yeah, there was a, there was a, something else as well that, I, that was like that. I, I can't remember what it was, but so it's like I said, coming so fast on the back of IK Plus. That's that's what's weirded me out the most. I mean, there's yeah. inevitable comparisons uh, between the two from the same people. I mean, and the thing is, Archie McClellan must be looking at it going, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what are you doing? I made that the greatest fighting game ever, and you you released that, and you're saying that's the most realistic? Are you stupid? Yeah. Oh, absolutely it was his last c64 game he's like ah bat you bat you indeed there were a couple of games we didn't look at 
from the budget section, and the reason for that is because we've reviewed them before. It was Beecher Two, was there? Wasn't yeah, it? there was Beecher Two, and there was On Court Tennis. Yeah, we've seen them. Um, so refer, refer you back to episode one to five. Is it for them? Something I think like so. Yeah, Beecher Two must be like really uh, Beecher. Well, they're both really early. I think yeah. issue, whenever we covered issue four, one or two, I think. And yeah. I think, but I think On Court Tennis was episode two, part one. Yeah, something like that. Back when we did it, then. Yeah, so go way back and you'll see them there. Anyway, so we didn't look at them again, so that's that. That's it. That's it. We've got a couple of uh, crap birds. We do. Yes, I'm looking at uh, Bone Cruncher. Goodness me, right now. Right, before you read the text at the bottom, what would you say... The two things are the green and the orange thing in this thing. What they learned, they remind, they reminded me of the blobby monster from Ghostbusters. Yeah, or, or, or maybe goblins of a sort. I don't goblins, know. Goblins, ogres, that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, that, that they? sort of shape. Yeah, they're dragons. Eh? <laughs> it Ow, says you are Bono. Wings. You are Bono, a friendly dragon residing in a picturesque. You're, I love the fact you're called Bono as well. That's that made me laugh quite a lot. Um, <laughs> residing in a picturesque sea castle as a shrewd business uh, dragon, keen on nice little earners, you make your living by selling soap to the giant monsters who bathe in the sea surrounding the castle. Yeah, okay, it looks a bit weird, doesn't it? I don't. I it's didn't so, get dragon from that. At no, all. I mean, no. I mean, he's got arms like really humanoidy looking arms. I mean, they're not very really well drawn because they're really wibbly wobbly. So you look. Looks like he's made of jelly, but he's got arms. Dragons have wings. Yeah. Uh, and it also, also I, like, wings. I like the fact there's a prize for everyone who completes the game. Yeah, uh, a little Walkman. A, red Walkman. <laughs> is that a Walkman or radio? Is that a portable radio? That, yeah. That, that, the ultimate Close. prize, a portable FM radio. Yes. Radio on the move. <laughs> we are unfortunately too late to enter because the closing date was 30th of April, 1988 time machine yeah so this is full of strategic puzzles and problems um i like the last one it says humorous witty a barrel of laughs yeah you know what that means um, don't you it's crap not, really, not funny not funny at all no because it's one of those ones it looks like one of those ones where the people who made it thought they were being really funny yeah um, and i don't like that a soap opera not to be missed right at the bottom it makes no sense none of this no. makes any and sense and i think if you have to label and identify what's going on in your screens, then your screens aren't very good. And in the top <laughs> right, it's Bono takes the skeletons to a cauldron. Right, so that's what's happening in that, because I can't make it out, because it's no. impossible. And then it says, Bono, is it Bonner? Bono's partner. Bono's partner, Fozzie. F- Fozzie restrains a monster. Doesn't they look? They look pretty much like the same things happening in both. I don't know. It looks <laughs> yeah. crap. Yeah, utterly, utterly crap. That's a proper crap. Uh, yeah, it's a mess. Is. A mess of things. Uh, it is. It's, it's it's a combination of badly drawn items that make no sense in context whatsoever. So it's it, he's in Bono's clothing company, stirring a cauldron full of human remains in what looks like a bucket of sperm, um, <laughs> yeah, which is washing which all I'm, over Fozzie's which feet. is washing, and then. In the background, is, there's a there's a, is who is the one in the background because he's got hold of a sleeping thing. I don't get what that's what's happening there. Is he strangled? Is that the corpse? Is that dead? I think the orange one is fuzzy. Right, the and then he's got a, he's got a key by his feet, and then he's another one in the background putting a towel behind his yeah. Because they're, they're making you make your living by selling soap to the giant monsters who bathe in the sea. Ah, uh, okay, right. Yeah, it says it's, it's at the bottom a soap opera, <laughs> uh, not to be missed. Um, I beg to differ. I miss yeah. every soap opera, including this one. End. <laughs> communication absolutely <laughs> yeah that's not a dragon i'm sorry that's not dragons don't have chins <laughs> not like that i'm not like that no. and have you noticed as well in the orange one his knees look like eyes yes he does he's got weird feet i everything's wrong you know it's an anatomy of these dragons is is he, is he seen a dragon he has 
red uh, about dragons, right? And it's, it's somebody like must red. have looked at this poster and gone, right, but you are aware of what a dragon is, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, blobby creature, arms, legs, you know, <laughs> staring at cauldrons and that with the big sticks, you know, boggly eyes. Have you seen the Welsh flag? <laughs> You've seen the Welsh flag, yeah. Green, blobby creature with fangs. Have <laughs> uh, uh, you read Lord of the Rings? So you've seen Smaug. You've heard of Smaug. Oh, yeah, big oh, yeah, dragon. Green, blob- blobby creature, likes gold. <laughs> yeah, blo- blobby creature, wears badges. Um, right, okay. So, okay, yeah, I think, think our idea need- of dragon and yours is not the same. We need a new artist. <laughs> and with good cause. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> with modern technology, we don't need an artist. Look. <laughs> oh, look at this. Look at these dragons I've made. Yeah, they right, put this get in, out. They put this into some kind of AI, AI art generator in 1987, <laughs> and this is what it chucked out as a dragon. <laughs> It's terrible. Classic it is bad. crap vert, though. Classic crap yeah. vert. You'll like the we're next gonna come, one. We're going to come across that, surely, at some point, then. I'm guessing we will play so, this game. Oh, God help us. Yeah, but like we'll play the next one. So, oh, dear. No, no. <laughs> I had to include this for you. As a way to round out the year, here's you know, the advert I for Nightmare. For that picture. I think he posted that picture. Right, firstly, all right, just get the actual logo. <laughs> right? Don't draw it, and then don't draw it so it's wrong. Because if you notice, the, the, the text is getting smaller as it goes towards the end, which means that <laughs> no. it's just someone's hand-drawn that logo. Now, admittedly, if they've shaded it correctly and it's very detailed, and for some reason there's a gloopy drip coming off the eye, I don't get why, yeah. um, and off the E, uh, which makes no sense because I think they're meant to be blood drips, but they're yellow. I don't know. It looks like candle wax anyway, um, but it's badly drawn. Then you've got the hand-drawn picture of Traegar. <laughs> I suppose it looks like Traegar. They're capturing his wangy eye perfectly in that, aren't they? <laughs> Not sure what he, the, uh, you know, the ghostly uh, skull is. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. That's, I think that's a fart. He's just le- he's leaning over. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's what's escaping from his pants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's the look he gives when he farts. That's his fart look. So you know he's, that that's definitely the case. His so hot, it's melted the uh, title above his head, and that's why it's dripping. So, no, th- what made me laugh, I mean, that is obviously self-hilarious, and also the tagline there, the best, your best ever nightmare makes no sense in this game, because nightmare's not spelt that way, but... Can I just say as well, I want to know what the rock monster is behind the bu- bu- back left, because it looks like a rock monster's face in the top left. Yeah, I think that's meant to be. It's the talking wall, isn't it? It took me ages to realise that was his chair. I just thought it was a cut-out of the backdrop. <laughs> It's really flat. It's, it's it's flat. It's it's like clearly the IKEA version of the throne. And does Traegar have trees growing out of him? Um, yes, in this version he does. Why has he got trees growing out of him? Yeah, that's I don't weird. Know. Why? Like, I don't know. That. Yeah, he's got he's got a tree growing out of his arm. Well, multiple trees um, on both arms. No, no wonder he's farted. Right. <laughs> um, if you look at the images of the actual TV show, there's a horrific one where there's just Traegar's face. <laughs> yeah, massively. You know, can you imagine him describing that in the game? So you walk into a corridor. Oh my God, it's Traegar's head. <laughs> Caution, team. Why? isn't your best ever nightmare which is terrible why isn't it spelt with a k i know i just said that a minute ago yeah it don't make any sense whatsoever why has it got two exclamation marks and yeah and why is it in that typeface why is it not in the actual nightmare typeface it's just stupid and it's such a lame thing to say it's your best ever anything is rubbish isn't it like not like live your nightmares or experience the you know all of those things your best ever nightmare some idiot thought of that this is up there with um services and all the logos of the 90s and 90s now john's gas services limited it's, it's up there with those kind of <laughs> creative nonsense but this is from activision so i'm not sure this is going to be good oh, cactivision back Look again at those the graphics as well they're really bad they take all of the excitement of chroma key based animations and all of that and convert that into a blue screen monstrosity with an orange monochrome monocolor bloody traegar no <laughs> 
Those that, that that is his album, I think. That's his first album he released. Mon- <laughs> monochromatic Traeger. <laughs> it's just two notes. <laughs> beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, forever. I just don't get why they hand why did they hand draw everything? And why did they put it on that weird wooden frame on the left? I don't it's really weird. And that them candles, those stupid candles. It's like just you can't it doesn't make it dungeony because you put bloody candles on it. I don't know. It it's is just, terrible, isn't it? No, yeah. I mean, aside from the fact that the top right hand screen from the TV show looks like a kid's being menaced by a giant bauble. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, and then, and then the thing is, you look at that, it's like, that's the TV. And then you look at the images underneath it, you make you not want to buy it. You'd be like, that looks shit compared to the TV show. Yeah. Don't show me what I could have won. <laughs> no. Awful. Bloody awful. Goodness me. And yeah, like you said, his throne is featureless. It's a bland <laughs> throne. He's the king of nothing. <laughs> Yeah, he, he melted. It's like, yeah, it's not the Iron Throne, is it? He just carved no. that from a bigger throne. And he's been sat there so long, trees have grown through him painlessly. I, I don't get that. That's really weirded me out, that. I don't, <laughs> when you noticed that, and I'd never noticed it till then either when you said, look, he's got one growing at his arm, and he really has. It's pushed its way through his shirt. He's got multiple ones on both arms. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's horrible. Yeah. I mean, they're taking a tree guard and sort of, he's got tree in it, so let's just have trees in him. Yeah, he's, the guard, like, he's guarding trees. Yeah, a large percentage of that tree trunk's going where the sun don't shine by look of his eyes. No, <laughs> no, wonder, he's, no wonder he's farted out a ghoul. <laughs> a ghostly ghoul. Yeah, horrible. <laughs> terrible, terrible, terrible. But a classic crap of it to end. This this episode with really yeah horrible. and to round out 1987 with I knew you'd like that one so I put it there. Yeah, anyway that's uh, we've got we've got the chart our last chart of the year this is from Commodore user December 1987 uh, in at number ten uh, new entry is Bubble Bobble down to number uh, no sorry up to number nine is Back to the Future it's, it's got to be a budget re-release it's a budget it? release yeah down to number eight from four is World Class Leaderboard new entry mm. at number seven is Indiana Jones oh, up to number six is soccer boss mm. <laughs> what's that just what it says yeah, I the don't dread to think <laughs> yeah down to number five is renegade down to number four is kickstart two up to number three is joe blade mm. uh new in at number two is micro rhythm plus I never knew there was sure a micro rhythm plus yeah i remember the plus but i can't remember why it was a plus i think you could save things and i can't remember and probably more more drum samples maybe yeah yeah something like that maybe yeah. and staying at number one for christmas and the new year Arcade Classics. Mm-hmm. Yep, very good. There we go. Rest of the chart. Number 11 is International Karate. 12 is Football Manager. Still stinking up the place. Cricket International at 13. Super Sprint, new entry at 14. On-field football, 15. On-court tennis, 16. Uchi Mata, weird. Must be a budget release alternative. 17. Last Ninja down to 18. Head Coach. Oh, that was so bad. Uh, At 19. And Super Robin Hood sticking around at number 20. Again, Mm. another one we haven't looked at or seen yet. There we go. That's it. That's the uh, that's the year done. It is incredible. So many games. So much <sighs> so shit. So much licensed shit. Yeah, it really has been the year of that. But we'll get into all that next week, I think, when we yeah. talk a bit more in depth about the year. It's been a long episode, this one. We've, we've been going for a while. Long recording. That's some big old big old games in there. Yeah, so next week, obviously, we have our Breadbin Awards. So we'll be giving you uh, what we think are the best, the worst, the strangest, the craziest, of all kinds of things of 1987. We'll be voting for them. Uh, and we'll see how that goes. God knows what else is going on. And then that's next week. Have we got anything more we want to discuss here? Patreon? We've got a Patreon. If yes. you do want to sign up, we know that times are hard at the moment. We get it. We get it. We understand. So, you know, there's no on any obligation to sort of sign up. If you do wish to donate, there's a, there's a level that's just a pound 
round, which helps us out. There's a higher level, which gets you access to the Discord, early access to the uh, episodes, which release early, and all things like that. So, you know, advert-free episodes and stuff like that. So, you know, and it helps us out massively, and we hugely appreciate it. So if you wish to do that, that would be great. You go to patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past. Um, and that would be coolio if not rate reviewers on itunes i guess and things like that and places leave a review mentions on twitter that's always cool if you know if you're listening to us if you're giving us where have you listened to us what's the you know if you listen to us in strange places that's always good if you're in the bath though don't post a picture that would be bad what else uh if not that just tell a friend if, if you have a person that you know who's into retro stuff even if it's not into c64 stuff there's plenty of content here for all kinds of stuff so you know tell people they might give us a listen and and, and that, that's cool it helps us grow and and reach more people and, and just generally be good that's it this has been a long recording i'm tired it's very hot this week and i haven't right. slept much oh golly it's hot today oh golly it's hot today too hot too hot not to. ah, <laughs> too hot, ah, too hot. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear yeah it really is do we have anything more we wish to say before we do next week's bread bit awards no no i think um we can happily reflect on the whole of the year in the bread bin awards as we normally do we have a obviously a little bit where we look back yeah. It's been an epic journey of 1987, and there's been some highs, there's been some lows, there's been a lot of in-between and a lot of shite. But along the way, there has been some real great experiences, and so well, let's chat about them next time. And it's going to be hard to pick some of that, some of these games, it really is. It really is. Yes, indeedy. Uh, but here we go. On that note, I think we finish. So, as ever, I've been Adrian Mills. And I have been Graham Reddings. And you've been listening to Zapped to the Past, and we will bring you our roundup and awards of 1987 next week. So see you then. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zapped to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you? They can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptother, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.